Now, a better way to start your day. The WABC Early News. Weekdays at 5 a.m. We've got an hour built just for you. An hour of news. Traffic on the 7s. Sports at 15 and 45. Business reports. Weather. And the newsmakers. The information you need to start your day. From the station you trust. The WABC Early News. 5 a.m. weekday mornings on 77 WABC. You can depend on us. Enable the 77 WABC Alexa skill at home. Download the 77 WABC mobile app on your phone. Don't miss a minute. Talk Radio 77 WABC. He knows New York. He is New York. Cred that the others don't have. Curtis Lewa. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Listening to Tony Orlando without Dawn. What the hell ever happened to Dawn? The one time he interviewed her, I wasn't listening to his program. And I said, oh my God, he's like playing two, not one, two stylistics jams, back to back, belly to belly. The Philly sound, and then, oh yeah, little Luther, Luther, oh Luther Vandross, I'm talking about in a little bit. Had a personal experience with Luther before anybody knew who he was. Came out of the projects in New York City. The guy had pipes. I said, well, well I'll hold off on the story. Uh, but, Bruce, continue to play this underneath here. This jam, Break Up to Make Up, classic, classic. And I believe that a lot of you out there hooked up. For the very first time when you heard some of these R&B classics, or, in my case, it may have even caused you to get married. Oh, yeah, I blame the music, because I'm not going to blame myself. You know, talk radio show hosts, they never blame themselves. It's always somebody else's fault. It's like politicians. Never take the blame. But these jams in the 70s, early 70s, no doubt created that urge to merge that I know a lot of you out there said, oh, there's no doubt, Curtis. I remember. I remember when it came out. In fact, let's open up the phone lines. We're going to test our spectrometer. 
which uh, handles our FM signal from out in the Hamptons on WLIR and then merges it with a 50,000 powerful watts of sound on Disquantificator on our uh, Tower of Power in Lodi next to Potter Pink. 50,000 watts of AM power and... Uh, Let's face it, these jams used to hear AM, but really was FM. Uh, I'm going to slack off on uh, bashing the FM crowd out there, freaking morons, feeble-minded, fornicating madly, free marijuana, because these were such great jams. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And I always wonder, when I hear these classic R&B jams, How many of these guys are still alive? You know, because they're all touring. They're all touring. It could be a Fugazi group up there. So you look at all five, six guys, you say, that's impossible. They couldn't all still be alive and touring. And they swear, no, no, these are the original stylistics. Yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. And, And then you see them, they're reading off the teleprompter. You make me feel brand new. I said, come on, man. They would know that jam by now. You are everything. Bet you by golly wow. I'm stone in love with you. People make the world go round. And the classic break up to make up. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. We got to test out Bruce all this um, phone equipment. You know, we've been having problems like almost every early morning trying to get into it because I do... um, I do uh, talk radio, which is a stream of consciousness. And though you could play that music a little bit, Bruce, keep the jam, like, right there, right there. That's right. Uh, I'm in the mood. I mean, Tony Orlando, without Dawn, definitely put me in the mood. These jams were, like, so good tonight. As angry as I was, it was like a mood elevator. It sort of softened the harsh belly of the beast that sometimes Curtis Lee was known for. That's right, I'll punch your schnoz right down your throat. Could have done that to two guys tonight out in the streets, two gobbles. Hey, I see you lost. Good, really. Huh? Come here, pal. You want to see me lose? On this, I'm not going to lose one-on-one with you. And then all of a sudden, they were selling me wolf tickets. Wolf tickets out in the streets. With the hawk is talking. It is cold out there. Although not as cold as it was. In the break of dawn yesterday, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. As good as the stylistics were and continue to be with whatever group uh, comes together and performs for them outside of Philadelphia. My all-time favorite group was Blue Magic. And I'm going to ask you a trivia question because... Blue magic actually has two meanings. So to win a Curtis Lee booby prize, don't ask, don't tell. Remember, I throw nickels around like manhole covers. Uh, too cheap. Uh, you'll get some kind of a tchotchke, some kind of booby prize. What I'll do is I'll put it and hermetically seal it in an envelope with uh, layers of scotch tape and send it to you, COD, cash on delivery. You'll have to pay for it. But I want to know from any one of you out there... Or any group of you out there, what did the term blue magic mean? It was a product. I'm going to give you a little hint. It was a product you could buy in a pharmacy, a drugstore, a convenience store. 
It was also a product you could buy in the streets. Do I have to connect the dots uh, anymore for you? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I'm just trying to think of the jams now. Blue Magic. Sideshow. What's come over me? Just don't want to be lonely. Oh, these were classic sounds. Classic sounds. And I attribute Blue Magic and all the jams they put out to uh, encouraging me to get married my first time. That's right. And let's face it, I've had many, many marriages because whenever I would fall in love, I would take that gal at that moment in my life back uh, back to my mom's house, uh, Francesca and Chester's house in Canarsie. And my mother would say to me, do you love this woman? And I would say, yes, Ma, I wouldn't lie to my mom. And she'd say, well, you got to do the right thing. you got to marry them. Uh, you got to make them whole. You know, come on. Come on, Curtis, do the right thing. i say, hey, Mom, how many times can I do this? She said, don't worry about it. You know, you could always get an annulment from the church. Annulment? Come on, Mom. You know what that is. That's a cash cow that the Vatican has. You get married, and then all of a sudden you throw them money, you throw them some coin at the Vatican, and they make your marriage go away like it never happened. I said, what happens, Mom, in fact... If you have not only your wife, but you have kids uh, through your marriage, and then all of a sudden, that can be annulled? She said, oh, yeah, uh, it happens all the time. <laughs> I said, but I don't want to do that. I just don't want to do that. She says, it's always an alternative. But let me tell you something. If, in fact, you love this woman, You have to do the right thing by her. You have to honor your grandparents, Anton and Wanda, on the Polish side, who were from Limanova, uh, from the highlands uh, that separated Czechoslovakia from Poland, uh, where the dairy farms were. And your grandfather and grandmother on my side, the Bade side, from Andria, Italy, a little uh, coastal uh, town right across uh, from the Adriatic. Uh, Fidel and Nicoletta Bianchino. You got to honor them by getting married. Okay. Uh, Bruce, give me a little bit of uh, stylistics here underneath. Uh, Keep it low, please. I want to keep my mood up here. I want to keep my elevation up here. Just keep it very low. A little lower. A little lower there, Bruce. Come on, we can bring it down. That's right. Okay. Keep it right there. I would hate for my mood to suddenly snap. And then I'll have that anger management moment that will cause me to have to have therapy. I'll have to get the couch out here. I'll have to call a shrink to figure out why all the furniture is rearranged in the wrong rooms. As I want to sort of bust the windows in these studios. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Remember my question to all of you because I do trivia constantly and we'll do it through all six hours. Is Blue Magic uh, was a product that was sold in stores, and it was also a product that was sold in the streets. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Then I'm thinking uh, off of the stylistics, because if you think of the stylistics, you got to think of the Delphonics. There's no way you can't think of the Delphonics. Didn't I blow your mind? I gave to you, right? Those were two classics. Uh, And plus there were a few more. And then let's not forget the Manhattans. Kiss and Say Goodbye, Shining Star. Oh, the memories, they're all like streaming back. 
Anyway, let's go to the phones to Andrew, who's calling from Stanhope. Uh, your turn to be heard here. The Hawk is talking here at WABC, Andrew. Blue Magic, Denzel Washington, Russell Crowe. They made it famous in American Gangster. That was the uh, high-quality so-called heroin, right? It was heroin, a type of heroin. You couldn't be more hopelessly right. That's right. As Denzel Washington was playing the character Frank Lucas, uh, the brand of uh, P-Dope they were selling, heroin, was called Blue Magic. Now, that was the stuff they sold in the streets, Andrew. The flip question on that is what is the product that was sold on the shelves of pharmacies, beauty stores, beauty parlors, for many, many years that was also called Blue Magic. Do you have any idea about that, Andrew? No, I don't, but was it a hair product? I'm just guessing, like, because you said beauty parlors. Very good. Something for, for cl- the hair, like a, You're close. a cream, You're close. cream relaxer. A cream relaxer. Very, very good, Andrew. You scored the daily double. Yeah. It was like, um, I guess you could describe it as a pressing oil. Uh, you know, African-American women or those right. who had a little kink to their hair would want to straighten it. Um, and you would always Punk. see it up on the shelf next to the White Rose Petroleum Jelly or the Royal Crown hairdressing. Uh, you know, and all the straighteners, uh, the Afro Sheen uh, relaxers and stuff. And I would say to myself uh, at the time, Andrew, my first wife was uh, from the Virgin Islands, so she was uh, African-American. I would say, Corinne, why do you iron your hair? You have such gorgeous hair, nice fro. Why do you want to straighten it? She goes, oh, I, I got to straighten it here. I got to use the pressing oil. I believe she used the Royal Crown hairdressing. I think I could be so totally wrong. Before that, they had what they call green Vaseline. Oh, that's nasty stuff. Nasty stuff. In fact, I think Denzel Washington used that when he played think so. Yeah, yeah. Well, what, what role did Denzel Washington play where he was using green Vaseline as as part of his portrayal? This has nothing to do with American Gangster. Uh, he was playing this individual when he was a pimp. When he was a pimp. You want to go for the trifecta, the troika, the trinity, yeah. Andrew? Yeah, I should know because he's my favorite actor, but I don't remember any role where he played a pimp. Well, tell you the truth. Not, not the whole film, but a portion of the film in the early years of this individual. Was it um, Malcolm X? Yes. Yes, yeah. I, I think his name was Red at the time. I think he was yeah. Red. I think he was That's in cool. Boston. Uh, and he was definitely a pimp. He was definitely pimping. Wow, my God, Andrew, you hit the trifecta, the troika, the trinity. I remember that film was great, and the Muslim man in pri- in prison with him says, "What's your name?" And he says, "I'm Red. I'm Red." Yes. And he's like, "You know, you're not. You don't even know who you are." And he gives him, you know, Muslim name, and he's like, "That's your, you know, your slave masters. That's their name that they gave you. You're not Red." And then they give him a Muslim name. That's right. In fact, yeah. they. Um They gave him uh, the uh, readings of Elijah Muhammad of the Nation of Islam. Uh, He did the conversion in jail like a lot of guys uh, did or were doing time. The next thing you know, he gets sprung. 
He then goes to uh, some of the meetings, some of the parliaments. Uh, the headquarters at that time actually was Detroit. That's where the Nation of Islam started. And then Elijah Muhammad uh, uh, started to move uh, things uh, lock, stock, and barrel over to Chi-Town. But it was always back and forth between the two. He rose through the ranks and eventually became the spokesperson of the Nation of Islam. And then years later, as he decided to go his own way, and he was talking to his own crowd in the Audubon Ballroom right next to Columbia Presbyterian on Broadway at 168th, some guys walked in, uh, took out the shotgun, uh, popped them. A few of them just got released because it wasn't them. They had the wrong guys at the wrong time at the wrong place. Uh, and the guy who um, killed them with the shotgun, uh, basically, we now find out, said, hey, those other guys, they weren't with me. You know, they were from, uh, like, the Newark Mosque. They were from, like, the Harlem Mosque. Eh, no, 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 no. They weren't. It was me. It was me. I did it. And those other guys got jammed up for, like, 40 years. See this? The history is flowing here, Andrew. The stream of consciousness is flowing simply by us talking about what product was sold in the streets that was called Blue Magic, what product was sold on the shelves of pharmacies and beauty parlors that was sold uh, Blue Magic. Now, what kind of booby prize do you think you're entitled to, Andrew, since you were the very first caller ever in the history of my 30 years in talk radio, most of it on WABC, the acronym standing for Always Broadcasting Curtis. What kind of a Curtis Lee booby prize do you think you're entitled to for hitting the trifecta Troika and Trinity? A yearly subscription to WMPR Radio, which we're doing an M. PR style educational, but you're the opposite. You're uh, entertaining. Nobody falls asleep when listening to you, <laughs> like NPR. Ah, uh, that, that is. Oh man, you are witty too. Oh, very, very good. You know, briefly, I worked at WNYC, the local affiliate here in New York City. Not my place to be. Are you aware of that, Andrew? I think I, you mentioned that when you were with uh, the Progressive. Oh, that's right. The aggressive progressive, which yeah. I'm going to be uh, battling tomorrow from three to five. That's right. In a few hours, more Curtis all the time here on the weekends at WABC. Let me tell you, I'm going to I'm going to riff here. That's right. It's a stream of consciousness. Right, Andrew? Definitely. It's, natural. A, it's not like any other show. It's not like any other show here at WABC. Yeah, they got benchmarks. Cut. You know, go to the promo, go to the advertisement. No, 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 no. Not at night. And naturally, I'm not going to have a formula like Frank Morano, where I tickle my belly and I have that fake laugh at times. We're going to be talking about him later on when he stranded that trucker on I-95 who was begging, beseeching for help. And he left him with Ugats, with Bupkis. But anyway, Andrew, so here I was. It was WABC, 1991 and 1994. I was doing Angels in the Morning with my wife at the time. Uh, do you remember which one that was, Andrew? No, but she was from uh, Trinidad, you said? or No, no, that, that, was, uh, that was the first wife. That was Corin Drake, and that lasted all of one year. I was very young at the time. She was even younger. Uh, she discovered Jacoby. I discovered uh, Myers. We had no assets, so we went our separate ways. But a wonderful woman, a wonderful woman. We were just too young to get married. And it put me in a precarious position, Andrew, because here it was. I was living in an apartment in Brownsville on Osborne and Hageman. This is like 1974. I'm the only white guy left. 
left in Brownsville. So the brothers want to give me a beat down because they say, well, you snacking on our sister. Then I go to Canarsie <laughs> to visit my mother, Francesca, because my dad was away at sea. And all my Supreme Cuisine cousins and all those other Jadrules, those knuckle draggers would say, oh, you're an end lover. You're an end lover. You better not come right. here, man. We're going to kill you. Damned if I do, damned if I don't. And where did I move to from there, Andrew? To Brooklyn. I'm taking a guess, but I remember you said you were the manager. Was it in the Bronx of a McDonald's? And some of these brothers would eat the food halfway or two-thirds. Oh, I got to tell that. I got to tell that. (laughs) You see this, Andrew? You're like an Ed McMahon to me. You throw me those those little nuggets, and then I can build a whole entree. You give me the hors d'oeuvre, I build the entree. So you're right. I went up to McDonald's. I had to escape Brooklyn, or I'd be dead on arrival. And I became the night manager of Mickey D's. was like a fate worse than death because everybody wanted to kill me there. So then... All of a sudden, on the hill where the old Alexanders used to be on Grand Concourse in Fordham Road, they had Lowy's. So they had have three Kung Fu flicks for $5. And the late show would let out at about 12 midnight, 1 o'clock. And all the brothers who would be there smoking Chiba, you know, talking trash to the screen. Yeah, yeah, you jump in the air. You throw that spinning hook kick and I'll shoot you. And they pull their gun out and shoot at the, the movie screen, sometimes causing the movie to no longer function. They clear out. And naturally, they come down the hill to Marion and Webster. And they had to get their Max Fries and Strawberry Shakes. And then they'd be standing online. They would eat seven-eighths of a Mac. Seven-eighths of a Mac and be all cheapened up, right? And then they come up to me, dopey white boy, they thought, and they say, hey, man, I got a hair in my Big Mac. They say, oh, really? You got a hair in your Big Mac? How do I know it's not your freaking hair? They say, hey, well, you wise guy, white boy here? I want a Mac or I want my money back. And I told them, they had no idea what it meant, you're going to get Ugats. Now, they looked nothing. at me like, right, they, they, they thought I was talking a foreign language, being disrespectful to them, which I was. And then they said, no, 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 man. Uh, I, I want my money or another Mac or put your dukes up. I said, no problem. I love doing that. I jump over the counter. I pick these guys up, slam them to the ground, make their bones rattle. And everybody would go, ooh, wow. Crazy white boy, crazy white boy, crazy white boy. You see what you triggered? You see what you triggered, <laughs> Andrew? Hold on, hold on, wait a second. Hold on, you caused me to digress. Talking about the Bronx, Mickey D's, Max Fry's Strawberry Shakes, the brother smoking Chiba at Lowy's, three flicks for $5, Kung Fu flicks, where the guys are jumping in the air, run, run, short, wah, wah, and then they're shooting at them on the screen and then coming down for their Mickey D's fix and trying to get over on this Caucasian persuasion, this snow bro, this... um, Let's just say, guy from Brooklyn who had seen it all, and hey, wasn't anything in the Bronx I was going to see that I hadn't seen in Brooklyn. And then all of a sudden, there I was in 1994, doing Angels in the Morning on WABC with my wife at that time, let's see, the second wife, uh, Lisa Evers, who now uh, is a street reporter for Channel 5. That's her maiden name. And they fired us because we were going to kill each other in the studio. They were kind of right by that because they would have had to come in with the body bags. So they fire us. I get a call from my Kumbhati Cheats, Rudy Giuliani, who's just been elected mayor of the city of New York. He said, Curtis, I need you to do me a solid. 
it. We have this stick, WNYC. The city of New York needs money, and we're promoting a stick that could be sold commercially. There's so many radio stations that want it. I need to showcase it because right now they're hopelessly liberal and progressive. Since you're out of a job, would you like to go to WNYC on my behalf? I said, sure, no problem. So he forced them to take me. They hated it. There were protests outside. There were demonstrations. There were all kinds of editorials saying, oh, Curtis Sliwa, uh, what what is he, a high school dropout? You can't put him on WNYC. I showed up for my first shift, 2 to 4 in the afternoons. They have no commercials. So two hours is a lot of time compared to commercial radio. And then all of a sudden I was introduced on the air by Lenny Lopate, who was on before me, Mr. Cultural, uh, Mr. Snobbish, Mr. Pretentious, Mr. Obstinate who introduced me to the audience by saying, ladies and gentlemen, we have been forced to receive this man named Curtis Sliwa with this dirty red beret. Uh, let me tell you, his claim to fame is he's best known for reading the covers of comic books and matchbooks. And then he just went out and obliterated me verbally. And then I got on the, I got on the yeah, and I started talking neighborhoods because that's my forte. I know where all the bones are buried, who buried them, every square inch of the five boroughs. And the guy went eclectic on the air. Because I know you went to Brooklyn Prep, that prestigious Jesuit high school in Crown Heights. They kicked you out. I went to Eastern District, 4,000 guys. I grew up in a cold water flat in which we had to share the bathroom on the 8th floor in Williamsburg. The guy went absolutely nuts on me, Andrew. And you know what I did to him? I, I smiled. I, I smiled at him. Take that. And wait, 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 wait. My memory is coming back. Oh, that's right. And then you see when you're on WNYC, WNP, excuse me, NPR, you have to raise money. They have what they call pitch week uh, to subsidize the broadcast. And actually, we were all shilling for shimoles. Uh You had Brian Lair, who's been there forever. Then you had Lenny Lopez, and then you had me. And so they figure, well, this guy's kind of conservative. Maybe he can bring a new listening base. And so I'm trying. I'm shilling for Shimoli's. I did a pretty good job of it. Then they published the results in the old gray lady, the New York Times, which they said, oh, uh, all the news that's fit to print, they never make mistakes. And they added an extra digit. Uh, an extra zero to my total, and it made it seem as if I had outraised Brian Lair and Lenny Lopate. I mean, on Monday they went berserk on the air. They said, lies, lies, more lies, fake news, the New York Times, the old gray lady. And then the New York Times published like a quarter page apology the next day, saying, no, really, Curtis Lee, we didn't raise all the money we claimed he ran. It was a misprint. And then I came back on the air and I said, wait a second, Mr. Print? No, 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 no. They printed it the right way because they had no idea of the number of conservatives who are men and women who have equity, who have wealth, who have spendable income that they can make a donation to NPR and its affiliate WNYC. And oh, did I have a belly laugh. You see, now you know the rest of the story, Andrew. It's a great story. And I'd like to see Eric Adams do what you just did. He doesn't have the intelligence. And speaking of the uh, Jesuits that kicked you out, but you had street smarts. And I wanted to ask, in your opinion, do you think Eric Adams is making up the story about getting beat up in the police station? Because, uh, you know, people make like Ocasio Cortez. She made up. She was trapped in her uh, closet on January 6th. But it turns out she wasn't even in the building. So uh, Hillary made up that she was 
sniper fire when she got off the helicopter. And he keeps repeating the story. So that makes me think that, you know, even more suspicious. And I'll let you answer. But I just want to say, too, he called you buffoonish in the debate. But I think it's the opposite because when I would hear him speak, he sounds unintelligent, I'll just say. And obviously you're intelligent to have accomplished the worldwide organization of the Guardian Angel. Well, 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 again, thank you. Thank you, Angel, for starching my BVDs and fruit of the loom. But uh, you're patronizing me too much, Andrew. Um, I've been accused of making up some stories in my own life. I'm going to cast aspersions against them. They were hammering all through the campaign. Curtis, Curtis, you're a liar. You made up stories. Hey, all true. Uh, I never disavowed it. Uh, They tend never to acknowledge it. Look, we all make mistakes. Let me say this about the new mayor, Eric Adams. He is intelligent. He speaks very well. He went to a series of debates uh, with his 13 Democratic opponents, most of them. Uh, He withstood the fire. Now, he gets into his rhythm in which he does his rope-a-dope quotes, you know, his rhymes, uh, he sometimes doesn't break out. He doesn't deal with you in a, like a normal conversational tone. But bright he is. Full of himself he is, like all politicians. Uh, and he's had a plan. He said he had a 30-year plan to become mayor. Then over the summer when he was raising money, Shimoli Shekels uh, out in the Hamptons, he said he had a 10-year plan to become president. And now that's been truncated because of the problems with Joe Biden, feeble, disoriented, and maybe not here for long. And now he has a he has an idea that he wants to run for president in four years. Oh, the, the culions, the chutzpah, the weibos. Hey, pal, do the job. You're going to do a much better job than Bill de Blasio. Look, anybody could. We need that now. But stop talking about it, all these fundraisers. You're going to be running for president in four years. Because let me tell you something. The last guy who was in there, your pal, your friend, your amigo, your partner, in eight years of destroying the city of New York, Bill de Blasio, left for four and a half months. Hey, we actually functioned better with his deputy mayors, right? When he was away with the uh, scarecrows in Iowa where there are more pigs than people. When he was at those catfish fries in South Carolina, when he was in Vegas, you know, with all the degenerate gamblers trying to get Democratic votes in the primaries and the Caucasoid caucuses, he got nothing. He got, that's right, Ugats, he got bubkis. But he remember in the four and a half months he was away, the city ran so much better. So come on, knock it off, Eric. Stop saying privately to all the uh, people who funded your effort to become mayor that you're going to run for president in four years because that ain't going to help you deal with the problems in the city of New York. WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC.
It's a pleasure when you treasure all that's new and true and gay. Easy living and we're giving what we know we're dreaming of. We are one having fun walking in the glow of love. Oh, Luther, 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 Vanjoss. Yeah, Tony Orlando without Dawn. We're playing a little Luther Vanjoss tonight. He got me. He got me because the memories were flowing. If I remember, Luther Vandross uh, was a project kid. I think in Manhattan, although I could be wrong. And I remember there was a gathering uh, for the Guardian Angels in Harlem on 128th Street. I forget in which building. Because, you know, we were pariah at that time. The cops hated us. They coach hated us. The mayor Basically giving us wooden shampoos, attitudinal readjustments, uh, concrete facials, and locking us up every chance they had. And so they were putting on a little uh, little uh, variety show on behalf of the Guardian Angels to sort of uh, raise, uh, raise our mood. And uh, one of the performers was this guy. Big guy, but definitely gay. I mean, you knew the guy was gay. He had no big entourage. He came with, like, uh, one person. He said it was 1980. It's Luther Vandross. And, you know, these other groups that were performing were like, hey, you know, wouldn't have made the cut in the Ted Mack uh, amateur hour. Uh, they were okay. They were trying. They were trying to sort of raise um, our mood. This guy got out there and just, like, blew the audience away. Man, what a set of fight. Nobody knew who this guy was at the time. No, but he didn't have his first album. I think he had his first album out in 2001. He's singing there. There's about 200 of us in this auditorium. We are absolutely flabbergasted, blown away. We're looking at each other like, oh, my God. This is five-star top shelf. Who is this guy? And his manager said, it's Luther Vandross. He's going to be a star. I see. <laughs> you bet you by golly wow he is. Uh, who sang that song? Bet you by golly. Wow, huh? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And if I remember correctly, I'm scratching my medulla and cerebellum because, remember, this is a stream of consciousness. Not everything is so clear and concise to me. But tell me, you see that opening half hour? Come on. There's nobody in this business that could have done anything as cogent, as concise even when I was digressing, we hit so many different topics, as we will, to 6 o'clock in the morning. No matter what goes awry here at WABC, the disquantificator, the spectrometer, the tower of power at Lodi, the 50,000 powerful watts of sound reaching parts of Canada, parts of Europe, and throughout uh, the 38 states of the United States, and naturally, uh, even down in Davy Jones's locker, many a sailor on their way down. Uh, reportedly, their last words were, I just heard Frank Morano on the other side of midnight between the Bahamas and Bermuda. And yes, Cousin Brucey, his first radio gig was in, what was it, Bermuda or the Bahamas? <laughs> Another trivia question just came to me. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And then Luther Vandross just blew up. He became Mr. R&B. It was a skyrocketing career that came out of nothing. A project hit. 
Let me try, let me try to remember the songs. Here and Now, Dance With My Father, A House Is Not A Home, Never Too Much. 1981, Never Too Much. I think that's what put him on the map. Never too, 1981. He was performing for the Guardian Angels. 1980, nobody knew who Luther Vandross was. I'm sorry, uh, you know, I didn't think he was ready for prime time when I first saw him, and then all of a sudden, he rocked my world. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So I ask you all, also, what what public housing project did Luther Vanjos grow up in? Because he's a project kid. And what other infamous and famous New Yorkers grew up in the projects of New York City? There's over 300 of them, developments. With about, well, what can we say, uh, 800,000 people, uh, if I remember the analytics of it. I've been in most of those projects. Feet don't fail me now as I've had to run. <laughs> run out of them when, he, when the heat was just too hot to be in the kitchen in the oven. Yeah, you like that one. That's Lee Wanick said. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go, if we can, to Carol, who's calling from West New York in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Carol. Hi there, Curtis. Um, I'm sure you probably know about this, but Luther Vandross died uh, fairly young. He was only 54 years old. He passed away in 2005 um, from complications from a stroke because he had a weight problem, supposedly, like an on and off weight problem. Yeah, I remember he had siblings. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I read his uh, obituary, he obviously died way too young. Uh, he had that stroke. But, but I think uh, his siblings, uh, they had diabetes. They had heart issues. Yeah, I yeah. think it was mm-hmm. his his mother who actually outlived them all. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. I'm pretty sure. But you know something? A lot of the male British singers in the 1980s, especially George O'Dowd, who was uh, formerly known as Boy George, he was a huge, huge fan of his. Oh, yeah. Look, look. A big influence, definitely. He hit the music scene like there was no tomorrow. He was like a, a phenom. And then, yeah. and then remember, he's, a one, he's just one guy. It's not like he was part of a band, you know, there was a writer. Man, he's, he's mm-hmm. turning out these hits. When he did that song, Dance With My Father. Uh, mm-hmm. I saw that performance one time, not in person, uh, but in video. And there were grown men, grown men, tough guys in that audience crying, crying their eyes out. Yeah, yeah. That was one and of the, love, the greatest, the greatest personalized mm-hmm. emotional song. Because let's face it, guys don't really show their emotion. A lot of fathers never showed emotion to their sons. A lot of sons never nope. showed emotion to their fathers. Uh, to their daughters, yes. Daddy's little girl. No doubt about that. Yeah, right. <laughs> but not to the son. Because it was always uh, like two bulls in a china shop, you know, between uh, the son and the father. And when I first saw him in a video doing that song, and the, the, the camera panned the audience, and here are these grown men. It was a diverse audience, mostly black, but some white. Mm. And they're crying their eyeballs out. Mm. I mean, that is, that was the power 
of this guy's songs that it could reach you. It could sort of go right inside, grab your heart, and make you just want to cry. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the memories, Carol. Thank you. Thank you for the thank memories. Thank you, Curtis. And more important, <laughs> thank you, Tony what? Orlando, without Dawn. Thank you, uh, man, in his list of songs, two stylistic jammies. That Luther Vangelos jammy, and man, it stopped me. Yeah, man, I stopped doing my show prep. Uh, I, I was like, wow, this is great stuff. Let's go to Sonny, who's calling from Brooklyn. Uh, your turn to be heard here on WABC, Sonny. Oh, thank you very much. I wish that you would have won the election, because I remember the days that your troops... All right, well, what, what, what you have to do, uh, what you have to do, Sonny, have to lower that because uh, we're, we're, we're hearing the reverb, the rebound. Uh, the 50,000 powerful wants of sound is bouncing all over the room that you're listening to uh, me on the old style radio. So let's see if Sonny can readjust. We'll get back to her momentarily. Let's go to Elaine in Riverdale. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Elaine. Hi, Curtis. Your answer to uh, Cousin Brucey, his first gig was in the Bahamas. That's right. Imagine his first radio gig. Cousin Brucey, graduate of Madison High School, we are here which also graduated the Schmuck to Putz, Chucky e. G. Schumer, the Altacaca, Bernie the Altacaca Sanders, uh, and Judge Ginsburg, but the most uh, famous of all graduates, Cousin Brucey, who then got his first radio gig in the Bahamas. You have it? to start somewhere. Yeah, but, but that's... Uh, uh, yeah, let, let, of bad habits yesterday. That's right, bad habits. Oh, Eddie Sheeran. Oh, that was, so we're, we're going to have to play that later on. You know, that's my favorite song. That's my wife's favorite song. But, you know, uh, my favorite songs can flip-flop. You know, from one week to the next, I hear a new jam, and then all of a sudden, you know, like a lot of people who love to listen to good music, uh, then all of a sudden that becomes your favorite song, Elaine. Absolutely. That's why I want you to give better days. A longer run before you make up your mind on it. Yeah, no, no, no. I promise you uh, I will definitely be looking to jam that better days. Boy, you see that? Elaine in Riverdale. That's your tag, Curtis. You're always talking about better days. That has to be your tag. Yeah, I'll have, you know, I've had better days. There's no doubt about it. (laughs) Hey, of course I've had better days. Yeah, That's telling the truth. But we're all waiting for them, Curtis. We all are. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, when you hear talk radio callers and talk radio hosts, like, perfect example. Mark Levin, who's on Monday through Friday, 6 to 9, is, like, ready to bust corpuscles, uh, blood vessels. He's screaming. He's ranting. I can imagine this (laughs) spit flying out of his mouth. He's, like, ready to have a heart attack and a stroke. And then all of a sudden, he takes a caller. Uh, this is Buck uh, from Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, how you doing, Mark? And then Mark goes, oh, I'm doing uh, good. How you doing? Mark, you're not doing good. We just heard you go on a rant for 15 minutes. How can you say you're doing good? Just goes to show you. See, Elaine, you have your fingers right on the pulse. See, Elaine is oh, right thanks. on. Yeah, yeah, you're, you got your fingers right on the pulse. 
There's no doubt about it. You are a multitasker. You're knowledgeable about many, many different things, especially you were the first to come forward to answer the question when I said, what was Cousin Brucey's first radio gig? Where was it? She nailed it, the Bahamas. Some of you Gabons probably would have said Bermuda. You know, you would have gotten it all wrong. Did she nail it? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Bob in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Bobby. Hey, Curtis. In 1991, I was a transit cop in District 1, Columbus Circle. I had a front row seat to Eric Adams' racial antics and the uh, cheating scandal with his... uh, protege, Lieutenant Mike Gordon, who is uh, involved with the Guardian cheating scandal as well. What the public doesn't know is that we came in one day and found flyers in our mailboxes from a fictitious white supremacist uh, police organization called the Blue Order. The FBI got involved and traced the letters back to Eric Adams' brother's typewriter in Midtown South. They got the typewriter ribbon. Now, question, question, uh, Bob, because um, I believe, I may be incorrect, I think Eric Adams, when growing up uh, in Brownsville and then Southeast Queens most of the time, went to Bayside High School. I think he had four brothers, correct? I don't know how many brothers he had, but I know one was on the job. One was a NYPD cop, while Eric Adams was a transit cop. And uh, you also need to check out the Dobbs Ferry Deli shooting. That's the Dobbs Ferry Deli shooting. The Dobbs Ferry Deli shooting. Okay. <laughs> well, that was good. Yeah, that was good. He slipped me a Mickey on that. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the guy who hates uh, Janine Pirro. Although maybe he's obsessed with her and really loves her, fantasizes about her. He's probably watching her tonight on the Fox News channel. God only knows what he was imagining in his warped mind. But we'll not call her on her own show which is on tomorrow after my Kumbadichich is on with Dr. Maria from 10 to 11. Then, you know, it's uh, Janine Pirro for an hour from 11 to 12. He never calls her. You know, it's like it's like the guy in school who was um, fascinated uh, by a girl but would never go up and never talk to her but would always try to get her to glance at him. He would do something childish, foolish, you know, which would just turn her off all the more. But was always afraid to go up to her, talk to her in the locker or the cafeteria or maybe at the bus stop, whatever. That's what he strikes me as. He's got this fixation, this obsession with Judge Jeanine Pirro. <laughs> Our number is 1-800-848-9222. As we continue on and ramp it up with my stream of consciousness to the 6 o'clock hour. Let's go if we can... Uh, to uh, David in Manhattan, your turn to be heard here on WABC, David. Yes, did you know that uh, David Bowie gave uh, Luther Vandross a start? Did you know that? No, 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 David Bowie. Yeah, 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 he, he sang back, back up on his Young Americans album, which is recorded in, in Philly at the Sigma Sound. Wow, yeah. I had no idea. The mid-70s, the mid-70s, yeah, yeah, for real, yeah. Yeah, see, yeah. David Bowie, I never could quite get a handle on the guy because... Me either, me either. He's kind of a strange guy, man. You know? I mean, one you minute know, he's yeah. with that drop-dead gorgeous uh, model right. imam. Then the next right. thing, uh, he's uh, uh, he's uh, going looking uh, 
for below right. the navel fish with Mick Jagger. You right. know, he's in the right. he's in the bed tumbling around with Mickey, 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 Mickey. I mean, yeah. we're talking some yeah. freaky deaky stuff there, David. And he helped out Luther, though. He helped him out. He helped Luther out, yeah. I think, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, ladies and gentlemen, this is a uh, trivia question uh, that we're throwing out there, is I believe the estate of David Bowie uh, just was sold uh, all their their rights, ownerships, copyrights, trademarks, intellectual property, I think for like $214 million. Hmm. Now wasn't oh, yeah. David Bowie wasn't David Bowie Ziggy Stardust? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, you know that was his persona for that tour. You know, he did that tour with Ziggy Stardust thing, which, but he did a lot of tours. You know, he he, he, he was like a chameleon. You know, yeah, you but know, who who is changing, who is know? who is really David Bowie? Who is the real David Bowie? Remember how you had Slim Shady uh, from uh, Eight Mile. Uh, Slim Shady was saying, and then they had like, what, 50,000 Slim Shady imitators come into Radio City Music Hall for the Grammys. And, you know, will the real Slim Shady stand up? Like, who is the real yeah. David Bowie? Was it the guy Was it the guy who married Imam? Or was Imam just his sort of beard, you know, his cover for the Could fact be. that he was snuggling around, jumping in the bed with Mickey, Mickey, Mickey? Jagger from the Rolling Stones. Yeah, exactly, See, I asked exactly. I asked those questions. I'm sure the intelligentsia of our listeners out there, the vast number of listeners, know about freaky deaky stuff. We're going to be talking about that later on. You know that transgender swimmer, uh, University of Pennsylvania, lost uh, in one of uh, his, her swimming ventures against, believe it or not, Another transgender from Yale who is transitioning from being a woman to a man, I think. I, I, I'm so confused. We're going to deal with that later on. Uh, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Uh, let's go, if we can, uh, to um, hmm. Judy, Judy, Judy in Westchester. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Judy. Hey, listen, you got me riled up. I, I, I've been wanting you to take a big job in the city ever since you were running for mayor. Um, I, I work for, I'm uh, up here in Westchester. I did 20 years with the crisis team, crisis intervention psychiatric team for the state of New York. And plus, you've got crisis teams in Manhattan. And you've got the ACT team in Manhattan. I did that for eight years. So I know very well working with the mentally ill on the streets and the ones they release from from all the state hospitals and people that are very dangerous. And you can always count on weapons being in their homes. We only saw them on the street or in their homes or at McDonald's. You are perfect for that. I don't see why the state does this, but if you live long enough, you see everything. They always invent the wheel. They always reinvent the wheel. These programs have been in existence, Those the ACT team programs, when they emptied Willowbrook and, uh, or emptied uh, uh, the, 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 got the 
emptied the psychiatric hospitals as much as they could. Yeah, yeah. They well, well Judy, these- Judy, now that you brought up Willowbrook, the expose that was done by Geraldo Rivera, remember, for Channel 7 Eyewitness News, where we got a nice sight, my God, of what went on behind those walls. It was criminal. It was absolutely criminal. Uh, over the summer, when I was running against Eric Adams here, he was on a MSNBC show. I think it was uh, Morning Joe, you know, with uh, Joe and Mika, and uh, out some Shady Sharpton was sitting there with him, and they were talking about the homeless issue. And out of nowhere, Eric Adams said, you know, I always disagreed with the closing of Willowbrook. And I was like, what? That was a state-run facility. I remember as a kid, then Senator of New York, Robert Kennedy, went there, uh, did an expose. This is long before Geraldo Rivera. And the state, because it was a state facility, promised that they would get their act together. It got worse uh, and had to be closed down. And Eric Adams said, no, no, no. You know, I really think it should have been kept open with proper supervision. Judy, this guy was out of his mind. Well, they did the same thing with uh, uh, Wingdale. Wingdale was strictly psychiatric. You know, that's going up Route 22 up north. They emptied Wingdale and put the patients over in Rockland County and, and released released them to the community, the ones that, you know, could go to the community with no housing. But what they did is then they developed the crisis teams. That is the mobile psychiatric teams. I'd go out with the, with the psychiatrist. I'm a psychiatric nurse, and it'd be a social worker. There'd always be two of us because if anybody thinks this, I call him Delausio. If Delausio thinks that they can send out some poor little social worker going out to do 911 domestic violence calls alone or with another little partner, they've got another thing coming. Because here I am in Westchester, but if you know uh, South Yonkers, you know, uh, Mount Vernon, New Rochelle, there's so many guns out there. You know, I've been caught a number of times, you know, actually sitting on a couch interviewing a patient and uh, find out that they've stashed their rifle underneath the couch cushions. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Uh, Judy, absolutely. That reminds me, uh, in the next hour, in my stream of nonstop consciousness to the 6 a.m. hour, she, she woke me up. Not that I became woke. I'm not woke. She mentioned Wingdale, which used to be called the nickname Wing Nut. Oh, it just opened up a panoply of things that all of a sudden just crossed my warped sense of thinking that I'm going to expose all of you to on W. ABC. Listen, baby, you know it. I when you're dancing, yeah, you show it. I when you move, 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 you know it. I when you're dancing, yeah, you show it as you move across the floor. Tell me, how you gonna do it if you really don't 
This is uh, the new Cool in the Gang, as opposed to the old Cool in the Gang. I like both. I like both. But before we talk about what they call asylums, remember years ago they called them insane asylums. I don't know if you uh, listeners out there remember the different terms for the psychiatric institutions, whether it was Wingdale, Greystone in New Jersey, Pilgrim State, Mid-Hudson, Kings Park, Haunting. Some of them looking like Shawshank Redemption. We're going to get into that momentarily. And we're going to get right down on it. But I've got some uh, serious news here in which I may have to report it to the FCC. I know many of you, you love Frank Morano, the Mama Luke. Uh, and this may sound quite nefarious uh, because, you know, Rachel, their first child in the world, Hopefully they stop at that because if uh, the kids have any of the genetics of Frank Morano, they're they're in double trouble. That guy is like fit to be tied, insecure, you know, totally absorbed and eyeing me like Sid Rosenberg. They share like this from the same gene pool. But anyway, I, I have to write them wrong. Because of Frank Morano's insecurity, which is massive, like most talk show hosts and hostesses, and by the way, politicians, they are the most insecure people in the world. And I've known so many of them, Republicans and Democrats. Not all of them, but a hell of a lot of them. Yesterday, I was listening to the top of the news reports from our dean of news broadcasters. You know, our news director is Lydia Serrano who's the Albanian bad girl from the Bronx. But our dean of our news broadcasters is Bob Brown. Bob Brown has been doing this for decades, decades. He is a familiar voice. And better that, he is a familiar sight to many of those who understand what great news gathering and dissemination is. He only has, what, 77 seconds to get out all the news that he does. And I was listening very intently because I came on at 1 in the morning yesterday to 5 in the morning. No, actually, let me correct myself, to 6 in the morning. And I noticed that there was a splice at the end of his broadcast that said that up next, Frank Morano on the other side of midnight. Uh, Bruce, did you, did you actually see that, Bruce? Uh, you saw that, right? There was a splice. You see, old-time radio was you would have everything on tape and you would actually use a single-edged razor blade and you would do a splice and you would put the tape together and you have a little piece of scotch tape, you know, see-through scotch tape that would keep the two different ends of the splice together so you could actually cut out. Now Now they do it on a computer. They edit it out. But there's no doubt at the top of every news hour, that Frank Morano, insecure as he is, like so many talk radio show hosts and hostesses are, actually spliced in that his, quote, his show was coming up next. That's how insecure he is. I heard that in each of the top of the news, 70 seconds of news, given by the dean of all news broadcasters, uh, really, 
in uh, talk radio and in news radio, Bob Brown. Uh, he's a dean. He has more years accumulated than all of those together at WINS 1010 or WCBS 880 AM that do news all the time. I don't know if you realize, because certainly Frank Morano is not going to tell you or our other talk show hosts or hostesses about the background of Bob Brown. No, they won't, because they think that it eats up their precious talk town. They talk time. You know, they don't want to give credit to anybody else. Or if they do, they patronize them and they placate them. But I've never heard this, this tribute to Bob Brown. And especially this slight, this, this, this disparaging thing that was done to his broadcast. Do you realize it is an FCC violation to interfere with a newscast at the top of the hour and to splice in somebody else? Like, that's an addendum. That is one of the clear violations. As George Carlin said, there was the FCC violations in terms of the language you could use. And he was right. The seven words you can't say. And then there is the little known regulation. You have to read through the poorest number of papers that the FCC churns out. And they change it like uh, every few years. They just add more to the bureaucratic malaise uh, that the industry has to deal with. But there is one in there that says that you cannot splice and dice a news broadcast in all of a sudden to tag on what you want it to say. And in his cowardly way, Frank Morano decided to slice and dice the Bob Grant, uh, excuse me, not Bob Grant, the king of talk radio, the Bob Brown. Uh, updated news, 77 seconds, it'll take you around the world at the top of the hour. Are you aware that uh, Bob Brown joined uh, ABC News in 1977? Are you aware of that, Bruce? Uh, Probably none of our listeners know that. I started the Guardian Angels, what will be 43 years ago on February 13, 1979. It'll be our 43rd anniversary coming up. Bob Brown was already an accomplished news journalist at ABC. In that time, I don't know if you're aware of it, I don't know if uh, Frank Morano is aware of the indiscretion that he committed on the Bob Brown newscast by splicing uh, his addendum into it instead of just letting Bob Brown say, and up next, Curtis Lewa with the other side of midnight. No, 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 no. You know, he's just too insecure. Bob Brown has won six Emmy Awards. Six. He won the prestigious Investigative Reporters Award. In 1980, Bob Brown was assigned to 2020. He remained there for 30 years. He was iconic. He was an institution. Several of Bob Brown's human interest features have been over the years converted into Hollywood screenplays. Huh? Now, that's an impressive resume. We are so lucky to have the dean of all radio news broadcasters doing our news here, Bob Brown. Uh, He trumps anybody at 1010 WINS. He trumps anybody at 880 WCBS and any of the other pretenders. You know, WOR, Women's Only Radio. Come on. Bob Brown. And sometimes you hear him and you can really tell how good he is when he does the hour of news, Monday through Fridays, 5 a.m. to 6 in the morning. So we get a break from Frank Morano, you know, 
His, I'll call his, his is not a stream of consciousness. His, Bruce, is in fact an anal report because he's so anal about all the things he does. He probably uses double-ply uh, toilet paper on his tush, his tulkus, his dupa. You know, double-ply, a shaman. I, I, I wouldn't doubt Rachel probably has to chastise him. You know, now that we have uh, a baby, you know, a budget, we really got to conserve it. We really got to cut down. And I can just see, I could just see uh, Frank saying to Rachel, you know, when I go to stop and shop today, I got to get the two-ply toilet paper because I have a very sensitive tush, tuchus, dupa, charmin. You know, he gives it the double squeeze in the shop and stop aisle on Highland Boulevard. I want an apology from Frank Morano to the dean of all radio news broadcasters, Bob Brown. I'm going to give him over the weekend an opportunity to um, put aside his humongous ego and do what is right for the industry, for the newscasters, for this institution, for this iconic newscaster, Bob Brown. Six Emmy Awards, the Investigative Reporters Award. My God, this guy should have a Marconi Award by now or a Tesla Award because, you know, there's some of you out there, you insist. It wasn't Marconi who who, who invented the radio, right? Some of you out there. Oh, it wasn't Marconi, the Italian. It was Tesla, the Serbian, right? How many of you out there claim that it was Tesla? I'm not talking about Elon Musk's cars here. How many of you said that it was Tesla, the Serbian, who invented radio and not the supreme cuisine Italian Marconi, huh? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. <sighs> I had to deal with that. You can't be doing that in this business, especially uh, to somebody who has poured his life and soul into newscasting. We're not talking fake news here. Real news. Solid news. News that makes you want to think. The great Bob Brown here. We are blessed. We are honored to have him at the top of the news hour who joined ABC News in 1977. Frank Morano, you weren't even birthed. Uh, Bruce, uh, you can make a memo. I, I want Frank, when he returns, after we do the pet hour, as you know, every Sunday morning into Monday from 12 midnight to 1, uh, as I do uh, that hour with Nancy, and boy, do we have a lot of news coming up, especially we're going to do it. You know, the Pope who says to all of you, shame, shame, you should be having babies like Frank Murano and Rachel. You shouldn't have pets. I hate this uh, Pope Francis with a real passion, man. This guy, the bouncer in Buenos Aires, the guy who loved Che, not Jesus Christ. How the hell did he ever become uh, Pope, the Argentine, who says, make babies, don't have pets. Oh, we're going to get into that later on. But our numbers are 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I seem to have hit a chord of resonance. There is an eclectic number of callers here who have all different thoughts on their minds. So I don't want to delay. I don't want to continue to be bombastic, at your bone, dominate all the talk time. Let's go to Mike in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Mike. Hi, Curtis. When you were playing your soul music earlier, did you include the Shy Lights? Oh, the Shy Hold on. Slowly, Have you I... seen her in O-Girl? Yeah, oh, hold on. Slowly I turn. 
step by step, you mention one of my other favorite groups, the Shy Lights. And I'm scratching my brain and I'm saying here, oh yeah, I knew I had left somebody out. The Shy Lights. Absolutely great recall there. Oh girl. Yeah. Stoned out of my mind, like some of you listening right now. Remember Stoned Out of My Mind? Oh, it's coming back to me now. A lot of hits. Oh, and from Chi-Town itself, Chicago. Oh. That's oh, where the, Curtis Mayfield came from, too. Yeah, the, uh, the coldest day of my life. Remember that jam? The coldest day of my life. Oh, Curtis Mayfield. Naturally, he stole my name. You know, he culturally appropriated my name. Now, well, yeah. Do you remember how Curtis Mayfield met his demise? Do you, do you remember how Curtis Mayfield... Superfly TNT! Oh, yeah, he was crushed by a... a did a speaker fall on him? Good, good, good. Or something like that? Yeah, well, let me explain. I trace it, uh, I believe, to the former uh, Brooklyn Borough president who preceded Eric Adams, uh, Marty Markowitz, who was like... Uh, uh, an impresario, you know, he was like constantly putting on all kinds of shows as the Brooklyn Borough president. I think it was at Boys and Girls High School Football Field, which I played on one time, which uh, I believe was, oh, man, I'm really straining my brain now. Ooh, not far from the 79th Precinct, Crown Heights, you just got to keep going. Oh, oh, it'll come to me. It'll come. To me. Anyway, it's Waldorf. They had concerts there, free concerts, and it was Curtis Mayfield. He gets up on the stage, and out of nowhere, like this mini tornado touches down on the stage, and it uh, crumbles the light stanchion, and it hits Curtis Mayfield. He's in the middle of a rift, and he went into a coma. Then they had to induce him into an additional coma, and unfortunately, he never came out of it. God, he was was so good, Curtis Mayfield, so good. And by the way, he did culturally appropriate my name. You do know that, right, Mike? Oh, yeah. Oh, and uh, do you remember the the impression song, I'm So Proud? I'm so proud. I'm so proud. Yes, yes, yes. It's coming to me now. I'm so proud. Great song. Oh, all oh, oh, the memories are flowing. And you know, this, you know why this all came about tonight in my stream of consciousness? Because of Tony Orlando without Dawn, uh, played two stylistic jammies back to back and then topped it off with Luther Vandross. Oh, man, I, I'm, I got I to gotta compliment Tony Orlando, the Greek kid, you know, from who grew up on West 21st Street in Chelsea in the tenements and then went swimming in the Hudson River, which built up his immunity to COVID-19, uh, to Ebola, the flesh-eating virus. Because remember back then, Mike, in the 50s, they had the human flotsam and jetsam floating up and down the raw sewage, and that's what built up his immunity. Did you know that, Mike? That's what kept him strong, right? Yes, yeah, that's that. That's when uh, George Carlin, the same thing, the great comedian, would go swimming in the Hudson River where they actually poured raw sewage in there. And unbeknownst to everyone, they're swimming and, you know, there are little logs going up and down and obviously there's putrefied water. That built up their immunity. They didn't get polio from that. No, 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 no. They didn't get smallpox. They didn't need the vaccines. They didn't need the shots. They had swum through the flotsam and jetsam.
a large river building up their immunity. Yeah, didn't you know that about Tony Orlando, huh? without Dawn? I still never get the answer. Whatever happened to Dawn? Come on. I know he interviewed her a few weeks ago. I missed that show. <sighs> you know, there's some of these things you never really get answers to. I'm crestfallen. I, I, I'm never, I'll never be whole again without knowing what the hell happened at dawn. Oh, and I was so happy uh, that a caller there, Mike from Manhattan, brought up the shy lights. Have you seen her? Oh, girl, stoned out of my mind like a lot of you right now. You've had your edibles. Uh, you're doing puff, puff, pass. Or you've been banging it back to Jameson or your Brewski or your, your Ballantine beer, your Rheingold, your Schlitz, your Schaefer, or your Bohack beer. You know, the 99-cent beer uh, that you took off the shelf. You get a six-pack of that and you feel like a million bucks, right? No, it's going to eat the lining out of your stomach. 1-800-848-9222. The memories are flowing. Talk Radio 77. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. You can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Every time the sun goes down, I let you take control. Rescuer, animal rights activist, animal welfare persona. She'll be on tomorrow night with us, 12 midnight to 1, as we discuss all kinds of uh, pet issues, cats, dogs, all other kind of animals, including a lot of you, you love the pits, but they just came out with a report that it's the pit bulls. I call them the squareheads, you know, they're like Norwegian squareheads that are responsible for most of the people bitten in the five boroughs of the city of New York. We're going to have to talk about that later on, including, uh, wasn't Pope Francis named after St. Francis of Assisi? And he's saying to the flock, the few who remain in the church, make babies, don't have pets. That is a double disgraziata. That is a double shanta. And will we get an apology from Frank Morano to the dean of all radio broadcasters, Bob Brown? I doubt it. I doubt it. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, let's go back to the phones because there is a eclectic number of individuals out there who want to comment on a number of different issues. Let's go, if we can, Bruce, to uh, Tom in Westchester. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tom. Good morning, Curtis. Yes. Last hour you were asking who performed um, 
Betcha by golly, wow, and that was a stylistics tune. Ah, excellent, excellent, right? great recall. Right? What is it? There's a spark of magic in your eyes, right? Candyland appears each time you smile. Something like that. Let me tell you right? something, Tom. Betcha by golly, wow, if I, the one if, if, I, if I happen to have been uh, in transition... Going from my male persona, my testosterone to estrogen, and you were singing like that to me in a car. I get out of that car, I'd walk away, pal. My <laughs> God, listen. Could you please save that Great for song, your? No. Could you save that for your shower stall? You're no Perry Como, pal. <laughs> How well I know. <laughs> probably wear. Hey, you pro- you, pro- you probably wear a sweater up there in Westchester, like Perry Como, right? <laughs> I dig Perry Como too, man. He was oh, my good. mother Francesca loved Perry Como. Oh, that she she would swoon when Perry Como had his variety show on TV. He would always wear the sweater. And by the way, more trivia: Who moved from Pennsylvania, where he grew up, right near Perry Como, out to Long Island, where Perry Como resided? In order to stay within the shadow of Perry Como, very, very popular performer, had so many hits himself. And by the way, I saw him in performance. This guy played like, uh, must have been a dozen instruments, uh, not only singing. Uh, I'm going to throw that out to all of you. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But go ahead, Tom. Well, I'm going to guess. I, I don't know the answer to that, but uh, you said he played a lot of instruments. Was it? I mean, he doesn't sound like Perry at all. Was it Wayne Newton? Is that possible? Dunker Shane, Dunker Shane, Dunker Shane. No. No. Okay. So I, I want to recommend. I want to recommend something to you that you might like if you're not familiar with it. There's a. There's an album by Boz Skaggs. It was his second or third record from like 1971 or two. It's called Moments. And there's a song on there called Downright Woman. I think you would really dig it because it's got that sort of Philadelphia soul sheen on it. Uh, I hate Bob Boskags. I hate Boskags with a passion. You ruined this call, Tom. You are on a roll. I was such on an elevated mood level. I was high in the sky without... As the uh, Shy Lights used to say <laughs> in the classic way in that song, stoned out of my mind. I wasn't. But now, Tom, you have depressed me by bringing up Boz Skaggs. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go, if we can, to Chris in Bethpage. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Chris. Hey, Curtis. Um... Earlier tonight, I think you mentioned everybody plays the fool. And who did you say saying that? Everybody plays the fool. See, now you're asking me to remember what I said an hour ago. I can remember what I said 10 years ago. Uh, I think you you said the stylistics, but it wasn't. It was a group called The Main Ingredient. The Main Ingredient, that's right. Oh, that's another great jam group, The Main Ingredient. Now, what was their other big song? Can you name their other big song? The Main Ingredient. Uh, see, I'm going blank on The Main Ingredient now. I know they had some great jammies. Give that to me. I just don't want to be lonely. 
Uh, can I just you, don't want to be sing, Can you sing a few bars of that? I remember that now. It's regurgitating in my mindset. I kind of have COVID. It's going to be hard to sing, but no, no, it's no, like... No, do your best. I mean, look, it, it's right. got to be better than the Gavon who was on before from yeah. Westchester. I know. It was, uh, I'd rather be loved and needed to give a love I can't give when you're gone. I just don't want to be lonely. Yes, yes. Oh, yes, main ingredient. Oh, yeah. five-star top shelf. Now, you don't have to leave it in your shower stall, but I would suggest if you have an attic in your house, a basement, or a garage, that you can find <laughs> yourself there and sing that tune to yourself. Okay, I'll be nicer to you, Chris, than I was uh, before to that Gavone from Westchester. And I, and I got you another one, too. Oh. Who's saying... All right. Who sang, um, uh, wait, what the heck was the song? Uh, if you don't know me by now, you never, ever will know me. Right. If, if you don't know me by now, right. you right. will never, 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 never. And then the rest of the music. Ah, right. Okay. Was, you know, sang that? Oh, wow. See, I'm... I'm I'm suffering from a brain drain. You know what it is. All of a sudden, I was on the R&B roll. You saw I was on an R&B roll. Yeah, and then I loved it. All of a sudden, that woman in Westchester was talking about uh, Mid-Hudson Psychiatric and Wingnut, a.k.a. Wingdale. Right. And I started thinking Pilgrim State. It got me into a whole different mindset. Willowbrook. Oh, 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 who was that group then? But it was Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. Oh, Harold Melvin in the Blue Notes, and who is the star of Harold Melvin in the Blue Notes? Um, it wasn't Harold Melvin, that's for sure. Oh, geez, who was it? Because I could still see him singing. Oh, no, he did. Uh, excuse Teddy me? Teddy Pendergast? Was uh, it Teddy Pendergast? Teddy, Teddy Pendergast. Now, let me tell you, he was the star of Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. Right. He women in the audience would throw panties at him. They take on panties on the stage, not at Harold Melvin or the other Blue Notes, only at Teddy. And they'd be Teddy, Teddy, Teddy. The problem, you know, what the problem with Teddy was with all that adulation with all those groupies. Do you know what the problem with Teddy was, uh, Chris? He had an addiction, didn't he? Wasn't he in a car accident? Yes, Uh, he was. I think it was uh, what they call the main line outside of Philadelphia in the suburbs. Yeah. He's driving his Benz. Might have been a Beamer, but I think it was a Benz. And uh, he had a hot-to-trot woman next to him who turned out, again, not to be a woman, but somebody uh-huh. in transition. Right. And uh, she was orally fixating him while he was driving. Right. Caused him to have that moment of excitement. And then he crashed into a tree and he became a paraplegic. I know. Uh, know. What what should be the warning label on that? When you're driving a car, don't get orally fixated, right? I I practice that all the time. Believe me. Please. And don't... Don't do what uh, Joe Rogan said. You know, he said he's so flexible as a martial artist, bull feathers, Joe, that he could orally fixate himself because he can do a full split. Do you believe that nonsense? Right. No, not at all. And listen, I got one more. For oh, you. one, one more. more. Okay, I'm ready. I'm all ready. Right. All right. I'm thinking Let's Wingnut, see. Wingdale, Greystone, Pilgrim State. All right, I'm trying to get out of it. Go ahead. Go ahead. All right. 
Let's just kiss and say goodbye. Let's just kiss and say goodbye. Wow. How many times have I'll give I been... you, I'll give you a big hint. It's one of the boroughs. One of Named the after one of the boroughs. One of the boroughs. Okay. Uh, it's not Staten Island, okay? It's not Staten Island. No. That was Houdini. That was the rap crew. I saw them on the Staten Island Ferry when they were nobody performing for the tourists. Everybody went gaga Google for them, and you know the rest of their story. So it wouldn't be the Bronx. Right. It, it wouldn't be Manhattan. Yes, so I, the Manhattans. I, oh, it was. The Manhattans. Oh, I forgot about the Manhattans. Oh, my God. You're bringing it back. Why am I thinking about psychiatric facilities? They got me all off this. I was so on my game. Kiss and say goodbye. I, and then Shining Star, remember? Yeah, Shining, Shining Star, too. Star. Gonna, yeah. Oh. Oh. I got to get back. Curtis, I just had to call you because that was the best first 10 minutes I... It was great. It brought back all the great memories. You want to roll. Yeah, no, no, I am. And you see, the problem is when I digress, I get out of that roll. I mean, I was on that R&B roll, all the memories, good, bad, and indifferent, the good, bad, and the ugly were coming at me. It was like a rush. And then all of a sudden, that woman from Westchester doing all that great work (laughs) in providing mental health, talking about how she was dealing with an emotionally disturbed person. I think it was in Mount Vernon who had a rifle underneath the Castro convertible. (laughs) And then actually, I started going into my Looney Looney Kazuni from Parts Unknown mentality. Thank you. Thank you, Chris, for throwing me a lifeline and bringing me back. And Curtis, before I hang up, I'm just going to say one final thing. I want you to comment on it. You can get on Frank Morano for a lot of things, but the worst thing that he believes William Shatner is a great actor. That I don't know if you heard that. He and Sid are going at it. Oh, Sid thinks Shatner's oh, a horrible actor. He, Frank he kisses is, he Shatner. Is a, he is when it comes to a Shatner. He doesn't think that he killed his wife, tossed her in the pool. We all know, know. he did. We all know he I did. Know. He thinks that he is like an Academy Award-winning performer who's been denied an Academy Award. He thinks he's a good singer. Have you ever heard Shatner sing? He's horrible. Horrible. He's blinded. It's like a Saturday Night Live skit. Yeah, and, and let's face it. Shatner is a total jerk. He is a jerk. I don't like the guy. Frank kisses his tuchus. It's disgusting. Oh, it is. He loves the guy. The time. It's a form of idolatry. And you know what I think it is? Is that he looks at Shatner, Captain Kirk, and he says, that could be me, the captain of the Staten Island Express bus going down Highland Boulevard every day, right? <laughs> I know. I mean, I like Frank, but he's got a lot of nerdy side to him. He's yeah, yeah, no, no, he's a nerd. no, no. Let's face it. He went to Tottenville High School. He was a purple pirate there. Although he is, uh, he's quite a, he's quite a good baseball Athlete. player. You would be right. surprised. Oh, he's a good hitter, good fielder. And when he gets on the diamond, he goes nuts. He's like, he'll be in everyone's face. You know, he'll be right backing them all up. You know, if all of a sudden he's playing right third base. And then all of a sudden, uh, all of a sudden, let's say Joe Piscopo fields a ball at the pitcher's mound and throws it to the first baseman. You know who's backing up the first baseman? Frank Morano. And, and screaming at Joe Piscopo. Imagine screaming at Frank Sinatra saying, whoa, whoa, what did you do? Why did you throw it into right field? God. <laughs> 
He goes crazy on the diamond, although he's got a good glove. He's got good hand-eye coordination, and he's got a good bat, good bat speed. Yeah, I'll give him credit where credit is due, Chris. All right, he's just got to stop it with all the UFO talk and the Star Trek talk. Well, he's got well, to stop that. I got to tell you that. I actually enjoy that. UFO, unidentified flying objects. Uh, he does that so well because the other side of midnight is theater of the mind. And Frank Morano does that so well. Star Trek. I was never a Trekker. Uh, I was never into Star Wars. None of that stuff. You know, that wasn't me fighting with beams of light. You know, get out of here. You want to fight? Hey, let's fight the real way. Duke's up. But hey, I realize there's a huge audience out there. Huge audience. People live vicariously through these people, like Frank Morano. He's a Trekkie. There are people who live vicariously through Star Wars. Uh, with the new uh, Spider-Man picture out, it's like made over a billion dollars. People live vicariously through Spider-Man. People don't know. I lived in, in uh, Forest Hills for a while. That was the base for Spider-Man. And I sent to Marvel uh, a letter. This is before email and all that. I wrote it out. Handwritten, you know, because remember, I went to Catholic school. Uh, I may be a moron, but my printing is so good you could use it at the Department of Motor Vehicles eye chart for your eye exam because that's the one thing the, the nuns make sure you know how to print, block letters. So I wrote him a letter and I said, hey, look, there's only room for two superheroes in Forest Hills. It's me raising my two youngest sons and it's Spider-Man. And guess who left? <laughs> guess who left first? Spider-Man. And then guess who left following uh, in his shadow? Yours truly, Curtis Sliwa. But not for that reason, because I got kicked out of the house. Well, you know me, I get kicked to the curb all day. Think of all the people who've kicked me to the curb. There was the Jesuits at Brooklyn Prep shine their boots on my backside, 1972, my senior year. I never looked back. Richard Nixon before that, I think it was 68, Visiting the White House, I was the uh, newspaper boy of the year in the region. Uh, I said, I came all the way here for a cheap pen and a tie clip. Hey, Prez, uh, when are you getting us out of Vietnam, Southeast Asia? They felt that I was being too intrusive, too disrespectful, so they kicked me out. Yep. I get kicked out of a lot of places. I, I mean, that's part of my mantra. Uh Let's go, if we can, to Thomas, calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Tommy. Yes, sir. Good evening. How are you tonight? Okay. Let's get this straight. And I understand you don't have to do this for any other show here on WABC or WOR, Women's Only Radio, or AM 970, The Answer, or wherever you get your talk radio from. It should be here, the number one news talk station in the nation. But I have rules and regulations for callers. You don't ask me how I'm doing because my knee-jerk reaction every day is going to be, I've had better days, because that is true. Kabish Tom, Kabish Tom, do you understand? Yeah, <laughs> I, I just wanted to ask you a question here. Do you? I, I thought for quite a while there, because everything was smaller, of course, then, that uh, we only had one project in the neighborhood. But then, you know, I said Brookline. Is that still considered it? Uh, yeah, well, you mean you're talking Canarsie. Right. All right, so 108th and Flatlands, that's the uh, low-rise housing complex. 
Uh, and then two Bayview, floors, yeah. right? And then Bayview, that's the high rises. That's over on Seven exit floors, eight floors. Right, exit thirteen. I, lived, I had one and one. That's right. That's because right. My, but the uh, well, I had, my my grandparents they had had two blocks before there, and before the place was even built. And that's but my parents. But when I moved in that basement, with my parents, they moved to Bayview, and I worked in that newsstand all night, and we had the best of everything. Yeah, Bay, Bayview. Trucks. Right, Bayview was a much better. They weren't housing. the ones though. Right, but. but Bayview was a much better housing project. Some of the infamous and famous people who uh, were raised there. Uh, oh yeah. The CEO of Starbucks. Uh, Al, no, Al, I don't. Excuse no. me. No, I don't know, but I know I went to two people's bar mitzvahs in there. Yeah, no, no. a lot of Jewish families at the time. Uh, Al Roker, the weather guy, he lived there for a while. Uh, James wow, Sally, yeah. James Sally, the great NBA uh, basketball player, he lived there for yes, a while. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, he was, that wasn't a ghost building, though, was it? Yeah, and you know who used to babysit for him? Who? I don't know. The head of Starbucks. I see. You don't know the oh, guy's wow. name. You don't know the guy. Oh, no, but I, I did, I did drive somebody when I wor- worked for Pocono Cable one time. I drove somebody that was a CAO for that, and they were um, saying everybody wants Starbucks. Everybody, I did that for a while because we had the best car service in the neighborhood too. But anyway, it's it, twenty dollar tipper, nice. Wow, I had to be best. him re- returning to his roots. Now, my uncle Ralphie, he used to drive livery cab uh, right outside of Rockaway Parkway Station, last stop of the LL Lousy Line, Canarsie. Uh He would be One there. Of the best pizza. Yep, yep, right. And uh, he used to, on occasion, uh, get a call uh, to drive. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, to mm-hmm. drive Joe Pepitone when he played for the Yankees in '64, '65, from Ralph Avenue where he was living, across from the Glenwood Housing Projects, which are right there on Ralph and Flatwoods, uh, Flatlands. Uh, and wow, take '56. That's right, and take them all the way. All the way to uh, Yankee Stadium and talk Yankee baseball with Joe Pepitone. That was great. Oh, God. The memories are flowing. Now, remember, Joe Pepitone was a Yankee. The guy who ran on the conservative party against me got nothing, like like 1% of the vote. Uh, that was Bill Pepitone. He, 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 not ready for prime time. Hey, you don't come after Curtis Lee. But Fernando Mateo learned that in the Republican primary, right? I crushed him. Come on. You guys, you're attacking me. You should be attacking Eric Adams, who had a heads-on advantage in the general election. And they all came piling on to me. Hey, I can deal with that. Two-on-one, three-on-one, four-on-one. Bring it on. I'll take a beatdown because if you're going to give a beatdown, you have to learn to take a beatdown. Anybody who says they've never been a victim of a beatdown, then there's no way that they gave beatdowns. That's, that, that's the law of the streets. Take a beatdown, give a beatdown. That's the way it is. Come on. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to uh, Pisher in Brooklyn. Are you a Pisher or is that Pesci? Yeah, it's a Heshi. It's not a Pisher. Oh, Heshi. Uh, hey, uh, Shabbat is over. You can call yeah, us right. on the you phone. You keep uh, me up, I know. Hey, but I you, know. you're so entertaining that it's just hard to thank fall you, asleep while you. you're talking. Thank you, Heshi. Uh, you know, I guess the moral of the story that you were telling with the car is, I guess, when you're in the car, the only thing you should blow is your horn. Um, but um, getting back to what you... Uh, <laughs> Very I good, Heshi. Did you ever get, fancy yourself that maybe you could have been in a different life of Borscht Belt a comedian? 
Uh, no, not at all. <laughs> you got a good but, sense but, of humor there. But I, I, you know, uh, we, we go back a little bit. Um, last time we spoke was in Coney Island uh, when uh, Cat Cimitides was uh, in the Maimonides Park, and we were talking when you were running for mayor. Um, we had a conversation. Um, but anyways, uh, I think it was Paul Anker that followed uh, Como all over, uh, Perry Como. Yeah, no, 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 Wasn't Paul Anka? Correct me if I'm wrong, Paul Anka. Or Bobby Vinton. Ah, that's it. The Polish, uh, the Polish uh, young man who in Pennsylvania, and again, ladies and gentlemen, we need the answers. What town uh, did Bobby Vinton grow up in that was also the town that produced Perry Como? Perry Como becomes a star first, wears his sweaters on Variety TV. I think it was CBS. I could be wrong. My mother's favorite. Moves all the way to Long Island. We're in Long Island. Did Perry Como move? And Bobby Vinton, who so fashioned himself after Perry Como, he also, it was a form of idolatry, said, I got to move and be near Perry Como. Do you have any idea, Heshi? No, I don't. No, but you got Bobby Vinton. Oh, Paul Anker, right? Paul Anker, he's yeah. a Canadian, right? Canadian. Oh, uh, Canada, right. he's right. a hosehead. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Bobby Vinton started very young also when okay. he was, uh, I think he was a kid, uh, when he was an entertainer. Um, I saw him, him up in a talent show. I saw him perform uh, for Margot Katsimatidi's birthday a while back. Oh. He had his own little band. You know, I think his son was in the band, his daughter. But he ended up in the t- the time. He did a, like, two-and-a-half-hour show, all of his great classics, and he played every instrument. He was incredible. Yeah. Every instrument. And the guy has to be in his 80s. He's dancing, he's prancing, he's not telling stories. You can tell when artists are getting a little bit up in years, they need to catch their breath, so they tell a series yeah. uh, of stories, which gives them a, a chance to sort of recompose themselves. He didn't do any of that. He was just like a whirling dervish, playing horns, playing uh, uh, wind uh, instruments, you name it. He's clarinets. He played it all. Bobby Vinton, the Polish prince. Right. All right. Oh, appreciate that. Appreciate that, Heshi. Uh, Heshi, uh, he couldn't go to sleep, you know, davening all day, going to shul synagogue because it was Shabbat. Friday night, you know, he's stirring the empire kosher chicken. That's right, you know, preparing, lighting the Shabbat candles. And I'm keeping him up all night. And this is good. This is good. Because remember, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, there'll be plenty of time to sleep when you're dead. I mean, think about it. What else do you get to do? They find that you're dead. They can't revive you. They try all different things, especially, can you imagine some guy with garlic breath puts his mouth on your mouth and tries to resuscitate you? And I think instinctively you're saying at that point, you get your freaking lips off my lips. Your, your breath stinks, right? At least, you know, use something like uh, some kind of breath freshener. Do something uh, like some kind of peppermint. And the guy's giving you mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, trying to keep you alive. The guy has smelly breath. Uh, it doesn't work anyway because the guy's just pounding on your chest, taking out his frustrations. You know, anger management's like beating you down on your chest. Hey, pal, uh, you're breaking this woman's ribs. You know, that's not the way to resuscitate him. So, unfortunately, she doesn't survive. And you know something? You sleep. You're like fishes sleeping in Jamaica Bay. So, I mean, milk every second, every moment you can out of life. Lie them because guess what? When you're dead, you're dead.
and all you do is sleep. And if you happen to be a Gentile, they put their half shoes on you, the half suit. Uh, you go, you know, you're, you're viewing the body at, at the wake. You say, oh, he's never looked better. She's never looked better. Oh, my God, this mortician. Outstanding. I wonder if they could uh, do me up a little bit uh, in life. They're amazing with the makeup. They're, right, they're, they're chatting like male and female yentas. Oh, uh, look at Phil. He's never looked better here, right? He's got half shoes, a half suit on. They close the casket. Meantime, they're cursing him up a storm, you know, in the outer room. You know, Phil, he was a real cheapskate. He didn't treat his kids well at all. But, oh, look at him. He looks like a million bucks in the casket, right? Come on, how many of you say that all the time? It's like a knee-jerk reaction. The other thing about Frank Morano, his eccentricities. I don't know if you know this, Bruce. Frank Morano, in his demolition derby reject, his car that he drives around. By the way, the floorboards have rotted out. So when he's got to stop at a red light because he hasn't been able to change the brakes, you know what it's like when you have a kid. He, he puts his uh, feet down to the ground like Fred and Barney. Uh, remember Fred and Barney from the Flintstones? That's how they stop their vehicle. Uh, so that's the kind of car he drives. If he sees that there's a funeral parlor, he doesn't even know the people. He stops at the funeral parlor. He walks in there. He takes one of the mass cards. He sits there. He doesn't dive in, obviously. He says a prayer. I don't know what prayer he says. Maybe the Lord's Prayer. And people were saying to themselves, who the hell is this guy? We don't know. He's not related in our family. You think he worked with Sal? You think he worked with uh, Sally? Well, and he'll spend like a half hour there. And I think he's a mooch, a real mooch, because he's always there for the free coffee, you know, the watered-down coffee in the back, you know, that's being percolated, and the crumb cake. And he acts like he knows this person. Yeah, next time, ask him, call him up and say, Frank. Why do you stop at funeral parlors to go to wakes of people you don't even know and then act like you're part of the family, like you're a co-worker, uh, like you're a friend, just so that you can schnore the coffee and the percolator in the back and, and the uh, crumb cake, you know, the Entenmann's crumb cake? I'm telling you, the guy's a real mooch. Oh, by the way, another trivia question. You didn't get it last night. What is a chooch? What is a chooch? Because a lot of you callers are real chooches. There's no doubt about it. 1-800-848-9222. Frank Morano is a chooch. 1-800-848-WABC. There are a lot of other chooches here at WABC. That guy who comes on at 12 noon, what is he, like all at 12 years old? What was Charlie Kirk? He, he does that back pain relief, uh, you know, relief for pain. He's like 22 years old, 12 years old, I don't know. And he has back pain. I'm supposed to believe that. Joe Piscopo, yes. Larry Elder, yes. Dr. Kevorkian, what is his name, that guy? Dr. Gorka, whatever. Uh, you know, pain relief, back relief, whatever. I, I get that. But Charlie Kirk has back pain at like 18 years old. The kid still uses Clearasil, right? He can't even shave yet. He's got back pain. Come on. Stop pulling my chain and pulling my shorts. Chewing my shorts. Except, excuse me. I, I, I missed that one, all right? 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Gail in Somerville. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gail. Curtis, there's two two issues that I want to address quickly, and that is going back to you saying that they kick you to the curb all the time. 
Well, I heard you on Dr. Lederman's show, and I think you're the star because you tell it like it is for the guys that are listening to you, and you have a lot of men that are listening to you. So this is a real, um, it's a real plug for them. And that is, um, I don't know how many of them have heard you on Dr. Lederman, but but they need to listen to Dr. Lederman and hear Curtis Sleewall on on that show because you were brilliant and you were, I mean, you just tell it like it is and you let everybody know. I think it's incredible. Yeah, I I take it as a personal crusade. Um, I was diagnosed with stage four um, prostate cancer. Yes, I remember the story. I I remember I was going to the green the green, I'm trying to remember in what town in New Jersey. You know, every town in New Jersey has a plaque up like George Washington slept in the house. That, that's the biggest bogus scam I've ever seen. It would have been impossible for George Washington to sleep in all the houses, you know, going up to Palisades Parkway, Rockland County, Westchester, all of New Jersey. But anyway, it was in the town green. Uh, it was one of the initial um, gatherings uh of uh, the tea party, and I was a speaker there, and I remember I found a restaurant. I had to go because you have urges to go and you can't go, and I remember I was in the stall, and I passed out. I banged my head, uh, ended up with a big knot on my head. Uh, the guy who take took me there was wondering, gee, where's Curtis? He comes in. They found me, uh, like, laying on the floor. I could barely get up. I was stung God. I still went and gave the speech. You know me. Uh, I wasn't going to give up an opportunity uh, to get some uh, lens time, uh, some mic time. Uh, Of course. But then I went to the proctologist. You know, he had the Playtex gloves on. It was time to do a little uh, squat and bend. Uh, But what I should have been doing all along, uh, and I didn't do because this is what most men do. They don't get a PSA test. It's a simple blood test. They prick your finger. Uh, and then you'll know. It doesn't necessarily mean if you have a high count that you need to have some kind of operation or some kind of therapy done for your prostate cancer to be sort of uh, sedated. But I made a major mistake. I had the robotic surgery. I didn't listen to Dr. Gil Lederman. I should have. And uh, I became impotent, incontinent, having to wear depends. They never tell you about that. They just do the surgery. And then when you wake up, all of a sudden, they give you a PSA test. I say, hey, doc, how come you're giving me a PSA test? And he goes, you know, Curtis, you never know. You never know. Yeah, but that's not if Dr. Lederman works on you. That's when the surgeons work yes, on Yes, yes. I should have gone to Dr. Lederman. But, you know, other people were saying, no, 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 you got to get it cut out now. If you get it cut out, uh, there's no chance that it will ever come back. And quite frankly, it could still, because it could have metastasized in bone or another organ and been playing rope-a-dope hiding, you know, from sure. the MRI, yeah. for, from other tests that they give you. Uh, worst mistake I made in my life, Kale, other than getting married so many times. Well, you're so honest, Curtis. I mean, I don't think anybody's willing to tell it like it is, like you do. And I just think, you know, you, you should win a gold medal. I really do for for telling men about Dr. Lederman and whatever. And, this and is how what much, I want. This you know, the main thing that, that I don't like about the name radio surgery, people think that it is surgery when they go to him, but it's not, you know.
Yeah, no, no, no. I'll, I'll discuss that with Dr. Lederman. I go there once a, a month. He gives me my vitamin B12 shots, which I need because I get depleted from vitamin B. But, you know, it is, uh, it is so interesting. Men, uh, the moment you mention prostate cancer, it doesn't matter. They could be six foot eight, you know, 280 pounds, uh, a brick house, and they shrink. They get, they get scared. I've seen men get scared. They don't even want to discuss the prospect of being diagnosed with prostate cancer and the various therapies. Women, on the other hand, very open, out and about about, let's say, breast cancer awareness. They speak about it publicly, privately. They warn other females, including males. There's a small percentage of males who actually come down with breast cancer. That's the other untold story. But obviously, more men come down with prostate cancer. But they don't talk about it. They don't share the stories. They don't share information. Uh, they refer to a doctor. The doctor, you get steered to the doctor. Uh, the chief uh, nurse is there telling you, oh, you're in God's hands. You know, there's certain patients there. Oh, this is the best doctor. Meantime, you never ask the doctor. How many people of your patients are no longer here? Can I see your track record? Can I see the lineup card? What a mistake that I made. And I want to make sure. And it's not just the guys, but gals out there. Make sure you get on your men's case to get that PSA. Be yentas. Be nagging. Get your PSA. And don't trust them telling you, oh, I had my PSA test because they're cacarounds, they're liars. They don't want to find out if they have prostate cancer. You go in there. You tell the attending physician, I want to see you prick my old man's finger. I want to see you do the PSA test. Selena Gomez, but it's a good riff. It's a good riff. I give credit where credit is due. And many of you, like myself, you have an eclectic uh, taste for different styles of music, as long as, as long as it's good. It's got to be good. You don't just listen to it to listen to it. Because, you know, you're into rap, you're into heavy metal, you're into EDM like I am, electronic dance music, R&B. You know, you can listen to a lot of different styles of music as long as it's good, as long as there's a groove to the beat, as long as you can be standing in front of that that speaker with the woofer and tweeters and you see the vibration, the vibratory pattern, and you're saying, yeah, 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 I get it. I can put the groove to that move. I can glide and stride. I can get on that dance floor and like a whirling dervish, dance for hours and hours and hours and hours on end to this beat as it just loops and loops and loops. Good, 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 Bruce. Yeah, keep hitting it. There are a lot of guys and gals and those who are going through transformation who are leaving the clubs. Raising the roof, not wearing masks, not socially distancing, saying, you know what? It is what it is, but I'm going to party hardy. I'm going to party hardy. A lot of the clubs closed. 
a lot of the socializing has gone kaput. Oh, they got the after-hours clubs. They're booming. And uh, I know their locations, but I'm not going to drop dime on them because, you know, the sheriffs are just going to come in and padlock them and probably put the owners and operators in the poorhouse because all they're looking for is revenue. All they're looking for is revenue. These are mostly young huckleberries that are at these clubs. It's not like people like myself, you know, who are over 65, who have an array of preconditions. Uh, look, you want to put an end to this pandemic and lockdown? You got to say to people like myself, hey, uh, you're an outtakake here. You got all these preconditions. Stay at home. <laughs> They'll never keep me at home. But that's really what they should be doing. You know, like they did in Wuhan initially. When the red Chinese actually came with plywood, two-by-fours, dragged the people, threw them into their meager apartments, and nailed the doors and windows shut. That's what you should have to do to us out the cockers. We are the ones most likely to succumb to whether it's coronavirus, whether it's COVID-19, the red Chinese virus, the South African variant, Delta, the Indian variant, whatever other in, uh, variant comes down the pipe. It's like, let people live their life. We are restricting young people. We are restricting middle-aged people. Young huckleberries out there. I know I, I generally uh, show no empathy or sympathy to them, but I know what it was like growing up. Enough of this. If you're going to bust anybody's stones, you come for people like me, like a lot of our listeners, 65 plus with preconditions. You, you put us in lockdown. You know, it's like we're in solitary confinement anyway if you live in a bad neighborhood because shots are being fired outside. Oh, don't put the thugs in the thug. That's in solitary confinement. It's an abuse of their rights. But everybody who's a potential crime victim, especially the Altacontas, they basically have to put bars on their windows, locks on their do- doors, and turn Fifi from the French poodle friend of men and women into King the Pitbull Terrier killer of men and women, right? That's freaking solitary confinement, and nobody gives a damn about the old Altacockers stuck in their apartments while bullets are flying outside. Nah, nah, they never do. Just some young tough, some young thug. Oh, they're in Rikers Island. Oh, they're in preventative detention. They're in solitary confinement. What the hell do you think Punk City is? Protective custody. That's solitary confinement to protect you from the inmates. Uh, <laughs> yeah, please, CEO. Put me in Punk City. Protective custody. Solitary confinement. Nobody ever talks about that. Because they've never been locked up. I've been locked up 76 times all over this country. Come on. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I walked into Rikers, one of these elected officials said, and I was introduced to defecation education. Somebody threw a pail of manure at me. <laughs> oh, test me out. I might be toxic. I might have Ebola, the flesh-eating virus. Stop this. Bunch of wusses. God. Oh, we want to make sure prisoners aren't in solitary confinement. And hey, what about all the old people who are stuck in their apartments because they can't go outside because they're afraid of getting lead poisoning, never mind a shot, to fight off coronavirus? Anyway, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. A stream of consciousness is in full effect here. Let's go to Bill uh, down in Philadelphia. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Billy. 
Hey, good morning, Curtis. I've been listening to you for years. It's the first time I've ever talked to you. Uh, you were, were partially right about the Philadelphia groups, except there is still a uh, group with uh, Russell Tompkins Jr., the stylistics. He's the only original member. He owns the name of the group because uh, his buddy uh, is the brother-in-law of my late girlfriend. Ah, so what are there? Uh, two surviving original members or only one of the stylistics? There's one. Uh, he's the uh, he's t- tours, and I was told when uh, when I was going with her that uh, he came over to he goes over to see his buddy Barry every once in a while. His name is Russell. And he's the owns the name of the group, but that, he's the only original member. Yeah, but they and still they still they, they still go on tour, right? With um... yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Delphonics, but not as much because he's older now. Uh, the Delphonics are a Philadelphia group, too. And then, remember, there was the great song, I'll Always Love My Mama, She's My Baby Girl. I believe the Intruders. That, right, the Intruders. I think they're from Philadelphia, too, right? Yes, they are. And one of the members of that group, I forgot his name, but he committed suicide. He oh. jumped uh, into a railroad uh, uh, siding. Oh, God. I forgot his name. God, you know, that... Uh, now, uh, the accident that Teddy Pendergrass had took place right in the city. It took place in the northwest section oh. of Germantown. Germantown. On Lincoln Drive. <laughs> Lincoln Drive is a very treacherous road. It connects uh, I-76. So it was... It was not in uh, the main line area. It was actually... Uh, no, it was right in the city, northwest sections, which is Mount Airy, Germantown. Yes. Now, now was I correct? Lincoln Drive. Uh, Lincoln Drive, I've driven on it. It's a very treacherous road. It follows the uh, course of the Wissahickon Creek. Yeah, but remember, am I am I correct on the other details? He was driving a Benz, brand-new Benz. Yeah. He, yeah, he had yeah. what everybody thought was a drop dead gorgeous uh, girl next to him, this although transsexual, right? Transsexual yeah. who was orally fixating him at the time that caused him to That's lose true. control of the wheel and crash and become a paraplegic. But well, he denied that uh, because he was an ordained minister. He claimed he was ordained as a minister when he was only 12 years old. No, I wouldn't doubt it. Uh, you know, Al Slim Shady Sharpton was ordained. He was on tour with uh, James Brown. Got to answer my pants yeah. and I need to dance. Hot pants. Uh, but uh, Teddy Pendergrass is dead now. He died a few years ago. He was in a wheelchair the rest of his life. But Bill, at the top of his performance, both with Harold Melvin in the Blue Notes and then solo. Yeah. This guy. on his own. Dozens of women would be in his performance. He'd fill up stadiums, the old spectrum there in Philly. At the the concerts, they'd throw teddy bears. Right, uh, teddy bears uh, and and their bloomers, and their bloomers, and their thongs. And the the guy, I mean, speaking of Philadelphia, oh, we got to get to it momentarily. But the Philadelphia sound was a very preeminent sound during the 70s. Yes. Yes. There were a lot of Philadelphia groups that were on the top ten. Yeah, no, no, no. That, that was prime time for Philly. 
You're talking about smoking Joe Frazier, based in Philly. You're talking about Rocky Stallone, the whole. I mean, that was really Philadelphia's prime time. The Broad Street Bullies, you, you know, the Philadelphia Flyers in hockey. Yeah, they won the Stanley Cup in uh, 74. I remember that. Yeah, and then Schmidt and Pete Rose uh, on the Phillies, you know, with that stupid AstroTurf uh, at Veterans Stadium. Oh, man, those were the... The cl- stadium is gone now. It's uh, Lincoln Financial Field. Yeah, but uh, you see, Lincoln is so much better. The old Veterans Stadium, they had that artificial turf. The ball would bounce in the outfield, and it would bounce right into the stands. Ha! <laughs> That's right, Schmidt at third base. Pete Rose in the outfield. What a great ball player, Pete Rose. How, how, they, how, how on a day like today? Think about that. They've authenticated online gambling with the apps. The four different groups, FanDuel, Caesar, all those rip-off artists. Uh, you can now have an app in New York State and do online gambling. You don't have to slip over to Jersey in order to do that. A day like this in which professional sports are embracing gambling, the NCAA embracing gambling, and they're keeping Pete Rose out of baseball, the only guy ever to get 4,000 hits was not born to be an athlete. If anything, you would have thought Pete Rose from uh, Cincinnati over the Rhine Vine Street, a natty boy, would have been a bowler, right? He might have been in the PBA, Professional Bowling Association, you know, with Chris Schenkel. Remember Chris Schenkel would say, okay, now lining up. He gets a spare. It's over. He needs a strike. Or he's not going on to Kalamazoo. Remember how... Whoa! Ha! My microphone got excited because I was talking sparkle ball, the Polish-American national sport. How many great bowlers were Polish? But they'd always go on a tour, these out of, out of like Muskegon, Michigan. Uh, Chris Shank would say, next week we'll be in Muskegon, uh, Michigan at the Brunswick Lanes. And then after that, Kalamazoo. All these towns that you couldn't find on a map. But it was all part of the professional bowlers. Chris Shankle here. He's lining it up. Yes, he must. He must get two strikes in a row or it's over. Then it's on to Davenport, Iowa. They never went to major cities right as part of the PBA tour. Am I right or wrong? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Is this not a stream of consciousness? All of a sudden, out of nowhere, we're talking sparkle ball, bowling, the Polish-American national sport. There's probably a, uh, got to be a bowling hall of fame. If, if anyway, you would put it right in Erie County, right near Buffalo, uh, Chictawana, uh, Tonawanda, you know, you'd have to put it there. I mean, when I was in Buffalo, oh, man. There's so many bowling leagues. This is when the plants were operational. This is when it was an industrial complex area. Man, they had bowling leads 24 hours a day. 24 hours a day. I hate bowling. Yeah, I know. I know I'm part Polish. But I really, I really hate bowling. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I asked originally in this hour... Actually, before we came into this hour, what a chooch is. A chooch. 
And it seems that so many of you have been straining your brain to figure out what a chooch is. But we'll we'll give some of you an opportunity to win the Curtis Lee Booby Prize. Don't ask, don't tell. Remember, I'm so cheap, I throw nickels around like manhole covers. If you happen to get the answer, I will hermetically seal an envelope with my belly button lint in it. I will put, like, uh, maybe a yard of scotch tape around it and then send it to you, COD, cash on delivery. Because if you're a sucker to participate, then you're a sucker to have to pay for the package. Upon reception from the USPS, United States Postal Service, where they deliver rain, snow, sleet, no, or shine. Yes. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Gina in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gina. Hi, Curtis. Uh, If you send me that belly button dust, I'm going to sing Return to Sender. Oh, so you're not going to pay the COD charge. No way, honey. Listen, a chooch is a, a donkey. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and, and, your, and your call screener asked me if I know how to spell it. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you know how to spell chooch? Yeah. It's Italian. It's C-I-U-C-O. Ah, good. Chucho. Good. And in mm-hmm. fact, from now on, you can call Dominic Carter a chooch. Uh, and he'll have oh, no. He'll, do that. he'll have no, no idea what you. Oh no, because he loves uh, the song Dominic, the Christmas uh, donkey. He loves that song. <laughs> I have a question for you. You brought up Curtis Mayfield, remember? Oh, Curtis Mayfield. And he, can you tell he, me the he, song that he wrote that the Chambers Brothers sang that was uh, influential in the civil rights movement in the sixties? Oh, wow. This is a real blast from the past. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking Superfly TNT. I know that wasn't it. Uh, mm. what, what song was that? People Get Red. Wow. Curtis Mayfield. Remember the Chambers Brothers? I mean, you did talk about the Fillmore East a yes, couple of weeks yes. back. I was, not, I was not a fan of the Chambers Brothers. I got to be honest with you, Gina. Uh, that was well, not on my hit did- parade list. They did a good job with that song, and you bringing that, you, you know, being that you brought up Curtis Mayfield, I, it it brought back memories. No, no, no. Curtis Mayfield was great, but I ask another question. There's another artiste out there who culturally appropriated my name. That's right. Long before he was birthed, I was the only Curtis in the five boroughs of the city of New York, and then he came along and he acted like he was the only Curtis ever to exist in this plane, in this world, on this globe, and this earth. Who is that person, ladies and gentlemen, who culturally appropriated my name? And why is it that most Curtises in the world, most Curtises, tend to be African-American? It's an English name, Curtis, you know, coming out of merry old England. Why is it that nine out of every ten Curtises are African-American, leaving the other lone Curtis to be a Caucasoid, a snow bro, a Caucasian persuasion. Our number is one 800 That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Thomas in Canarsie. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Tommy. Okay, two subjects. I was either thinking Chucharil or Cuisine, you know, but that goes back to the days when I drove for Piero Mandero before they took the Kobe and after they took the Kobe away. Okay. Let me ask you something. Yeah, 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 ask me, hey, ask me. 
Oh, and music, by the way, I, I've got a signed autograph to Tom Long Life by the Tavares in 34th and oh. Quentin Fantasy Island. The and Tavares. Here goes another one. Oh, the Tavares. Yes. Right. yes. Oh, so great the and, music. And play the, play the song. Play the song called Wait for Me by Slave. That's Wait great. for Me by Look. Slave. Now, you're asking a yeah. lot from our uh, record library here. Wait for Me. No, no, it's not a lot. It's not a lot. Watch, do you think as veterans we should have our own three-car train on the tracks? Oh. I'm looking at Greenwood, but black and brown. It's with the porcelain, of course, and the propellers, you know, and all that stuff, because we could shoot a move in the process maybe, no? Yeah, you know something? Uh, I, don't know I, if you, I don't know if you're aware, Thomas, tomorrow I'm... is the last run of the old Q train leaving the Brighton Beach Station up to 96. These are the old cars, the old Q cars. Uh, they're going uh, oh, to Davy Jones's uh, locker. You know, they're going to uh, act as natural reefs, probably off North Carolina. We could use it off the Rockaways. Oh, boy. Uh, as long as they've got the R ones, you know, those are good. I don't yeah. care for the round windows, though. They, they got on my nerves. They, they, why did they get on your nerves there, Tommy? Oh, I don't know. Maybe it's not that I had the initiation with, with three of us, four of us on the train that got off before Willie and Sammy and Alberto and them, and, and they're swiggering around the poles in the Bronx that night coming. I was getting, oh, shit, what am I going to do? <laughs> so that I got my, you know, on that, that's where I got my initiation on that number four up there. Yep, yep, the Muggers Express, that's the number it. four. You're absolutely right. That was good, but those were the days. Nobody... <laughs> Well, one little thing, what was it, sex pistols or something? There was one or two of them just standing there looking. All right, stand up against the door, that's it. Yeah, well, you know, you sex pistols, whist- CBGBs, you know, all those freaky-deaky times. Yeah, the, the whistles, whatever, coming back from the ball one time, there was 200 of us, there was a fight, whatever, and by the time the guy disappeared on his tracks, I don't know what happened, and everybody went back on the train. You know what happened? Came up. He was starting to get into it. What? what? Was, he a, was he a two-legged rat? No, no, I think it's a Jamaican guy. Hey, look. Hey, rats are not exclusive to Italians or Jews or Irish. You know, they're all kind of rats, two-legged rats, four-legged rats. In fact, oh yeah, they come in all kinds. I looked down on the all tracks kind of. to show you uh, how much garbage there is in the uh, city subway system. About 472 stations. Uh, you look yeah. down in the tracks, yeah. garbage there. Uh, the MTA, money-taking agency, they only want to take your money. They don't clean the system. And as a result of all the garbage, you see the rats, uh, they're doing the tarantella, the, ho- the horror up on the platform, by the garbage cans, up near the uh, token booth clerk. And by the way, why do they have token booth clerks if they don't sell tokens anymore? Oh, wow. I don't know, but the, why did they destroy Union Square? You know, I saw that cowboy, you know, I used to go through at that oh, age. Oh, yeah, cowboy. I was and riding Mays. up the huts in the Dobbs Ferry. Yeah, remember Mays. Remains. I wasn't home alone, though, either. I had 300 in a private school up there. Uh, now, you used to take Metro North up to Dobbs Ferry. Was that, on the, was that on the line that would, unless you went further up, would take you to Wingnut, a.k.a. Wingdale? I never heard of that one, but you pass uh, Croton and uh, on the Hudson. Yeah, Croton. Pass, uh, I'm pretty sure. Uh, Marble pretty Hill. Sure. I'm sure, pretty sure. Oh, 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 oh. One twenty-fifth. All that. All that. Oh, <laughs> you've been making me laugh tonight, too, boy. I tell you, you've been getting me. You've been God. making me laugh. What? 
Tom, yeah. I know, I hey, know, look, I as, took as veterans seriously. I, I know, veterans. I know, I know, but I know I took Metro North up to Wingdale, aka Wingnut, this empty, huge psychiatric facility near oh. the Hudson River, where it's separated from Connecticut yeah, yeah. and New York State. I'm almost positive it's on that line. I don't want to talk to that stuff, but, you know, you got to look at the finer things in life. You know what I mean? No, no, Now no, you no. made me lose my chain of thought. You're well, of course. Stuff, I, right? I, I digress. Look, I lost I, it I early understand. on. I, I lost it early hey, on, you know, Tom. Joined the club. I was on a roll with R&B. I was uh, uh, sort reminiscing, you know, the good times, sometimes the bad times. And then all of a sudden, that woman from Westchester who was like a Florence Nightingale, a mental health, was talking about how she did outreach into people's homes who had severe mental health issues, including the guy, remember, in Mount Vernon that she was tending to who had a loaded rifle under his Castro convertible. That's how crazed oh. he was. And yet she was there. She she didn't blink. She didn't retreat. She didn't surrender. She didn't run. And then all of a sudden, I started thinking, Wingdale, a.k.a. Wingnut, Pilgrim State, Kings Park, Greystone in New Jersey. It all started flooding back to me. Kirby, uh, the psychiatric uh, facility for the criminally insane on Randall's Island. It all came back to me Whoa. in a flood of consciousness, Tommy. <sighs> Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Now, I'm going to do a solid here to Mike. You see, Mike, uh, we already got the answer from uh, Gina in Brooklyn. But, hey, uh, let's go to Mike calling from New Rochelle. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Mike. So you got the answer for the chooch. It's an Italian donkey. But do you know when to use the term chooch? Uh, you know, like if you see an eight-year-old Italian boy that looks like Dom DeLuise riding a <laughs> tricycle designed for a three-year-old girl, <laughs> that's a chooch. <laughs> uh, now, you should know what a chooch is because you used to work with one. Oh. His name was Frankie. You can't say his name on the air anymore. You got to point to your your ass yeah, or your yeah, stomach no, when you refer true. to him. That's true. That's true. Uh, but let me ask you a question. Um, it would be appropriate to call Dominic Carter a chooch because he loves uh, the song Dominic the Christmas Donkey. He likes that. I think he would find that endearing. Uh, Frank Morano, definitely a chooch, no doubt about it. Uh, no question that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, I like the fact that you straightened me out, Mike. You really put it in perspective. In fact, could you describe what you did, theater of the mind, of what a real chooch looks like? Describe it again, Mike. It looks like an eight-year-old Italian kid who, who looks like Dom DeLuise riding a, 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 a tricycle designed for a three-year-old girl. That's a chooch. Oh, such great edification, Mike. I'm telling you, you really connected all the dots on that. If ever people had doubts about the meaning of chooch and what a chooch looks like in real life, you just you just painted that picture. I, that, that's, that's the best thing I, scenario I could come up with. That's oh, Buddy, that, my parrot, saying that, hello. Oh, a parrot. How long have you had Buddy? Eleven years. I'm training him to, sh to crap on Catholic New Yorkers. I got a nice picture of the Pope here who's against pets, and that's all I got is two parrots. We, so. uh, Mikey, we're going to be delving into that in the next hour. What a disgraziata, what a shanda. 
Yeah, the, the Pope is basically telling you, Mike, you should be fornicating and copulating and creating unwanted children in the world, but you shouldn't have pets. Yeah, and, and, and all the aggravation i got to put up with from a woman, too. I don't need it. i oh. got enough from these two guys. That's right. And do they actually talk yet? Do they actually talk? They talk a lot. Now, do they talk it's, like you or do they talk like me since they listen on the radio? They talk like chipmunks, like Alvin and the chipmunks. <laughs> they repeat everything back the same way that the chipmunks sound like. Oh, there, there, there they are. There they are. Now, is it male He's or female? Now. Are they male it's or female? All, they're males. Okay. Because what? the girls are hard to, to tolerate. No, well, like, like women in life, right? Well, they get egg-bound, and they have different hormones and needs, and I found that the males just kind of go with the flow better. Now, let me it's ask it. you a question, Mike, about the parrots. Uh, uh, how often do they poop? About every 15 minutes. All right, so every 15. Now, if they don't have elimination in 15 minutes, does that signal to you that there may be a, um, a obstruction, that there may be uh, some kind of a problem internally? No, I think it's just because they haven't eaten anything and they haven't, you know, they haven't anything to, to poop out. Do you let them fly around your house? No, I keep their wings clipped. Oh, you and keep it clipped. They're more tame that way. They're I more, see. you know, easier to handle. I see. And how long have you been uh, raising parrots? About 11, 12 years now. Wow. And you've had previous parrots, right? Well, these I started with one, and I ended up with three. So that's what we got, we got now. Wow, wow. And, and out of the three, which was the best one? You could, you could tell us. They can't hear you. Or maybe they can, obviously. Uh, you may not want to. Cookie. Cookie's Cookie. probably the best because uh, he's quiet. Oh. But so he doesn't he doesn't talk clear like the other two. He's a different species. So Cookie is like assassin. He's a clown. He jumps around, he hops around, dances, boogies. He doesn't know he's a parrot. He thinks he's every other animal but a parrot. He hops around like a kangaroo, purrs like a kitten. So uh, he can get jiggy. Yes. He's a very entertaining. He's known as a uh, He's a kaique. It's spelled C-A-I-Q-U-E. And they're known as the clowns of the parrot world. And they're very entertaining. Well, you know, I only wish I had known your parrot because all during the campaign, as you know, running for mayor, every second word out of my critic's mouth was, He's just a clown. Don't pay him no <laughs> mind. He's a clown. And I, you know what I would tell them, Mike? I would tell the reporters, because the reporters have no sense of humor. I would say, if you're going to call me a clown, call me the greatest clown of all time, Pagliacci. That, that guy wish he had an ounce of your talent. Yeah, but you know, you, you know something? To hold an audience. I, I'd have, like, on occasion, like, maybe ten reporters would finally show up, you know, to let everybody know another person was running for mayor. And I would say, uh, and they would all start, well, you're just a clown, right? I'd say, well, I'm Pagliacci. They had no idea who Pagliacci was. No, not, no idea, Mike. I know who Pagliacci was. <sighs> He's the guy you replaced on Saturday and Friday. <laughs> no, actually, if you ask... My Kumbaricic, Rudy Giuliani, who loves opera, loves opera. Ah, I, I, I could leave it. Look, I, uh, I remember I used to be forced to listen to opera. I think it was on the New York Times uh, station on the FM dial. Uh, if any of you opera aficionados know, because every Saturday afternoon, my grandfather, Nick, 
Fidel Bianchino, Bares, he had to listen to the opera, you know, from, uh, I don't think it was actually being broadcast from Lincoln Center at that time. Trying to remember where it was from. I was young. I was a young Huckleberry. Remember, I was born in 54. So we'd be at my grandfather, grandmother's house, Fidel and Nicoletta Bianchino, and they had a, everything had to stop. You know, they had the Nutaccia de Cafe, Ubisquet. They had the little Medaglia d'Oro. My grandmother, who was educated in Nicoletta, had just finished reading Il Progresso and letting uh, her husband, my grandfather, Fidel Bianchino, know what was going on in the old country because he couldn't read or write. And then they would say, oh, oh, the opera's on. The New York Times, I think it was an FM station, I think. Every Saturday afternoon. Can people help me revive those memories? Because I remember my grandfather saying how when he came to America, he wanted to go see Enrico Caruso perform when he was coming into New York City. Obviously, he didn't have the money or the wherewithal to do that. But he was like in love with Enrico Caruso. He would listen to those old vinyl. The old vinyl of Enrico Caruso with oh, scratch, scratch, scratch. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I need answers. I know you're opera aficionados out there. I know. You're at Lincoln Center. Well, some of the few who still go, you know, on an annual basis. You got to let me know. If I'm on track in what I remember listening to as a kid at the knees of my grandfather Fidel and my grandmother Nicoletta Bianchino, 1-800-848-9222. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Barry Manilow. I want to go back to Lola. Was the Lola he was referring to in the Copacabana song? Was it Lola Falana? I think Lola Falana used to appear on the Dean Martin Variety Show. I, I, I stand to be corrected out there. But just like I asked, whatever happened to Dawn, to Tony Orlando and Dawn? Whatever happened to that drop-dead gorgeous dancer performer, Lola Falana? An ebony princess. Whatever happened to Lola Falana out there? Come on. I know some of you must know. What shows did she appear on? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Enough, enough, please. Barry Manilow, you're getting me nauseous here, Bruce. Although, in its final origin before they padlocked it, at the time of... uh, the COVID and the lockdown. I had a guardian angel headquarters uh, in the midst of the crack cocaine epidemic in the uh, 80s. There was right on uh, 46th uh, and 8th Avenue. Probably many of you saw it as you were walking by, going to Restaurant Row or the theaters or going further west. We were on the second floor above a triple X rated uh, porno palace. By the way, the interesting thing in Times Square is if you went into any of those triple X rated theaters or wherever they sold uh, uh, the materials uh, for pleasurizing uh, or the magazines or you went in and you popped in in the buddy booth with your quarter there and you were personally entertained, whatever your predilection was, 
almost inevitably the vendors there were Sri Lankans. Why the hell the only people that worked in those porno palaces were Sri Lankans, a.k.a. from Ceylon? And they all looked to me like they were... Like they were the people in uh, Sri Lanka, a.k.a. Ceylon, who uh, created the suicide bombers. Yes, the suicide bombers did not come about uh, from Al-Qaeda or ISIS or any of those other terrorist organizations or the old PLO uh, or the PLA. None of those. Uh, The actual first suicide bombers were involved in the Civil War in uh, Sri Lanka, a.k.a. Ceylon, you know, where they grew all the tea, and at times were at war with India. And they actually ended up killing the son of the Prime Minister, Indira Gandhi. You see, I'm giving you so many uh, hints now at this trivia. Who were the first suicide bombers? They were not from the Middle East. They were not from the Persian Gulf. They were from Sri Lanka and Ceylon. And a nonstop battle, a civil war that went on for years and years. And, I mean, these these folks, boy, they would just strap on those suicide bombs and obliterate themselves and whoever else they could take with them up to, I think they were Hindus. I would think that they were Hindus. But maybe somebody out there, somebody who listens to NPR can shed some light on that. That would seem to be like a perfect NPR story, the local affiliate being WNYC, not my place to be. As we continue on with our stream of consciousness, I also uh, asked the question of what became of the great journalist uh, Victor Rossell. Muckraker extraordinaire, went after the mob, went after the rackets, went after crooked politicians to the point where they threw uh, acid in his face, destroying his eyesight. He took a licking. He didn't stop ticking. He continued to write his column for the New York Post. He was on Channel 5 Metro Media at night. Remember when the advisory was, it's 10 o'clock. Do you know where your husband uh, is with which Gumana? And then, uh, of course... Uh, he was on WEVD radio, Eugene V. Debs radio, the socialist radio station. Great show. I was interviewed there one time. Brilliant. Just a brilliant uh, person doing interviews. He actually listened to what you had to say instead of what some of my colleagues here at WABC do is thinking about what, a, what the next question is that they're going to ask, which is not good radio. one 800 Oh, I can see the trivia lines have slowed down here, Bruce. I've been throwing out a number of questions out there, and they've sort of like hit the brick wall. You know, because we're, we're starting to get closer to the typical Frank Morano audience, the Jadrules, the knuckle draggers there. You know, like the guy the other day. I, I, I'll never forget it. You know, in that $1,000 scam that he does in the 4 o'clock hour, you know, guess 10 answers uh, in uh, 1 minute, 60 seconds, and you make $1,000. My quantum I. And he asked the question, uh, what city is the uh, Empire State Building in? And the Jadrul said, oh, Albany. And then Frank said, no, no, you're wrong. And then the guy cursed out Frank and dropped the F-bomb. Those are his typical listeners. You know, so I have to accept them. They're, they're sort of... What can I call them? 
untouchables, and I don't mean Elliot Ness, Roger Stack, uh, since we're talking India, Sri Lanka, Ceylon, the untouchables there are the lowest of the low class uh, in their uh, system in which, uh, you know, there's the pecking order. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Gino, who's calling from all the way upstate in New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gino. Curtis, how are you? Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. You spoiled it, Gino. I was on a roll, a stream of consciousness. I was riffing in all different directions, suffering from a little attention deficit disorder, ADD. But uh, that's what happens. That's why all of a sudden I, uh, I, I, uh, I digress. But then you ask me how am I doing, and this is for everybody else out there. Please clean the wax out of your ears. Not the way Frank Morano did it one time on his show, The Other Side of Midnight, with a paperclip. Talk about a gavon, a paperclip. But, Gino, you ask me how I'm doing, and I'm going to say I've had better days. Hey, Kabish, Kabish, Gino. Uh, I want to just say. Okay. My father loves you. We used to listen to you on our slip down from Orange County to the Hunts Point Produce Market. Oh. I used to be a wholesaler. I used to buy vegetables there and deliver to restaurants and schools. And they used to sit in that truck and just listen to you all morning. All morning. He loved you. Let me ask you a question. Uh, what time did you have to get up in order to get to the Hunts Point Market in time? Uh, 2 o'clock. Wow, 2 o'clock. Now, on your way there. On your way there, as you were sort of queuing up with all the trucks coming in from uh, uh, mostly down south and along the northeast corridor, yeah, right. and sometimes the Midwest, uh, right. did the happy hookers ever start banging on your car window? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and just keep going. <laughs> and you see, because yeah. you were with your daddy there, you had to be careful, no, no, right? No, 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 no. That would never happen. No, I no. know, but let's face it. It was good. That was a good insurance policy that your daddy was there. So you wouldn't end up doing the nasty, nasty and the naughty, naughty. No, it never happened. Never happened. He was a good man. He loved you, Curtis. And you're, you're a terrific guy. Thank keep, you. You keep me up every night. I'm up all night long listening to you. Just oh. this morning. Yeah, because this is, this, is, this, morning. this is high adrenaline. This it's is the like best. You got I, the best show. I put the best. everything into it, Gino. I don't leave anything uh, on the table. It's like if the stream of consciousness, I can go in any direction at any moment. All of a sudden, it just takes one word to trigger me off. I know. You're the best. Thank you. Thank anyway, you. Yes. talking about the opera, the opera. I used to listen to that opera with my grandfather when I was a little kid. Uh, he used to bring out the old Philco or whatever the hell it was. Yeah, yeah, the Philco radio, the Philco radio. Right, 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 afternoon. And uh, do you remember the station? Because I could have swore. The, W-O-R, W-O-R. I W-O-R, but I remember the one, and I may be incorrect, but it was actually the New York Times station that played the opera on Saturday afternoons. Yeah, could have been. And, and uh, your your uh, grandfather was totally into it, right? Oh, yeah, he was from Italy. My father was born in Italy. And uh, Now, which part of Italy? Which part of Italy, Gene? My, uh, Naples. Ischia, uh, the island of Ischia. Ischia. Uh, na, Napolitano. Napolitano. So how come uh, you in fruits and vegetables, you didn't become a hairstylist like everybody else who's Napolitano? Well, I'll tell you, all my, my grandfather has four brothers. And they were all barbers. See? My grandfather was even a barber. My, my, my grandfather, he was a tailor. He worked for Christian Dior. He, he made uh, women's uh, clothing and uh, wedding gowns. Now, do you know where the latest group of hairstylists come from? 
Albania, probably. No, 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 that, that's not really it. They're, they're taking over all the pizza parlors, them and the Macedonians, yeah. and they still they have the, the Avenue, right, they still yeah. have the Italian flags up there, you know, they're pretend yeah, they're Italians. It's a make-believe, yeah. The newest hairstylists that are all over, yeah. uh, not far from the country that has major problems there now, Kazakhstan, it's Uzbekistan, okay. and they come from Tashkent. Really? Uzbekistan, the Central Asian Republicans, uh, most of them are Jews who have fled what was the old Soviet Union. Mm. And they have set up hairstyling salons, barbershops, all over the place. Yeah, yeah. I, they are the equivalent oh, of the that. Napolitanos. Yeah. All my cousins were barbers. I have cousins who became uh, very wealthy, owning their own barbershops. They, they came here from Italy. And they started their own businesses, and I'm familiar yesterday. By, by the way, uh, your grandfather, when he was listening to what you believe was WOR on the Philco radio. I think, I'm not sure. No, no, it's okay. W-O-R. So we all stand to be corrected, but uh, yeah. listening on Saturday afternoons, I remember Saturday listening yep. with my uh, grandfather and grandmother, Fidel and Nicoletta Bianchino from Bari. Yep. Uh, yep. At, at times, they would do the opera, The Barbara of Seville. Uh-huh. <laughs> Think of that, the barber of Seville. Now, Seville, if I remember correctly, is in Spain. Uh, Spain, right. Right. They, they didn't produce any barbers in Spain. Uh, no. Why wasn't it the barber of Napolitano? Huh? That's it. Napolitano, right? Well, now, the barbers of Uzbekistan, a.k.a. Tashkent. Yeah, isn't that something? My God, what's going on? Oh, I don't know, man. Okay, well, I appreciate that, Gino. And all those uh, days you slept there to the Hunts Point. From uh, Orange County. I moved up here. I'm I'm, 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 I'm about 15 minutes from Lake Geo. I'm not really in Lake Geo. So if, I, if I tell you where it's from, nobody would know where it is anyway. It's in Gansvort, New York. Gansvort? Oh, yeah, Gansvort. I've been to Gansvort. In fact, uh, really? most really? of the time I spent in Orange County, because I only get invited to all the worst places, was the Camden on the Hudson, Newburgh. Oh, Newburgh, yeah. <laughs> See, right away, you're like, oh, Newburgh. Newburgh. Huh? To, all my friends were from Newburgh when I lived in Orange. They're all dead now. Nobody's alive. Right, all along Broadway. And I always ask all the question, Broadway, how come areas, every yeah. gas station up there is a Sitco gas station that used to be owned by uh, Hugo Chavez from Venezuela? <laughs> Did you ever ask yourself that? Every gas station on Broadway in Newburgh is a yeah. Sitco station. Yep. Unbelievable. Anyway, thank you. Thank you, Gino, for the memories. We're like halfway there. Gino thinks that he was listening on the old Philco radio with his grandfather, the opera on WOR, Women's Only Radio. I don't think that's it. I believe it was the New York Times-owned station. It would make sense, you know, because they're so haughty at the New York Times. It would make sense that they would probably be doing opera on Saturday afternoons that my grandfather Fidel and my grandmother Nicoletta would listen to religiously again. They'd have the little medaglia d'oro Italian coffee, nutaccia uh, de cafe, a little biscuit. This is right after my grandmother Nicoletta, who could read, who could write. She came from a wealthy family, uh, would read Il Progresso to my grandfather Fidel, who could not read, could not write, uh, and tell him all the news that was going on in the old country. Uh, interesting story. The only reason that my grandfather married my grandmother, Nicoletta, because he was poor and impoverished and she was wealthy, is he kidnapped her. 
Oh, yeah, he would come and he would sing underneath her balcony. He was a very good singer, very good dancer, just like my Uncle Vincenzo. Uh, he used to be, do ballroom dancing. My grandfather, he would have a little handkerchief around his uh, neck. He would serenade Nicoletta. He would dance down there, and she became all mesmerized. At one time with some of his cousins, he brought a stepladder, and they took Nicoletta down, and they went into the mountains. And naturally, Nicoletta's father, a man of wealth, uh, brought out a posse of vigilantes. If they had found my grandfather, Nick, uh, Fidel Bianchino, they would have hung him, drawn and quartered him. And when they eventually found them, they were huddled in a wine barrel. They were living in a wine barrel in the deep recesses of the, of the mountains uh, near Andrea. And the problem was, Nicoletta was now pregnant. The father was perplexed. What does he do? He couldn't kill Fidel Bianchino because Fidel was the father of Nicoletta's first child. He had to accept it. As much as he hated it, as much as he viewed it as a class struggle. Why, Nicoletta? We gave you such a good education. You had the best of everything in Andrea. Why would you be with this street urchin? This guy who wore a handkerchief around his neck would sing and would dance, and uh, let's face it, he must have been a player back then. I don't think it was only Nicoletta he was serenading, but he got lucky with Nicoletta, right? Got lucky with Nicoletta. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Dave in Long Island, who seems to have an answer of the many trivia questions that I've thrown out there. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Dave. Curtis. Yeah, I'm, I'm the mailman helping to delay the mail. I, I called you yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I do my part. Seven more years, I retire with a very small pension. I'll probably get a double wide on the Gulf. I, I want I say that first to all my listeners here, or the Curtis's listeners. If you don't think you can stay in Long Island and you're outpriced, you can always do a double wide on the Gulf. Yeah, double wide body. You know, you know, he used to live in a double wide body and do his broadcast from Pahrump, Nevada. Who? Oh. The Looney Kazuni from Parts Unknown, Art Bell. Art Bell oh, used to do right. overnight radio from a double wide body that's trailer right. in Pahrump, Nevada. Uh, <laughs> you know, he had a predilection uh, to chase Filipino uh, women, uh, unfortunately, some of them who are underage. Uh, uh, but yeah. he was actually out there, and now it's a one-traffic-stop town that was right near the Mustang Ranch, you know, where prostitution <laughs> was legal. I, I lived out there for a while, back in the 80s. Now, now let me yeah. ask you a question. Why is it you can go to Vegas, like I was riffing about, you know, when I saw all of a sudden, oh, on yeah. the billboard, oh, my God. Oh, oh. <laughs> And I wanted to come back because if he got another facelift, uh, his face was going to snap. I can't even say his name now. It, it perplexes me so much. Oh, yeah, the casino guy, the guy that ran the casinos back then? No, 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 oh, no, he no, had no not him. Uh, Steve Wynn, you mean. Steve Wynn uh, or Rothman. Right, Roth, right. No, 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 no. Not back then. Uh, Steve Wynn, he's like over in Macau now. He's site challenged. I covered to David Patterson. But uh, I digress momentarily. Wow. Yeah. So we're talking about... Uh, your profession as a United States Postal Service employee who delivers the mail, correct? 
Well, yeah, I, I'm a TTO, tractor-trailer operator. I, I come in early in the morning, and I deliver the mail to the towns. Now, I let me ask you a question. I uh, work. I get paid for eight. Yeah. How, how many years have you been doing this? I came in late, about three years. I was uh, I worked for UPS before. I'm a tractor-trailer driver, okay. Teamster, aerospace machinist. I'm a union trucker, old union trucker. Came into the post office late. Would you say that a lot of the mail in the bundles that you deliver is junk mail? I always say to my wife, my wife says, not a bad choice. She went with the post office. She got six more years to go. I'll be 65 then. Uh, she goes, not a bad job, right? I said, no, it's a good good job, you know, just for delivering junk mail. Mm, true. And your, your number one supporter, because we share the same audience, is, in fact, Frank Morano, who believes in the U.S. Postal Service, yep. who writes snail mail. He's always writing mail. He always is running around getting the stamps to put on it. What's the <laughs> stamp now, like $5? Uh, I don't. I don't even know. No, I mean, wait, wait, uh, wait. You deliver the U.S. Postal <laughs> Service mail, and you don't even know what the price of a stamp is. Now, you know, I I say to everybody, I say to all the millennials and and um, and my girls, my daughters who are millennials, I said, listen, get your bills sent. Get something sent in the mail. Uh, either it's a rifle magazine or, or better homes and gardens. Uh, because that supports the post office. If if you keep doing things online, you know what I'm saying. You're going to bring it down. Not only that. There's something in them. Yeah. But if, in fact, you subscribe to the um, uh, Publisher's House Clearance that sells all those magazines by a subscription, who is it that might knock right. on your door of late and give you a check, certified check for a million dollars? Who is it that knocks on doors now? Uh, who was it that knocks on doors? Uh, yeah, it used to be right Dick Clark, right? He did that for a while. And then yeah. Ed McMahon, Ed McMahon. Who, Ed McMahon, that's what right. I remember, the who, pub, uh, uh, publishing warehouse or whatever. Right. Who is the guy who comes to your door, unbeknownst to you, <laughs> as you're half in the bag, you know, waiting to get your first uh, cup of Sanka Instant Coffee, the worst coffee ever made? Sanka. That's right. And then they bang on your door and they got cameras outside and you're, you're in your schmata, your hair is undone, you got the, <laughs> yeah. the, the hair curlers in, and then all of a sudden who's they say, guess what? Who, I don't know. Who's you that just sequest? made a million dollars, publishers clearinghouse. Yeah, who is that now? I don't, I don't know. You ought to know. This is your business, pal. This is your business. This is why yeah. you can work three hours a day driving an 18-wheel tractor trailer uh, get and get eight paid. hours paid, right? Yeah. God. Yep. Is that, it's guys like Frank Morano who keep you in business. <laughs> he even sends postcards. Who the hell sends postcards anymore? Yeah, I mean, I think of Christmas it. cards. Yeah, I know, but it, that's in an envelope. Frank Morano will send a postcard <laughs> yeah. in which he writes yeah. his autobiography on the back of a postcard. <laughs> it's like the whole world can read that. The bundle blesses, you know, when it's going on uh, the the assembly line uh, uh, belt, uh, you know, and they're blessing the yeah. bundles in the back of the place that you bring the mail. Uh, they they probably yeah. stop. They stop the assembly line, you know, and say, "Hey, some guy filled out a postcard. Some some Jadru here, some Schmendrick," and they start reading the postcard <laughs> and laughing to one another. Right? 
That's right. That's why postcards end up really late because they're just passing it around the office, having a good laugh. Right. Would you tell Frank Morano that the king of writing postcards? I've seen him. He has the old uh, pen. Remember the pen uh, that you used to have the little cartridges put in so that you? It's yeah, like sure. the, the 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 ink you would have from an inkwell. He has one of those. It's a, a really a famous brand. They don't really make them any longer. I think it was uh, a, uh, a previous radio fan who bequeathed that to him because most of his listeners are like 90 years old and over, so at any moment yeah. they could be yeah. bequeathing things. And he handwrites out a postcard, and then he runs out of space on one side, and he writes on the front of the postcard, which this is what crazy people do, right? That's annoying. I know, but he does that, and, and he, he feels relieved because whatever was on his mind, he writes on the back of a postcard and then the remaining <laughs> items on the front of it, and he wonders why the postcard never gets to its destination. Right. Would you tell – he's probably listening right now taking care of uh, young Carmine, who's now 18 pounds and probably regurgitating. Oh. Could you explain to Frank <laughs> what happens to his postcards when they get to the post office? I would say, Frank, listen, uh, save the money on the postcard because they just look at them, read them. They know all about you, and then they toss it in the waste paper basket. Yep. yep. You see, now he, uh, when I, I never gets to their destination. When I told him that, oh, no, you just don't like the post office. I said, Frank, just write your, your you know, get a, a piece of loose leaf paper. Put at the top, JMJ, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, and put a margin on the side (laughs) like we did in Catholic school. And you could either use print or script. It doesn't matter. Write your letter. It could be four pages, five pages. Stick it in an envelope. Lick the back of the envelope. Cut your tongue. He's always cutting his tongue and always complaining because of that. Put your stamp on it because he's always walking around with a book of stamps in his pocket. And then mail it, and it'll, it, it, nobody will know what you wrote, and it will get to your destination. Maybe a month later, right. two months later, but it will eventually get there. Right, Dave? <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know what? Before I tell you who I think the terrorists are, you know what I love to do sometimes when I'm not doing anything at work? I walk around the, the nose of a trailer, which is 53 feet long, for those listeners. 53 foot is a trailer. I walk around the nose – and I, I go, oh, look at all this mail laying on the ground in the mud. I pick it up. I clean it off. This is no lie. I pick it up. I clean off the best I can, and, I, and then I mail it. Or I put it in another envelope, and I mail it to the person. I actually help people get their mail that probably would never have gotten there oh, otherwise. So, so no. well, now, the other thing, and I've never yeah. quite figured it out, and it's not just relegated to USPS. It's uh, UPS. It's FedEx. It's other delivery services. Story after story of delivery guys, whether they're delivering in bulk in trucks or they're hand delivering, who hoard all the mail or the boxes, dump it in a ravine or put it in their garage or their basement or the attic and never never deliver it. That's true, though, right? I never – I would never do that to felony. You go to jail for that. I I know, but – I, I don't know what it is that triggers them to not deliver it at all, to just hoard it, store it, and then think that nobody's yeah. ever going to find out. Yeah, they, 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 
I don't know. But I'll tell you this. If for, for anybody out there worrying about the post office really going out of business, which goes all the way back to Rome, you know. Rome, you know that, Curtis. Rome built the first post office. I did not know that, Dave. You're educating me. Uh, Rome, this is under Julius Caesar? Uh, Maybe before, maybe uh, 150 years, maybe after Christ. So who who would that have? Who was the guy that built Rome? He built all the aqueducts and... uh, Aquaferis, his name was, or know, this is good. This is good. We're, we're getting into. Yeah, a... he built. He built the first. Where they, actually, Rome had the first post office. Uh, you know, uh, sewage and all that. They, yeah, this is uh, they, this is good. This is a little History Channel stuff here. You're really yeah. kicking it here, Dave. For a yeah, guy, and the mail was delivered on time. Never late. Yeah, a, for a guy who uh, only works three hours of an eight-hour day driving a tractor trailer. Uh, you know, bringing the mail to Depot. Uh, you got a lot of time on your hands to do this kind of research, Dave. Yeah. Well, anyway, I just want to say this. You know, the post office will never go out of business. And oh, I'm on my way to work right now. I, I can just imagine my boss saying, Dave, come here for a second. I, I, I listen to 770 AM. Can I talk to you for a second? <laughs> <laughs> I might be going back to UPS. But, uh, <laughs> and then, wait, now yeah. explain this. I have never understood how you could take grown men with gnarly knees, put them in the brown uniform that makes them look like Le Migre, Immigration and Naturalization Service officers, and make them wear shorty shorts. What the hell is it at UPS? It's almost like uh, 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 Cub Scout and Boy Scout uh, pack leaders, you know, they got gnarly knees, they got bellies hanging over, you know, their belt, and they're dressed yeah. up like a Boy Scout with shorty shorts on. Yeah, right. Yeah, I used to get written up for wearing, I used to wear white socks with my brown shorts. They said to me, they called me one day and said, listen, you're going to be looking for another job. But, what, what, Dave, but, uh, did they ever explain to you why you have to wear shorts? Are they pervs? Uh, do they like looking at men's legs? What is it? <laughs> I mean, think about it. I don't know. You don't see know, that. No you don't see that. that. Uh, you don't see that Federal X, uh, FedEx. You don't see that DHL. You don't see that U.S. Postal Service. Why is it that UPS, the Brownies, make guys yeah. who... Quite frankly, uh, if they were wearing long pants, they would look like uh, they're out of shape uh, and out of their minds. Right. To wear those shorty shorts like like they do Cub Masters and Boy Scout uh, troop leaders <laughs> do, right? And I think they, they're above the knee, too, which is the worst pair of shorts a man can wear, oh, the ones yeah. above the knee. Yeah, but what 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 is the facile purpose of that? Oh, wow, facile purpose. That's a $5 word there. Uh, yeah, the cognoscente the out there, you know, the NPR people say, oh, he knows the term facile. He probably, that was probably just a slip of the lip. <laughs> I'm telling you, Dave, I'm going to get to the bottom of this. If it's the last thing I do to 6 o'clock in the morning, which is to figure out why, why? people... Working at UPS, men and women are forced to wear shorts. It could be 40 degrees below zero, and they have to wear shorts. I think whoever devised this strategy of pervs, they just like to look at men's men's legs, right? It's like Cub Scout leaders, Boy Scout leaders, right? 
they're wearing these shorty shorts. They're like 450 pounds. You know, their stomach is hanging over their belt. They're wearing the Boy Scout paraphernalia and all that. It's like, why don't you just wear long pants, pal? And you're showing off these gnarly, scarred-up knees that have knots all over it. Uh, the optics are really bad. Maybe somebody, please, somebody can explain that to me. Because apparently it's not in the UPS handbook with all the part-time workers, full-time workers, and, of course, Dave there, who works three hours driving a tractor-trailer that probably mostly has mail being uh, sent out, you know, snail mail by Frank Morano, one of the few adherents of doing it old-school way. And gets paid for eight. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Summer madness, winter sadness, the original Cool in the Gang, Papa Bell and all the other bells from Jersey City, I think the Evergreen section, unfortunately became followers of Elijah Muhammad, the Nation of Islam, and Screwy Louis Farrakhan, so we broke company, but boy, they had some really good jams, really good jams. And I'm thinking to myself that the stream of consciousness aided and abetted by attention deficit disorder, which I have ADD, that causes me to digress from time to time, has taken us in the early morning hours in a number of different directions. And we're taking you to 6 o'clock. And then guess what's so nice? I get to do it for the third time since... uh, Friday night to Saturday morning, two hours against the aggressive progressive, Chris Hahn, three to five, and then I come back from nine to one with a special hour from 12 to one, the most listened to of all the hours that I do on the weekends, about a total of 22, ABC standing for always broadcasting Curtis, with my lovely wife Nancy, the animal rescuer, animal welfare animal rights advocate as we talk about every conceivable animal issue from 12 noon to 1. And then I have to hand it off to the uh, Mamaluke uh, Frank Morano at 1. Anyway, let's go back to the phones and to Alex, who's calling all the way from Newark Airport. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Alex. Morning, Curtis. How are you? Oh, Alex, why do you ask, uh, how am I doing? You know, I, I would tell you uh, I've had better days, but since you've been waiting so long, I'll give you some, I'll give you some slack. Okay, Alex, Kabish. Kabish. All right. The, uh, the psychiatrist, I believe, was Peter Bogdanovich. Yes. Yes, Peter he Bogdanovich. He just recently passed away. That's right. And what do you best know Peter Bogdanovich for? Little movie called The Last Picture Show. It's been a long time since I saw that. Right, right. He was, um, I think we could be kind to him and say that he was quite the eccentric um, director uh, of many things. He was known for always snacking on whoever had the lead female role. 
That's one oh, thing really? I'll, I'll never forget. It's like, I think he was uh, snacking on the Playmate of the Year, Dorothy Stratton. Uh, and that was in the all left, if my memory serves me uh, well. And then she was shot dead by her estranged husband, who knew that she was fooling around with the director, Bogdanovich. Then he went out and he married Stratton's younger sister, Louise Stratton, who was 30 years his junior, probably like Nancy is to me, although I still don't know her age. Uh, But anyway, Alex, are you at Newark Airport because you're hot-wiring cars in the long-term parking lot or short-term parking lot? Uh, No, just uh, I'm inside the airport, just working the overnight shift. Let me ask you a question because they've come out with a survey and they say that Newark Airport has the worst service, uh, the most flight delays leaving, the most flight delays coming back. Why do you think that is? Um, I think it's mostly because of the airlines. And uh, right now it really has to do with COVID, uh, just to be honest with you. Employees being sick, being out of work, you know, there's only so much people could do, the terminals. Now, speaking of the terminals, uh, when I normally fly out of Newark Airport, you know, I'll take a New Jersey Transit in and then switch over to that monorail. My God, where did they find those Tonka toy trains that are part of the monorail that take you from the New Jersey Transit Station to the various terminals in Newark? I've never seen uh, cars so small, so tiny, so minuscule. Well, they're all getting replaced, believe it or not. You know, we're building a whole new terminal here at Newark, so they're going to replace that monorail altogether. You see, this is probably before your time. Uh, how old are you, Alex? 47. All right, 47. Probably is before your time. Oh, maybe not. I used to frequent the North Terminal. You know where that is? Uh, where the uh, the cargo areas are? Yeah, it used to be the place you would catch your people distress flights. Uh, it was called yeah. People Express. Uh, they look no, like. Dad, yeah, go ahead. My dad used to tell me about that. My dad used to, uh, when he first came to the United States, he uh, used to tell me that he used to take People Express out of Newark and uh, he used to be able to smoke on the flights and he used to pay right for the ticket right on the, on the inside the plane. Yep. In fact, like uh, we nicknamed it People Distress. They were all brown airlines. They look like they could have been UPS planes, you know, like they are in the cargo container areas. Yeah. People distressed. Now, remember, the pilot would fly the plane. Then he'd put it on autopilot, and he'd be pushing the car through with the generic peanuts and the CNC cola. They had low-budget cola. And you would turn to the pilot and say, shouldn't you be up there in the cockpit? He said, don't worry about it. I got it on autopilot. For nineteen ninety nine, Alex, you could fly from the North Terminal in Newark to Birmingham, Alabama, one way, 1999, or Norfolk, Virginia, 1999, Buffalo, New York, 1999. Wow. Now, this is the problem. Uh, Like the Chinese buses, the Shanghai Shek buses that you catch in Chinatown on Mott Street, you pay almost nothing to get on a Chinese bus to go to Philadelphia, Baltimore, Washington, Norfolk, you know, right on down the Northeast Carter. But it only leaves when the bus is filled up, so you could be waiting for hours. People distress. Sometimes you would be waiting there a half a day, a day, sometimes two days before your flight arrived. Yeah. 
Uh, history, I believe people express eventually Caborada uh, became continental, which really doesn't exist anymore. Yes, yes, I, I believe you're correct. And do you remember the old World Airways? World Airways. Yes, I remember them, yeah. I, oh, I, 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 I rem- I've heard of them, yes. Now, is are those uh, Newark police officers pulling up to you as you're hot-wiring cars there in the long-term parking uh, lot or the short-term parking lot? Are you sure, Alex? No, this is just my personal radio. Oh, no, no, I'm just asking because, you know, I know, I know a lot of guys, uh, they hotwire cars and then take it to the chop shops over in Elizabeth. Uh, I, no, we're, they do a good job here at North now. It's, uh, I think those days are good, gone. I think so, man. I think, you know, remember where Hillside meets uh, Newark. Meets Elizabeth, not far from where Phil Rizzuto used to live. Holy cow! A bunch of chop shops there. Yep, I remember they used to hotwire the cars in the long-term parking unit, which was like five miles out from the main terminals, five miles out. (laughs) And then the short-term parking unit. By the way, does anybody remember World Airways? $99, and they fly you to Oakland. Fly to L.A., fly to Israel. That's right, Israel, Ben-Gurion Airport. I don't think it was 90. Yeah, I think maybe it was $99. Oh, the memories are flowing right now. Let's go to Ken in Bayside. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Kenny. What about the Wedge Inn in Hunts Point? It was a great place to eat before they turned it into a strip joint down there by the vegetable market in Hunts Point. The hookers were all over the place, but they usually were looking for early foot for the big truck drivers because they were lonely. But the wedge in, man, the sandwiches, I mean, I remember when I grew up in the 50s, and guys used to say to me, no, nah, I don't want to go to no greasy spoon dine. I don't want to go to no greasy spoon dine. Then they would eat in the wedge in at Hunts Point, and they would eat like they were going to the electric chair in the morning. The food was so good. They played Parmesan, lasagna, everything. With all, they'd work off the cheese. They'd put the sauce on it. My own, my own, my own, me. We loved it. They used to say, greasy, what are you talking about? The people there were first class. They were the greatest cooks that you ever had. They could have wedge ins all over the place. But that was the original one. Delicious food down there. Then, you know, then, then Hunts Point, I think, in the late 60s started turning bad. A lot of crime down there, but the wedge eventually would turn into a strip joint. Guys would still go in there looking for meatball Parmesan heroes. The guys would look at him. What are you out of your mind? You're crazy. Hasn't been there for 30 years. Now, let me tell you a little story, and let me move up the meter a bit. Um, while he lasted, before he went on his uh, way to the Cleveland Browns and now the uh, Los Angeles Rams, do you remember the wide receiver who was like going to be the greatest of all time with the Giants? And then all of a sudden they were playing a playoff game in uh, Green Bay in the tundra, and he decided to take all of his offensive teammates to that boat uh, off of Florida. Do you remember who I'm talking about, Ken? Yeah, I remember it was just before the playoff game. They had all the guys up there the week before, and they just felt they were just out of line over there. You had uh, per- Perico, Persico, Perico. You had uh, uh, the guy that the lunatic they traded to uh, uh, to the Cleveland. That's, uh, that's, okay. And he organized it. He organized it. Yeah. Uh, he used to go to the strip club. Remember, you'd be on the Bruckner, and then you would take the Sheridan Expressway, so you had to take the side route. 
there was a strip club, strip club right there before you entered the Sheridan Expressway. Yeah, it was right by it was right by the six train over there. Oh, I, oh man, you got me going crazy. What was it? Uh, come on, bring up the name. I saw right, well, same ones. They now ones. right. They now sell uh, like police paraphernalia, uh, all kinds of jackets, all kinds of garb. It used to be uh, a jiggle joint where you get lap dances and Brumskis. So this New York giant, remember the name, Odell, would go there, he claimed, for the wings. Ken, he actually, when he got cold busted in there, said, oh, I'm not here for the girls, for the Brumskis or the lap dancers. I'm here for the hot wings. Should we have given him the benefit of the doubt, Ken? No, I think he was a half a cupcake. I think he was after Evan Smith's Brazil. But I used to, you know, the 45th, 41st Precinct was right up the block, the old one on Simpson Street. I know you know where it was. When I brought the guys back to the neighborhood, and that bar was the San Juan bar right there on, on uh, uh, the Hunts Boy Boulevard, right under the uh, Sheridan. But the thing was, we went back there, and I showed the guys the old neighborhood. And they go, well, where are they doing my building? Where did my building go? There was only one one building on the whole block. It looks, it looks like a big, giant parking lot, and that was the 41st piece. And then they moved it over to uh, uh, Longwood Avenue, uh, right off of Southern Boulevard, the 41st. But listen, those were crazy times back then. You know, the you know the, you know the, the Spofford houses over there, the kids, the guys in my neighborhood, they used to call their mother, right, from Spofford House. Ma, can you bring me? Uh, I'm going home today. Can you pick me up? But you got to bring me some sneakers and some pants and everything. What are you? You know who uh, claims he did like a day or two days in Spotford? We're going to be talking about it later on. Uh, do you know what person uh, that I did battle with uh, for months uh, running for the mayor? OT claimed that he did a day or two in Spotford, Ken. Adam said he was in there, and, uh, and then he said uh, Bo Deal ripped the gate off the top window, uh, or went into one of those patches on the roof and, and got him out of there. Was like, come on, those guys are making that nonsense up. You're the man, Curtis. You wear that red thing. You were up there on Fordham Road. You were down there on Webster Avenue. You just you, can't realize, too, you, you missed the the, uh, the number eight train because when you were working up there, the, the, uh, the old Third Avenue L was gone by that time. They sold all that steel over there. Folks, you're driving around in your, in your little Toyotas and stuff. That's the 3rd Avenue L. They used the steel for that. They sold it to the Japanese. That's right. In fact, they built it right into their carriers, carrier fleet before World War II. A lot of people don't realize that. Boy, Ken took us down memory lane. Let me ask a question out there. Uh, Ken liked to talk more about the restaurant there in Hunts Point, <laughs> but he knew about the jiggle joints. <laughs> And Odell gets busted, right, by the paparazzi in the jiggle joint right there where you go from the Bruckner to the Sheridan and you got to take that side street. I forget what it is. It's now selling all kinds of police uh, garb and stuff. And he said to the paparazzi, oh, I'm here for the hot wings. Now, let me really press it with some of you guys getting out of clubs, getting out of jiggle joints as we speak, some of the lady performers or the uh, lady attendees. Which jiggle joint did Cardi B perform in? Which jiggle joint did Cardi B perform in? Who would then take her clientele upstairs because she was going to uh, pleasurize them for a price. And then the next thing you know, 
as they were sitting down waiting for their lap dance and personal rumsky, uh, she put a 38 right in their face and said, your money or your life. Which jiggle joint did Cardi B with her fake bazoonies stick up the clients and responded to them when she cleaned them out? You better not tell anybody because I'll let your wife know. 1-800-848-9222. Again, you male degenerates out there. Uh, which uh, strip joint did Cardi B perform at with her fake bazoonies? Lure the clients upstairs. And then when she was uh, willing to pleasurize them for a price, pulled out a 38, snub nose, right in their face, and said, your money or your life. And uh, if you report this... I know who your wife is. (laughs) Yeah, that's Cardi B. Let's go to the phone. So it's uh, Sim calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Sim. Hey, uh, I want to first uh, fill in that uh, station that the New York Times ran and had classical music and did the opera on Saturday afternoons. That was WQXR. Ah, that's it, WQXR. And Sim... Uh, you sound like the kind of person that would listen to the opera on a station owned by the New York Times like WQXR. Correct, Sim? Not so much the opera then, uh, but I would listen to it at home on the recording. Okay. Um, and, or better yet, now on YouTube. Uh, I could watch it and uh, get the subtitles there in the, in the English that I understand. Okay, but years ago, we didn't have any of that. You had just the radio and the Saturday afternoon broadcast, correct? That's right. That's right. But, but it, there was another there was another classical station in New York that played the kind of music I preferred. And uh, that was uh, 104.3 FM. Uh, NCN, I think, was the call letters. So you preferred that to WQXR? Yeah, because they played a different kind of classical music, more than but the uh, earlier period, Bach and... Uh, right, but uh, was that also because you were not necessarily a subscriber to the old gray lady, the New York Times? Oh, let's let's forget about the New York Times. It's uh, well, it's re- an unbelievably re- re- remember, I paper I, I, I with an reputation. I can't forget about it because I live in the midst of all the New York Times readers on the Upper West Side. In fact, they are such zealots, Sim. They buy the Sunday paper, hard copies, so they get a double hernia or they need a wagon to take it home. And they spend all day reading all the different sections, you know, like a husband and wife. And then towards uh, the latter part of the evening, they're reading letters to the editors to the New York Times and arguing with one another about it. Arguing with one another. That's hardcore. That's not you, uh, right, Sim? No, I wanted to, I wanted to go back to the guy who had to work for the post, post office and was talking about deliveries. I live in a building with 21 stories, and there are eight apartments on each floor. So we're talking about uh, about 160-some-odd apartments in the building. 
And we get package deliveries from FedEx, from uh, the post office, the parcel post, the uh, Amazon, and their contractors. And and the lobby fills up like crazy because the guys don't bring it to the door the way they're supposed to. They uh, use the um, the excuse that it's uh, COVID now and uh, they don't want to penetrate the uh, inside of the building. Uh <laughs> You know, there are so many packages now because of e-commerce that it could literally, like the Collier's brothers, it could collapse on you as you're coming through the foyer of your building. Yeah, but I found out something very interesting that uh, I've been volunteering and delivering this stuff to the different apartments. Wow. um, Spreading this stuff around. It's a way of my keeping fit and uh, doing a favor. To my neighbors. Wow, that's real. You're, you're, you're a mensch, a double mensch. By the way, do you wear brown shorts when you do that? No, no, that's too cold for that. <laughs> yeah, but again, nobody that's seems, Sim, to be able to answer. Why does UPS demand that their drivers, their delivery men and women, their package sorters, their warehouse workers wear those stupid brown shorty shorts? Uh, and people wearing them who clearly should not be wearing shorts. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Oh, yeah. He knows New York. He is New York. Cred that the others don't have. Curtis Lewa. Talk Radio 77 WABC. today, 
I was listening to Tony Orlando. Without Dawn. And he played two stylistic songs back to back. Followed by... Oh. Almost brought me to tears. Almost not quite. It was so good tonight. I'm going to have to get in touch with Tony Orlando without Dawn. Because then he came in with Luther Vandross. If only he had played the jam, danced with my father, it would have brought down the house. What a what a tremendous program Tony Orlando without Dawn had. The Greek boy from Chelsea, the west side, who used to swim in the flotsam and jetsam of the Hudson River, which built up the natural immunity that he has to this day to ward off all the variables of the coronavirus. What a great song. God, you know, uh, because of this song and Blue Magic, I ended up getting married the first time. I, I, I'm going to blame the music, the R&B classics, because you would just have the urge to merge. You know, all of a sudden, you'd want to pop the question. Uh, after listening to music like this, stylistics out of Philadelphia, they realized all the great groups that were coming out of Philadelphia at that time. They were baby-making machines. They didn't realize that. This is going to lead into what we're talking about, Pope Francis, later. He wants you to make more babies and have less pets. Oh, yeah. Uh, you have to be cranking up music like this. Here it comes. Here it comes, Bruce. Orlando without dawn. Reviving the classics. Thank you, John and Margot Katsimatidis, for allowing these classics to be played by Cousin Brucie, by Tony Orlando without dawn. And actually, the Sinatra show coming up in a few hours, uh, the Ramsey Subaru Sinatra show. With Joe Piscopo. Oh, my God. Wow. That's, it's like a mood elevator. It's like all the anger that I have in me, the anger management that I need. Because, you know, hey, look, uh, I used to, for a while, I would make up a list every day of people I wanted to execute and kill. I mean, I've been doing that since a young guy in Kanasi, right? <laughs> they brought me in, into the dean's office at Bill C. Junior High School. I'd say, uh, Curtis. Uh, we found this on your loose leaf. Back then, Bill Z. Junior High School, I couldn't put JMJ on the top, you know, and put the margin on the side. <laughs> it was mostly Jewish kids. A lot of black kids, they were busing in from Brownsville. Oh, yeah, yeah, by the way, that reminds me, as I digress. So I'm in gym class, and nobody could climb the rope. Remember, the most embarrassing thing in gym class was trying to climb the rope. Because normally, a skinny Bellini who had no arm strength... No strength whatsoever. Go up and down that rope and make the muscle heads look really bad. I wasn't good going up and down the rope, but I digress from that. So we're in the uh, gym class, and they bust in all these black kids who didn't want to be there, just like the white kids who were bust the other way to Brownsville and East New York didn't want to be there, force busing at the time uh, in the late 60s, early 70s. Didn't work then, won't work now. 
Anyway, in one of my gym classes was World Be Free, who turned out to be a really good basketball player from Brownsville. In fact, he had a haberdashery shop on Pitkin Avenue. If any of you know what the name of his haberdashery shop was, his uh, suit shop, please give me a call. I believe it was on Pitkin Avenue, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So Lloyd B. Free is playing in the gym with me, my team. At that time, the guy could not shoot and hit the rim or the backboard. He was a chucker. He was born to be a chucker. This guy didn't know how to pass. He was a horrible basketball player. But you know how he got better? He just kept chucking. He chucked from 30 feet out, 50 feet out, 60 feet out. We looked at him and said, oh, here comes Lloyd the chucker, be free. Hey, Lloyd, you know how to pass? He'd have that stupid smile on his face. Later on, right, playing for the Philadelphia 76ers. I think with Daryl Dawkins at that time as center. I, I think, I may be, I, I may be needed to be corrected uh, on that. The guy would shoot it up like 50 feet in the air. Poof. Wouldn't even hit the rim, would hit net. Perfected his uh, abilities. Not only in the basketball courts of Brownsville, never ran, never will, but at Canarsie High School. With James Sally at that time who came from the Bayview Projects. Uh, and I would get involved in pickup games uh, outside when I got kicked out of high school by the Jesuits in Crown Heights, uh, Brooklyn Prep, and I never looked back. And I'd get involved in some pickup games, and I was no match for these guys. He was like, they were brutal. Brutal underneath the rim, in the paint, with their elbows, laying their body on you, and brutal from outside. Lloyd B. Free be hitting him 30 feet out, but the guy never passed in his life. I don't ever think he passed the ball in his life. he get the ball from the referee, you know, taking out the ball after a basket. Never played defense. All he did was live to chuck the basketball. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to uh, Pete in Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Pete. Hey, Curtis. I'm out feeding my feral cats because last night I didn't feed them. I got a camera where I feed them on the properties, and uh, I see their roaming. So my wife and I are out. I don't recommend Staten Island, anybody driving around, because it's like a sheet of frozen ice. Uh, you know, basically, I'm taking it nice and slow. But you brought up about the school and the ropes. That was a big thing when I went to Newdorf High School. I used to be able to go up them and jump over to the other rope and come down the other way. I was like a monkey. Wow. Like that. And we brought that up. And your music bumper is great with the stylistics. Oh. I worked with Devo Brown in a mo- on a movie that never came out yet, Looking for God. But well, what a wonderful guy and what a voice. Yeah, looking for God in all the wrong places. But, Pete, if you remember in your class, your gym class at New Drop High School, um, how many guys couldn't make it up the rope? Oh, loads of them. It seemed like the guys that had the more muscle strength had the biggest problem. Yeah, and they looked weak in front of everybody else, the muscle heads, because they they couldn't make it up the rope. Right. And making it down, that was a joke itself. A lot of them used to fall a good thing we used to have a mat underneath that it would have been like in Bellevue uh, Hospital in a oh, uh, body camp. Pete, let me ask you a question. Uh, what year did you go to New Drop High School? Well, I graduated in 74, 
but um, you know, I stayed an extra year because I liked it so much. You stayed an extra year because you liked it so much. Not because they told you you've been left back, schmuck. Well, that was the teacher's strike back there with Albert Shanker. Yeah, you yeah, remember yeah, the day? Of course, of course. So of course. basically, I went to summer school because I had a problem with reading. You know, I'm not the brightest bulb in the uh, in the light, you know, light bulb. But uh, I do all right for myself. I'm streetwise, like, you know, not like you, I'm not like you, but I'm... You know that kind of way. Well, I, let me I'm let me give you let me give you some advice. In the future, when you talk about having to do an extra year, fifth year, new drop high school, you say, "I was so good at climbing the ropes that they redshirted me. They they wanted me in the gym class to act as a role model, an inspiration for a lot of the guys, both the muscle heads and everyone else who couldn't make it up the ropes. So they kept me an extra year. They redshirted me. You see, that makes it look like you were a real athlete." <laughs> that's that's funny. I actually played JV against Monsignor Farrell and the quarterback. They were down by 16 points. They took him out because he had four uh, schools scouting him, colleges. And they put me in to get a beaten. And I ended up, we won the game. Uh, they were down 16. And we won. We beat Farrell back in, I think it was like 73 or 72. It was when I was in my JV. And then after that, I, I didn't go on to college with football because I had a bad head injury. And, uh, you know, I was told to keep, you know. Yeah, uh, now, know. Pete, Pete, uh, like in Staten Island and Brooklyn, whenever guys had a head injury, uh, Crazy Sal, Crazy Vinny, Crazy Joey, they would say, oh, stay away from them. They got a plate in their head. Well, I didn't have the plate, but they stayed away from me after that because I was kind of angry about it. You know, I got hit by a car. It was intentional. I know what that's like. Anger management situations like me in Builder Street Junior High School. Curtis, why do you write out these lists every day of the people you want to kill, right? right? Now, Pete, yeah. that, that would be a, a – nowadays, that would be considered a violation of my own personal thoughts, right? Right, that would be premeditated. That's what they would call it. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, Pete, what a corker you are. Pete, going up the rope in New Drop High School, then flipping over to the other side and sliding down. Meantime, the muscle heads, they couldn't do that. You see, what happened back then is, if you played football, they tell you, okay, you, you go to the weight room. You know, you want to develop, uh, you want to develop some muscle on that rack of yours because you're a skinny balloony. But if you're playing baseball, don't lift weights. You don't want to be a muscle head because you never get around. Uh, you'll never be able to swing the bat. Uh, you know, you won't be good for hardball. You won't be good for softball. Now look at it. The guys spend half their life in the weight room playing baseball, and then they uh, they had these quad issues. We never had this before, quad itching. You know what that's from. All these muscle heads, lifting weights, 24-7-3-6-5, and they're roided up like A-roid was. Come on, let's face it. Whoever had, oh, it's a quad issue. It's a torn quad. Never had that years ago. Where did they come up with that term? Let's go to uh, Mike uh, in Hoboken, uh, one square mile. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Mikey. <laughs> Hey, Curtis, how are you? Oh, I love you, Chuck. I don't know. Hey, hey, hey. You see, one of the brightest sights in the world, Stevens Institute of Technology, 
right there in Hoboken, right? So many of the great engineers of our, our life, bright, erudite men and women. I just ask one thing when you call up wherever you're calling up for. Don't ask me how I'm doing because my knee-jerk reaction every day, it doesn't matter what day it is, I've had better days. Kabish, hey, do you understand, Mike? Yes, I do. Okay, very good. I apologize. Uh, no, anyway, no, I, it's, uh, it's okay. You don't, you don't have to apologize. Just don't do it again. Okay, I won't. Very good. All right, go ahead. Pete Maravich, great chucker. Oh, yeah, but wait a second. Hold on, hold on. He was, but the man could dribble, mad dribble, all over the court. Backwards, forwards, anyway. Yeah, so the, the world be free. Lloyd, world throw, be free. He could throw 50 feet from the basket and get a basket. Yeah, but Pete Maravich, he could, when he wanted to pass, he would throw passes from his hip, from below his gonads, behind the back passes, uh uh, look, uh, I watched Pete Maravich, who came out of LSU and I think played for the New Orleans correct. team there. Yeah, correctly, LSU, yes. With those funky socks. Remember he used to have those socks? <laughs> God. And long shorts. Long oh, shorts. my God. Oh, short shorts. No, short shorts. Shorty shorts. But you're right. He made all white boys proud because he proved you didn't have to jump to be a good basketball player. And good hair, too. Good hair. By the way, do you realize you're calling from Hoboken? What is Hoboken most famous for other than the birthplace? Frank Sinatra. Sinatra. I guess the the restaurants and the bars. No, that's Washington. That's why. Yeah, you're right. But it's where... And also the... uh, the, When they do the Santa run. Remember, we talked about that last time. Right, right. SantaCon, the degenerates there. Uh, No. Degenerates, all degenerates, yeah. I don't think people are aware. Hoboken is where American baseball was invented. Yeah, I believe in fields. I'm, I live right, right near there. How is that as a field to play baseball on? And I always wanted to do that. It's not a field anymore. It's not a field. It's not even a field anymore. Well, well what happened? I think, I think, I think they, play the, uh, they play the New York Sum team. I'm not sure what the team wait, they wait, played. Wait, wait. They, they didn't preserve that? No. As far as I know, no. Wait, the field... No, Frank Sinatra drive now, I think. No, no, <laughs> I, I know, wrong. the field that baseball was invented on, baseball! And they eliminated it for a freeway, for a well, skyscraper? Well, they walked down Washington Avenue to have a intersection there on, I think it's maybe 9th Street, 10th Street. And they have, like, would they have, like, home plate we used to be, and this was here. Oh, I'm not really sure about oh. Those hipsters and millennials destroyed it because what did they want? They don't play baseball. They, I, I, just don't quote me on that. I don't know. I no, really no, don't know. I, but I don't see any they, field around They play soccer. That fake, phony, fraudulent football they spell with a U. Kickball, kickball, kick. Do you realize every time I go from community to community, I look, where is your diamond? Where's your baseball diamond? If not for Dominicans, nobody would ever be playing baseball on it. They turn it into That's soccer true. pitches. That yeah, is so un-American. Yeah. You know, my anger man. Anyway, the other thing I have to tell you is, uh, I'll okay. check that out. I'll check with what happened to Legion Fields. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, I'll yeah, check it out. Get wait, back to you maybe next you, week, couple of days. Wait, wait, wait. Hold anyway, on. Hold, hold, hold on. Another, you, you, Mike, 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 you. Mike. You live there in Hoboken. It's only one square mile. You know that baseball was invented, and now. Finally, it dawns upon you. Where is the original baseball field now? Well, I can't find it. 
No, no. You're... I see Sinatra Drive all of I don't care about Frank Sinatra. Save it for Joe Piscopo. I want to know what happened to that original diamond well, where America's I'll, I'll pastime I'll, I'll, baseball I'll, I'll email was you, okay? Yeah, yeah. Make I'll sure, email Mike. You. Make sure. Okay, one <sighs> sec. Curtis. Yes, yeah, yes, Mike. The other thing I have to talk about is football legends. You know, Dwight Eisenhower played for the Army. For Army, right? And Jim Thorpe played for Carlisle. They had a big football game. And you know what they wanted to do? Army wanted to break Thorpe's legs. Wait, wait, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. I don't remember Army trying to break Burt Lancaster's legs. I don't remember that. No, either. Carlisle. Yeah, yeah, I, I, think, I saw the I think, movie. I think I read the, I read the book. I'll, I'll send you the book. No, 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 no. Forget the book. I saw the movie with Burt Lancaster and his Jim Thorpe Carlisle with the big C, with the other native Indians who were at the boarding school. Mike, I never saw that in a movie. Dwight Eisenhower trying to break the legs of Burt well, Lancaster. personally, but I think they wanted to hurt Thorpe. I don't want to hurt him. And you don't think that Jim Thorpe wanted to hurt some of those Army boys and get vengeance for the uh, smallpox-laced blankets that they gave out to the Indians in the reservation? You don't think he was mad about that, Mike? <laughs> yeah, Curtis, I love you. I love your show. I, love I, I, you look, I, I don't go you. that way. I realize there are a lot of guys who love guys in Hoboken, but I don't go no, that no, way. I don't mean that. There are a lot of guys here. In Hoboken, there's certain things you have to know. You have to be either blonde and have a dog or a baby. That's how you get along. <laughs> oh, speaking of babies, oh, the Pope. Pope Francis would love that. A man who is closer to Che than he is Jesus Christ. A liberational theologist of the worst type. A former bouncer outside of a gin mill in Buenos Aires. Who, in a papal decree the other day, attacked... All you pet owners, that's right, said. It is against God's will that you're so selfish that you have pets instead of babies. So he would probably split the apple for Frank Morano and Rachel saying, oh, you have three cats and you only have one baby, Carmine, who's now 18 pounds, having been born on Thanksgiving Day itself. Why are you so selfish? Why do you have three cats instead of three babies? What is wrong with this pope? Don't you think we have enough people in the world? No, no, he just wants more. Catholics, 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 right? It almost makes you want to become like Frank and Rachel Episcopalians, you know, wannabe Catholics, uh, uh, Church of England members. one 800 That's one 800 wabc Speaking of Frank Morano. Maybe the most disappointing moment that I ever heard in the history of my talk radio listening. I've been listening to talk radio since I'm seven or eight. The old WMCA, which used to be the talk uh, power station, uh, owned, family owned, just like Red Apple Media now by uh, John and Margot Katsimatidis, WABC owners. It was R. Peter Strauss, WMCA. It had the great Bob Grant. It had Barry Gray, it had Barry Farber, uh, it had so many great talk show hosts. Uh, John Sterling did sports then. He was like the, uh, he was like the <laughs> Bob Grant of sports. It's a great station. 
I've listened to a lot of talk radio. I, I was horrified the other moment. In the midst of the blizzard, the blinding snowstorm. Dave, remember we called earlier from out in Long Island, the gold brick, the slack of the deadbeat who drives a tractor trailer for United States Postal Service three hours and yet gets paid eight hours. Yeah, you know, because he's uh, bundle blessing the rest of the time in the back of the warehouse. How many tractor trailer drivers were paralyzed? Even former vice presidential uh, candidate Tim Kaine ran with Hillary Rodham Clinton. He was a person of no consequence then as he is now. Stuck 27 hours in his car. We see now that everything in talk radio, if you listen to D.C. talk radio as I do from time to time, WMAL, some of the Virginia stations down in Richmond, all they do is rant about how the outgoing uh, Democratic uh, governor did nothing and how much different it would have been if the new Republican governor was in charge. And there was that singular moment on WABC on the other side of midnight when we could have been a participant, we could have thrown a lifeline, we could have helped a stranded 18-wheel tractor-trailer driver, just like Dave out in Long Island, the gold brick slacker and deadbeat who works three hours yet gets paid eight hours by the United States Postal Service. We could have rescued him. I want you to listen to the conversation. He had given up all hope. He had no more heat. He had run out of diesel fuel. He was going, going, gone. He was begging, beseeching, calling upon the 50,000 powerful watts of sound, the most important and strongest radio station in the nation, WABC, to help him and the other tractor-trailer drivers in their time of need. Listen to the pain and anguish in his voice and listen to the feeble, insensitive responses of our own Frank Morano. Now, let me say hello to Dave on I-95. Hello, Dave. I understand you're stranded on the highway. Is that accurate? Yeah, we're about 10, 11 miles past Richmond. And listen, I know you're talking about the uh, vaping and smoking up there in Brookline. I know Brookline very well outside of Boston. And so I'm on a flip phone. I don't have a smartphone. And I've been on three lanes of backed up traffic heading north on 95, just past Richmond. Called the uh, 911 operator at midnight. Uh, We got stranded around uh, 930. All three lanes of traffic just backed up. Several cars went off the road and whatnot. There's been some accidents. But I asked the uh, 911 operator when she transferred to the state police, state police, four or five times I've called through the dispatch of 911, and no one's responding. So I just called after five and a half hours back to 911. She said there might have been a you know, jack tractor trailer, but I'm saying, listen, the highest snow totals uh, were from D.C. Uh, to southern Jersey, and once you get to central Jersey up to New York, there's hardly any snow. You got to have that much snow up there because I just came back. From, I'm coming back from Charlotte, North Carolina. Right. I didn't see any snow. So, so Dave, so you, uh, I'm certainly sympathetic to what you're going through. Uh, you're you're stuck in the snow on the highway in the Commonwealth of Virginia. You you called nine one one and they were unable to help you. What is it that you think we can do for you? I asked your uh, uh, your operator, your your switchboard guy that takes you to me. I said, do you have the number for the uh, ABC News? Uh, uh, you know, because I don't even have 911 communication. 
I mean 911. I mean operator. I can't call for 411 is what I meant to say. I'm really tired. So I just drove like 14 miles. I mean 14 hours. So I said, maybe Frank could get a get someone there to call the newsroom to say, even in North Dakota, we have whiteouts with 40-mile-an-hour you know, whiteout blizzard conditions. Uh, you know, I said, when you had the people stranded on the tarmac and airplanes for 10, 12, 15, 20 hours, Congress, I believe, recently, within the last three years, four years, passed a law that you can't keep people on an airplane on the tarmac waiting more than four hours. So I'm not getting any answers from the state police. They drive by in the southbound lane of 95. We're heading north. Uh, you know, well, so Dave, well, can, can you are you in a position to if you're stuck there and you're stranded there, can you take a nap? Yeah, we're, we're taking we, we have been. Uh, I'm just saying that five and a half hours is a pretty long time. It certainly I, is. Dave. I, my, I said Nate, my per, my point in calling is thanks, Frank, for being patient. I thought maybe you can get all the newsroom to basically find out what the heck is going on uh, and have them give me a call back or see if they can, uh, it might be a news story up there. Not that I'm trying to tip them off, but I mean, five and a half hours on an interstate and we're only two, uh, 1.9 miles from the nearest exit, which is exit 110 on 95 heading north past Richmond around, I don't know, 10, 12 miles is my guess. So basically, you know, people are running out of gas. Uh, well, that is that is terrible. So, again, you're in Virginia on I-95. I think the lesson is for people to stay away from there. Right, Dave? You would encourage people to stay away unless they're helping you? Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So the fact that the dispatch calling her two, three times, you know, over the last, you know, five hours, uh, she said maybe there's a jackknife trailer and heavy snow in northern Virginia they're plowing the roads. But, but Dave, here's what I don't understand. Let, let's say we find out what's causing the the issue on the highway on I-95 there. What good does that do you if you're still stuck there? Let's say we find out it's a tractor trailer that's jackknife and there's all sorts of snow. If you're still stuck there, what good does that knowledge now do you? Well, we'd like to find out uh, how much longer we have to wait and – well, you run out of gas, so you, run, you know, food. I have a dog. Well, that's fair. Okay, well, that's fair. I, I didn't know there was a dog. I'm going to put you on hold and give Molly your information. We're going to put her on the case, and hopefully she'll be able to get you uh, some help. Mean, and thank you for calling, Dave. Meantime, if there's anybody that wants to uh, go out there and help Dave bring your, uh, what, what do you call those, snow ski? What do, what do you call those devices that you ride in the snow? Snowshoes. No, 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 the device. Snowmobile, right? Yeah. If you have a snowmobile and you want to bring Dave some uh, some supplies, I, you can't bring him booze, but maybe as a passenger you could bring booze too. Bring him some snacks, bring him a pizza. He's on I-95 in, um, in Virginia. Call us. Molly will give you his information. Grab his information if you would, Molly. What a schmendrick. That could have been our shining moment here at WABC. The whole world was watching I-95. Paralyzed by ice, sleet, a heavy, steady downpour of snow. And this is all that Frank Morano could say? He was sympathetic? Did you call 911? Are you kidding, Frank? The guy was... Reaching out to you, he needed a lifeline. He said, maybe you could call ABC News. You could have done that. 
You chose not to. You could have called Bob Brown, the dean of all WABC newscasters, a guy who's won six Emmy Awards since 1977 when he first came to work at ABC. Six Emmy Awards. You didn't do that. He said, Molly? Me, I got guardian angels in Richmond. Remember, he said that he was on I-95, exit 110, was only about a mile away. That's the exit to Richmond. I could have detached a unit of guardian angels from Richmond. Oh, no, you didn't bother calling me. And don't say you didn't want to wake me up. I don't sleep. The guy was driving 14 hours, right? That's just about the limit that you're permitted to drive before you have to pull off the road and you have to go either get a no-tell motel, Holiday Inn Express room, or sleep in the back of your cab, or sleep in the cab itself. And, and what was Frank telling him? Bruce, did you hear that? Why don't you take a nap? Take a nap. What a schmuck. What a putz. What a pisher. What a, what a schmendrick. Does he not realize he's going to run out of diesel fuel? It's not gasoline, Frank. It's diesel fuel. All the guy wanted you to do is get a hold of a newsroom, not because he's lens lice or wanted to be the, to let them know what the hell was going on at I-95. I, I don't understand. And then only when he said he had a dog, right? Right, Bruce? Only when he said he had a dog did you show any empathy or sympathy for him, and then you're stumbling and mumbling. What is that? Snowshoe, uh, snow ski, Oh, yeah, snowmobile. Maybe somebody could get a snowmobile out there. They don't have snowmobiles in that part of Virginia. That was our sorriest hour of broadcasting. We did nothing for that tractor-trailer driver on 995. All the other dozens, hundreds of people stranded Some of them who could have perished, could have been asphyxiated, could have starved to death, could have gotten frostbite from the tip of their nose to the tip of their toes. But the insensitive response of Frank Morano and the crew here at WABC, really, I think uh, some disciplinary procedures by the suits, the mockers, the muckety-mucks, you know, the capo-di-tutti, Chad Lopez, uh, it should be considered. He was so callous. He was so indifferent to the fate of this truck driver who was begging us, beseeching us. We should have been honored. There he was, snuck in this maelstrom, this blizzard, this snowstorm. Who did he think to call? Because he said, they're always there at the ready. WABC and the 50,000 powerful watch himself. While he was running out of battery, right? Battery on his cell phone, his iPhone, his smartphone, whatever he had. While he was running at the bars, right, the lower, he probably had one bar left. He said, I have a choice. I can call 411, waste my time. I can call 911, waste my time. Or I can call my friend on the road all the time. I'm, I'm hauling freight, all kinds of substances in my 18-wheel tractor trailer. I'm always listening at WABC. And in his time of need and each other drivers' times of need, we sold them wolf tickets. Did Frank Morano issue an apology? 
Did he come on the air the next day and say, mea copa, mea copa, mea maxima copa? You know, in Japan, you know what Frank Morano would have had to do? Like executives who have failed their companies and their workers and the people who have uh, stock portfolios uh, involving that company, uh, they get a dagger and they commit Harry Carey in front of everybody. They go, Hi, 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 hi. And everybody says, good. I think I would suggest that Frank Morano perform maybe uh, a form of uh, Radio Harry Carey on himself. Not Harry Carey, drunk in the bag, singing Take Me Out to the Ball Game at Wrigley Field all those years, uh, barely uh, preventing himself from falling from the upper deck into the lower deck. No, Harry Carey with a knife. Anyway, let's go to Lamar, who's calling from the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Lamar. <laughs> yes, hello, Mr. Sliwa. Yes. Hello? Yes, yes, Lamar. Okay. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Okay, Mr. Sliwa, listen, I know you are a great urbanologist, all right? That has to be, you know, given to you, you know, all right? However, though, okay, look, Curtis, all right. I am a loyal, devout follower of Professor Morano, all right? And, okay, the way you belittle Professor uh, Morano and his um, listeners, I don't think that's cool. I don't think that's cool, you know? Cut us some slack. Cut the professor some slack. Uh, Now, wait a second. Uh, Lamar, you sound to me like a guy who before you could even approach uh, talking to a professor, you need remedial training. Uh You need remedial training, don't you? Come on, admit it. Come on, Lamar. No, no, I don't think so. No, but hey, if I sound like like I'm in need of remedial training to you, then, hey, so be it, you know? No, it's nothing. You don't have to feel shameful about that. There are many who do that. Uh, Where did you grow up, Mm -hmm. Lamar? Where did you grow up? I grew up here. I grew up in the Bronx and um, over the bridge in okay. Harlem. You see, you're thinking about what is he What is he trying to get at? I can see where your mind is going. What high school did you mm-hmm. go to, Lamar? Don't worry. You can ask. Don't worry. There's no no penalties here. No, didn't go. Didn't go. Okay, so you did not go to high school. Right. Uh, and that was because you were in prison at the time? No. Okay. Is there a reason you didn't go to high school? Yeah, I was just, you know, into street life. Okay. Hey, look, look, I got kicked into the streets. I never graduated high school, never got a GED. I understand. Uh, But you look up to Frank Morano. Why? Because he was a Tottenville Purple Pirate who graduated high school, and then his family wasted uh, $55,000 a year to give him an education at the Ripoff University known as NYU. Is that why you admire him? Yeah, and okay, because of his intel, you know, because of his intelligence, like, okay, better yet, okay, Kurt. Yes. The yes. way he conducts, okay, the way he conducts his show, Curtis. Ah, well, he does it. Right. Dif- he has some very intriguing. He has some very intriguing, you know, guests on his show, like, and uh, 
I admire that. I no, admire no, he that. does. He does. He's excellent with guests. He does an excellent Q&A. He, uh, is, he listens to his guests, unlike a lot of other talk show hosts and hostesses here and other outlets who are always thinking about the next question they're going to ask without actually listening to the response of their guests. I give you that, Lamar, and you'll learn a lot from Frank Morano. But, but, mm-hmm. Lamar, I'm the mm-hmm. street guy. You're my brother yeah, in solidarity. Okay. If we're yeah, if, yeah. if you're in a fight, let's say you're up in Gun Hill Road, Eaton Wall Projects, okay? Eaton Wall Projects. There's a there's a yeah. precinct right there. You know the cops ain't coming the 47th, out. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah. They're gonna barricade themselves in. And all of a sudden the bloods are surrounding you and they're like giving you a vicious beatdown. Do you want Frank Morano to jump in on your side or Curtis Sliwa? Well, okay. okay both. You shouldn't even think both. about that a millisecond. But both, both, both. No, no. You both. only get one. You only get one, Lamar. Only get one. You're getting the boot to the back of your head. The bloods are turning you into a speed bump. Who do you want to cover your back, Curtis Lewa or Professor Frank Morano? <laughs> Professor Frank Morano. Oh my okay. God. You're dead on arrival. They're taking you to Jacoby Hospital on Pelham Parkway. There's no doubt in my mind. They'll take you to Einstein up there. It doesn't matter. All the all the horses men couldn't put you back together again. My God, Lamar, where's your street sense? You know, Lamar, let's say these guys are putting the boot to the back of your head. They're giving you a vicious beatdown. They're going to see me come running in with my red They're going, here comes that crazy white boy. Here comes that crazy white boy. You know that's what they're going to say, Lamar. Yeah, well, okay, Curtis, look, I've been, okay, I remember like when, um, I remember seeing you on Fordham Road a lot. Oh, or yeah. the GAs, like, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, going back to the, yeah, going back to, like, the late 70s, right? That's right. The late 70s, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, man, yeah, I remember, t- okay, the Guardian Angels. Let, let me tell you, man, we were lumping thugs, right? We were giving out lumps, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Guys yeah. knew we were serious. We Guys meant drove. business, man. This wasn't, like, peace, love, and happiness. We gave you a piece of our five knuckles. <laughs> you knew that, Lamar, right? You knew we meant business. Yeah, yeah. You guys commanded respect. That's right. You guys earned respect now. Now, now, right? now Professor Morano might command yeah. respect in a classroom of mm-hmm. NYU. But in the mm-hmm. Eaton Wall Projects off mm-hmm. of Gun Hill Road, he ain't getting no respect. Come on, Lamar. <laughs> Come on, Lamar. <laughs> They're going to say, look at that dopey white boy. What the hell does he think he's going to do? Man, they chew him up and spit him out. Well, Well, look, knowing the professor, right, you know what he would probably do? He'd probably go in the 47th first and then, you know, bring out a contingent of officers with him. Let let me tell you, Lamar, have you ever been to the 47 precinct? Have you ever been at the old one, the White Plains Road? No, yeah, no, no, I know no. the. Um... Okay, look, I, I, I was locked up in there one time. It's okay to admit you were locked up in there. All right, admit you, you just pled di- disorderly conduct in a wedding way, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, look, I know the deal. You know the deal. We're street guys. 
If you went into the four seven precinct today, let's say Frank Morano, fuddy duddy, walked into the four seven precinct, said, "Police officers, I support the NYPD. Please come outside and help me." They would ask him to fill out a form first. You know that, right? No, no. Oh no. yeah, yeah. Fill out this form first, cause uh, hey, you know we got to keep records now. You know the new police commissioner who knows nothing about this city, the woman Sewell from Nassau County, she wants us to fill out all of these postcards. And Frank Morano loves filling out postcards. You know that's what would happen, Lamar. <laughs> Come on, Lamar. Wait a minute. You you can continue to like Frank. Uh, you can continue to call him Professor. But let's face mm-hmm. it, street smarts, man, that ain't his game. That's Curtis mm-hmm. Sliwa. That's Curtis Sliwa, a survivor, mm-hmm. a legend in my own mind. Okay. Yeah, okay. Right. I, I okay. Can you. okay, okay. Lord. Yeah, Kurt, okay, yeah. Oh, no, hey with, hey, with no doubt, you were definitely a soft-down trooper. You know, you a trooper now. Hey, now, now you let know, me, ask, me, let me ask you another question. Why mm-hmm. is it that Curtis is generally an African-American name? Why is that, Lamar? Think about that. And and uh, uh, people culturally appropriate my name all the time. The brothers do that, and we have beef over that. I tell what? them, I tell them right on Fordham Road, I tell them, your name is Curtis? No way. I was birthed first. You culturally appropriated my name, brother. And then right away, they want to give me mm. beef. They want, they want to bust my teeth. Come on, Lamar. I own that Ridiculous. name, Curtis, right? Come on. Right, right, Lamar? Ridiculous, yeah. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, Curtis, you know what? Okay, yes, um, yes, yes, yes. The only runner-up that I could see, um, okay, with the Curtis name tag would be Curtis Blow. Why? I got to tell you a story about Curtis Remember? Blow. These are the oh. breaks. breaks Curtis yeah. Blow, these are the breaks. <laughs> Remember, breaks. Mm-hmm. number one hit in America, uh, Don Cornelius. So Train. <laughs> he had stretch limos. He had the girly girlies. He comes to Guardian Angel headquarters, which was right next to St. Nicholas Tallentine. We were using my apartment every day. I was being threatened with eviction right next to the rectory of St. Nicholas at Tallentine, provided to us well, by Father McNally. That's uh, right. Bottom, yeah, that's right. The, the West Side. Yeah, west side right. Okay, that neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the West. So, right, that's right. the West Branch. Right, right. So what okay. happens? What happens mm-hmm. is. These are the breaks, comes up the steps of the Guardian Angel headquarters. And the Guardian Angel said to me, guess who's here? Guess who's here? Mm -hmm. And what do you think everybody in the hallway said? What do you think everyone in the hallway said, Lamar? They said, he's the man, man. He's number one. Number Mm -hmm. one song in America. Okay. What, what What was his name again? Repeat his name, please. (laughs) <laughs> Come on. Curtis Blow. Right, okay. All right. So now, again, just because I'm white, I'm not stupid, I'm not a sucker. So he comes in, he goes, look, uh-huh. I'm going to hook you guys up. I'm Curtis Blow. These are the breaks. I'm number one, second to none. And I said, let me tell you something. Your name is Blow? I know what the hell that means. That means Kukina. <laughs> Blow. He goes, why do you assume that? I said, because you're wearing a Coke spoon around your neck. On your platinum chain, a Coke spoon. 
And I told him, either you go down those stairs or I'm going to kick your ass and throw you down the stairs. And when he's backing up and my guys are saying, no, no, it's Curtis Blow. Curtis, don't do this. Don't lose your mind. He gets into a stretch limo and he's screaming up at me, you'll pay for this, Curtis. I said, the only Curtis who's going to pay for this is you if you don't get the hell out of here. See, mm. that's my Curtis Blow story, huh? Story, yeah. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, yeah. I take... And I think the blow caught up with him. Oh, my God. I think the blow caught up well, with him for a period, right? He's a, he's a reverend now, like all the rest of those wannabe yeah. rappers. You know, they're all reverends now. They believe in God, Hashem, uh, JC, you know? Come on, Lamar. Lamar, you need to hook up with me. Drop this uh, idolatry of Professor Morano like a hot rock. He's got no street smart. Come on, Lamar. You're gonna oh, you're gonna roll you're, look, you're gonna roll through the Bronx. You're gonna roll through mm-hmm. West Farm Square, right? You ain't rolling yeah, to West Farm Square with Frank Morano. <laughs> going to the Bronx Zoo, why not? Yeah, the Bronx Zoo. We ain't talking we're talking Vice <laughs> Avenue. Lamar. Vice, Vice Avenue. Avenue. <laughs> right? Come on, back to back. Knuckle to mm-hmm. knuckle. We're going to have to throw down on Vice Avenue. Avenue, yeah, yeah. I convinced convinced Lamar. He was all into the idolatry. Oh, Frank Morano, Professor Frank Morano. Never call anybody professor, please. That's like calling doctor. Remember, we used to have a guy on the airway, Dr. Savage. Hey, doctor, this pal. You you could have been what? uh, Um... You could have been a dietitian at uh, a local junior high school cafeteria. What kind of doctor are you? And then we got uh, Jill Biden, right? Wife of uh, President Joe Biden. Doctor this. What doctor are you? Professor. Why? Because he went to NYU and his parents wasted $55,000 a year like so many other parents on an NYU education? I think, I think uh, Bruce, I think we straightened out Lamar there. You think so? I think we straightened out Lamar. I think he's having yeah. second thoughts. I think so. Yeah, but okay, listen, no. Okay, I want to delay this on you, though, Kurt. Yeah, listen. lay it on me. Go ahead. All right. Okay, five or six Ivy League colleges or Ivy League universities in the country, like, right, they have a, um, they have a picture of um, Frank Morano. And I think they gave him the title professor. Now, hold on a second. You said 546, is that, or 456? 456. All right, 456, that's uh, CeeLo on the side. Now, I know how to shoot CeeLo off the curb uh, as opposed to craps. The only way way that Frank Morano could ever do that is at a casino in Atlantic City. He knows nothing about shooting craps or shooting CeeLo in the streets. Again, Lamar. You got to shoot five, four, five, six on the shorthand side, playing CeeLo, three dice instead of two. I, I think I converted Lamar, man. I, I think he recognized, man, he's getting bum-rushed out there in the streets. Guys are coming at him with chains, bats, sticks, guns. Uh, he, he, he doesn't want to go back-to-back with Professor Morano, right? Uh, Professor Morano will probably turn to Lamar. Lamar. I would normally stick this out with you, but, you know, I have a little Carmine at home. He needs a father. Then all of a sudden, ping, Frank would do the bird. Well, I'd be looking at all these guys. I'd be saying, okay, let's do it. Let's get it on, right? 
Come on. Throw down. And then I'd have to end up going to Trinity Rehab. There's no doubt about it. Now, years ago, I'd be popping pills. Oh, my God. They'd separate me from my sacroiliac. My hip bone would be up where my neck bone is. I mean, I've had some treacherous beatdowns. And then you saw them popping the Vicodin, the Percocet, the Oxys. Then, yeah, you really get extreme. Fentanyl, morphine. I've gone that whole way. I mean, I've look, Evil Knievel had, what, about 466 breaks and fractures. I'm nowhere near that. Maybe tomorrow I'll tell you the story when I met Evil Knievel right there at the Statue of Liberty when we were promoting a new cola that was supposed to knock out Coca-Cola and Pepsi-Cola together. We couldn't have been more hopelessly wrong. But this is about pain. Not your wife who's a pain in your neck or your husband or your gumada or your children or your grandchildren or your nieces and nephews, your uncles or your aunts. This is about the pain that could come about from any number of conditions, neck pain, tennis elbow, shoulder tendonitis, plantar fasciitis, and knee pain. In just three five-minute sessions, you could be virtually pain-free. No drugs. And what they use is the EPAT machine, FDA-approved. It breaks up your scar tissue. It's the same technology they use to break up kidney stones. And it, it definitely attacks the center of pain, that scar tissue, and remedies it. Now, you'll also find out why people are streaming in from Pennsylvania, Mid-Hudson Valley, and even Manhattan, where I and Nancy are from, going across the George Washington Bridge, because they're only in New Jersey now. And it, look, it's worth, it's worth the trip to get rid of your pain without having to pop pills. Trinity Rehab is now open in Clifton, Paramus, Wayne, Short Hills, Emerson, East Windsor, Shrewsbury, Wall, Woodbridge, and two brand new locations in Hackensack and Wyckoff. Call Trinity Rehab today at 800-518-0977. That's 800-518-0977. Or go to trinity-rehab.com. That's trinity-rehab.com. W-A-B-C. Now, let me state this once and for all for the record. If it is worse than a dusting, and if you end up anywhere in our listening area getting stranded in the snow, you should call me right away. And uh, our our owner, John Katsimatidis, has given me access to his private hel- helicopter, and we will dispatch Molly in the Molly copter to rescue you wherever you happen to be. Don't call your friends. Don't call your family. Don't call emergency services. If you're stuck in whether it's traffic or whether you're stuck there for 27 hours like Senator Tim Kaine was, call me right away. I want to be your first call, and I will will dispatch Molly, and hopefully she'll be able to get you out of there. All right? So let's make that very, very clear. Now, in your car, online, and at home, the Tri-State's most trusted voice, Talk Radio 77 WABC, New York's talk station with the king of New York, Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Oh, yeah, what a jam. And it all started with Tony Orlando without Dawn. Great show. Oh, 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 there he is. Luther, Luther, right? Luther. It's just like a dream to me that somehow came true. 
After he left that 18-wheel tractor-trailer stranded on I-95, no sympathy, no empathy, the culions, the huepos, the chutzpah of him. I'm not going to let Frank Morano get me upset. I converted Lamar from the house of Professor Morano to the house of the street fighter, Curtis Sliwa. He understood in the Bronx, you don't want Frank with you. You want Curtis Sliwa. But up next... If you're a pet lover like I am, like so many of you are, and we'll be listening tomorrow night, 12 uh, midnight, uh, when I'm on with Nancy about animal welfare issues, there's a guy out there who's no friend of pets, and that's Pope Francis, who prefers Che over Jason. Now, let me state this once and for all, for the record. If it is worse than a dusting, and if you end up anywhere in our listening area getting stranded in the snow, you should call me right away. And uh, our, our owner, John Katsimatidis, has given me access to his private hel- helicopter, and we will dispatch Molly in the Molly copter. Why would we want to be spreading that propaganda, that disinformation, that misinformation, after he left a trucker out on I-95 with no help, wouldn't even try to reach a newsroom, nothing, uh, you know, we're not playing that, Bruce. Come on, give me some music to get back into it because that made me sanguine. Sanguine. Uh, I know that's a $5 word. It's multi-syllabic. And I wonder if any of you guys out there and gals could tell me what the real meaning of sanguine is. No, no, no. Not, not what you put together. Uh, sangria. Sanguine. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Uh, can you pipe up the music, my show? Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Number one jam, summer of 1979. Good times by Chic. That's when we flexed. When we rolled off the number four train, the Muggins Express out of the Bronx. Changed at 161st Street, the old Yankee Stadium, the Stadium of Ruth. And then took the D train for danger to Coney Island, Stillwell Avenue. And then strutted our stuff as guardian angels as we looked at the crazy homicide who ruled the boardwalk, ruled the ride. The cops in the 60th precinct, they didn't go in there. And then we crawled into the belly of the beast night after night, day after day, and went to war against the gangs of New York City. It was like a scene right out of the Warriors. And boy, did we start knuckle-busting in the beach of Coney Island, under the boardwalk, before they put all the sand under there. On the boardwalk, near the rides, near the Toronado, near the bumper cars. 
near the cyclone, you name it, we were there. And we took back Coney Island inch by inch, block by block, until all of you were able to get your dirty water hot dogs at Nathan's Famous on the corner of Stillwell Avenue in the shadow of the old Half Moon Hotel where the first man in Brooklyn to ever fly flew out of a top-story window while under the protection of the DA at the time. A guy who went on to become the mayor of the city of New York, an Irishman who then eventually was sent to Mexico to be an ambassador by Harry Truman because he was on the verge of getting indicted for corruption and going to J-A-I-L. Ladies and gentlemen, I ask you this trivia question. Who was the first man in Brooklyn to fly out of the old Half Moon Hotel? Who was the DS supposedly in charge of protecting him, eventually elected mayor of the city of New York, who was then shipped on a banana boat to Guadalajara, where he was uh, enshrined as the ambassador to Mexico so that he wouldn't be bag-tagged, indicted, and sent to jail. Oh, yeah. This is really troubling. You know, I'm a um, lapsed Catholic, AMP Catholic, ashes on Wednesday, palms on Sunday, then you don't see me for a month of Sundays. I really have problems with the church that I was raised in on a number, a wide variety of reasons. But this one, Pope Francis, it takes uh, it takes the cake. And I don't know what cake you're having at the Vatican, but what are you, like 88 years old, right? Came out of Buenos Aires, was a bouncer outside of a gin mill, who went on, the white smoke ends up coming through the chimney, so they designated you the liberational theologist, a man closer to the belief and ideology of liberational theologists who adored Che. I don't know if you had much love in your heart for J.C. And then for some reason they made you Pope because they recognized, boy, we got to really keep the Catholics coming. And they're coming out of South America and they're coming out of Central America and Mexico because in the rest of the world, they're going the route of Curtis Sliwa. They're becoming lapsed Catholics or A&P Catholics. Ashes on Wednesday, palms on Sunday. Then you need... Uh, you're not going to see me for a month of Sunday. So you know something? I think um, geographically they decided, uh, the Cardinals, that they would pick somebody from South America that would uh, reinforce the base of the many people who still schlep to church on Sunday and contribute in the wicker baskets that go up and down the aisles, first for the general fund, then for the school fund, then the church fund, then the bishop fund, then the cardinal's fund, then the Vatican fund. I mean, I've been in churches years and years ago where there'd be four different collections on one Sunday. Enough already. Enough already. Sell all those uh, gauche uh, art items, those statues that you have in the Vatican that I visited, uh, they could help in dealing with the indigent and the poor instead of appearing to be so ostentatious, having mansions for the Pope, having the Vatican Bank that's nothing more than a laundry operation for organized crime all over the world. Everybody knows about that. I've had it with this Pope and with the Catholic Church and this Vatican decree, this edict. 
This was Pope Francis on Wednesday. Speaking on parenthood, during a general audience at the Vatican, Pope Francis bemoaned the global decline in birth rates. Hey, hey, Pope, you know we're overpopulated to begin with. Have you looked at Red China? Have you looked at India? Huh, please? What he described as a demographic winter and was bluntly critical of couples who prefer to have pets rather than children. People who have pets instead of children were being selfish, exhibiting a denial of fatherhood or motherhood that diminishes us. It takes away our humanity. Yes, dogs and cats take the place of children, really. Laying out the harsh consequences, the Pope said, of a childless future, including the inevitable drying up of pension plants. The inevitable drying up. How do you extrapolate to that? The eventual drying up of pension plans, 401Ks, IRA accounts. What the hell are you talking about, Pope? Now think of it. When you look at the uh, biography, the Wikipedia of Pope Francis, it claims that he took his name from St. Francis of Assisi. If I remember correctly, and please, uh, all of you uh, observant Catholics, traditional Catholics, maybe you can correct me if I happen to be wrong, give me a little bit of constructive criticism. But I remember watching the movie in second grade. A movie, full, full full-length movie was done, and I went to the Canarsie uh, Movie Theater on Avenue L, like almost nobody was there because it was the movie about St. Francis of Assisi, you know. Uh, anything else, Saturday, you know, matinee performances, cartoons between uh, two different films. The place would have been packed. I think it was like a Tuesday afternoon after school. I was mesmerized by that movie. St. Francis Assisi, a man birthed into wealth and equity, gave up all of his worldly equity, riches, wealth, in order to take care of animals. And I said, wow, that is a stand-up guy. And I really enjoyed the film because it showed how so many people he had grown up with, you know, from the upper caste were making fun of him, thinking he was delusional, he was crazy. Why would anybody give up their wealth for animals? And yet I was motivated. So here's Pope Francis, the Argentine takes the name of St. Francis of Assisi. You know, Francis, not spelled like my mother, Francesco, or F-R-A-N-C-E-S, the female style, but F-R-A-N-C-I-S, the male style. And basically says that if you have pets and not children, you are selfish. Let's go to the phones on that. In fact, that will be a good question for Frank Morano when he returns tomorrow. Uh, he is no longer a Catholic. I may actually agree with him that it's better on this issue to be an Episcopalian like he is and want to be Catholic. A member of the Church of England, the Anglican faith, derived by the fact that King Henry VIII didn't believe uh, that he could get an annulment, so he just chopped off his wife's heads, right? I mean, that's how it all came about. He told the, the Pope, I'll flip you the bird. I'll, I'll chop off the heads of as many wives as I want. And guess what? I'm starting my own religion. 
Let's go to Pamela in central New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Pam. Yes, and right now St. Francis is rolling in his uh, mausoleum. Uh. And uh, every year they have the blessing of the animals that takes place in the Catholic churches, which is very well attended. So the Pope is not realizing this. He's not up on his history. Uh, Pamela, uh, I will tell you right here at WABC, uh, as you know, we have Cindy Adams, columnist uh, for the New York Post. By the way, if you can, if you can uh, Google it, she had maybe her two best columns I've ever read, which was about Rikers Island. She really knocked it out of the park. Uh, she had a guy who had uh, been doing time in the MCC, the federal prison, uh, who had to do a little bit of time over at Rikers on another charge. And, I mean, she was so good with that. But she, every year before the lockdown and the pandemic, uh, would conduct the blessing of the animals at the Unitarian Church on Park Avenue. The place was packed, Pamela. The animals got mm-hmm. along. The only the only things that didn't get along were the people. But all the animals, pigs, llamas, Dogs, cats, you name it, they all got along, and they didn't poop, and they didn't bark, and they didn't fight with one another. Yeah, yes, it's a it's a wonderful thing, wonderful. I, I've always adored that story of St. Francis of Assisi, and to take that out of the church is a big mistake. No, 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 and I, I'm going to fight him on that. We're going to devote a lot of time tomorrow night. You don't want to miss it, 12 midnight to 1, before we pass over the microphones to the Mama Luke, his return, Frank Morano. Nancy and myself in the pet hour. Yeah, yeah, Cindy Adams every year would host the blessing of the animals in that Unitarian church on Park Avenue. I went one time, the invitation of uh, John Katsimatidis and Margot Katsimatidis, who uh, uh, helped sponsor that event with Cindy Adams. And they had Cardinal Dolan over from uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral who did the blessing. Uh, he didn't just bless and run. No, he spent hours Blessing all the parishioners who brought their animals. And I mean, this was like Noah's Ark. The animals got along. The animals didn't poop. The only people who were aggravated at one another were agita, were the human beings that the pets came along with. That's right. High five to Cindy Adams for keeping that tradition alive amongst all of those who don't necessarily want to align themselves with a particular faith and feel more comfortable in a Unitarian setting. Let's go to Anthony in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Anthony. You know, um, hello? Uh, You're on, Anthony. Yeah, I want to say, you know, um, I I love animals, especially cats. I have my one cat laying right here next to me, you know. They rescue cats. But anyway, to the Pope, what he said about not having kids, I'd like to tell him, you know, Mr. Pope, you want to know why I myself, I don't want to have kids? Because I have a severe mental illness. Unfortunately, it's passed down through the genes. And I don't want to have another life go through this. So that's why I would tell him. No, no, no. And and look, that is noble of you, Anthony, to consider that. Because most of us, let's face it, uh, we're moved. A lot of times we have kids not because we plan on having kids. Uh, it's accidental. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. we don't think about the uh, uh, the ramifications of bringing children into this world. But, Anthony, uh, just look at the globe. We have too many people to begin with. I know. And this pope wants not priests to marry, 
Not priests or nuns to have children. No, they have to remain chaste and pious. Uh, They can't get married. But everybody else should continue to have children uh, and not have pets. No, I don't agree with him at all. Now, Anthony, uh, as your cat, by the way, what is the name of your cat? Oh, I have two of them. Uh, One is Sarah, the other is Patty. There are no more loyal folks in the world to you than both those cats, right? I know, I know. Did they did they ever give you a hard time? Oh no, no. I rescued them both from the street. Good. And when you're at your lowest, when you're yeah. depressed, don't they bring a smile to your face? Oh, they do. I love them and so did my mother who passed away. Gotta tell you, Anthony, you know a lot of people consider me a pretty tough guy, right? Yeah. That's fine. A lot I of wish people, I was. Yeah, a lot of people said to me at the wake of my mother uh, and her burial and the wake of my father and his burial, yeah. Curtis, Aww. you didn't shed a tear. Well, what is wrong with you? Uh, you, you can cry. I didn't cry. Yeah. But recently when Hope, our rescue, our calico cat, uh, who yeah. Nancy had rescued from a shelter, she would have been euthanized. She would have been destroyed. Aww. She had a serious case of cancer, and uh, Nancy Aww. nursed her back to health. She lived for Aww. another two years. She was with me constantly whenever I was in the Aww. apartment. And when she Aww. passed away, when we had to go to the vet to have her euthanized, we were in the room. Yeah. I, yeah. I cried, Anthony, for the next three hours. Three Aww. hours. I know. They, 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 they touch your lives. They touch your lives so much. And they, it's and they, I'm sorry. They, no, no, it's okay. They don't ask anything in return. In your darkest moments when you're depressed, and you've been there, I've been there, a lot of people have been there, the animals, sure. they, they know that. Instinctually, they know that. They'll come up to you. They'll nuzzle you. That's right. They'll lay next to you and comfort yes. you in your time of need. Yes. Human beings, Always. a lot of human beings don't do that. No, they don't. No, they don't, Curtis. They are so therapeutic, these animals. And, 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 you know, it's not just, you know, we we focus on cats and we focus on dogs. But there are people, there are people who have potbelly pigs who feel the same way, uh, who have other comfort animals, who who bring them great joy, great knockers. And normalize right. them, level out their, their 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 feelings because they get almost to the point they want to crawl into a shell. And the, yeah. the, the animal looks at you. It's almost like they're talking to you through their eyes. And they just yes. say, don't go there. Don't go there. Yeah. Oh, Anthony, you're, you're so lucky to have these two cats. You're so lucky. Oh. Uh- and you're so lucky, too, all the cats you rescued. I used to get annoyed at Frankie Russo. He's, oh, he's Curtis with all these cats. I, uh, Frankie, why don't you leave Curtis alone? I think it's honorable uh, of him. But I, I will tell you this, Anthony. A lot of people made fun of me during the election because that became a key focus. There were three key focuses of my election to become mayor, and it wasn't crime. Hey, that wasn't understood, right? If you didn't know Curtis Lee after 42 years as a crime fighter, you'd never know. There were three planks that I ran on. Taking care of the homeless, the emotionally disturbed, these lost souls, and our animals. No kill shelters. Three. People said they, they belittled me. They made fun of me. Always oh, the cat man. Never to my face. Because they know I would have punched their schnoz right down your throat. But I heard all the uh, cat calls, the innuendos, the sarcasm. The columnists who wrote columns uh, making fun of me all over the world. Well, guess what? 
The cats that I and Nancy have rescued, we now have 16 rescue cats uh, in the 328-square-foot apartment that we share on the ground floor, that studio apartment. Uh, We lost hope. We're rescuing more cats. We're adopting them out. We're fostering them out once Nancy gets them back and repairs them, not just physically but mentally because many of them have been horribly amused. Horribly. Anyway, let's go to Joseph in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Giuseppe. Yes. Hi, Curtis. Good evening and uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year to uh, the family, the, uh, your family, and of course the uh, family of the uh, USA, good old USA. A uh, couple things I just wanted to go by you. Uh, I'm an ex-FedEx uh, driver, worked, delivered for 20-plus uh, years, and uh, now I'm back back in the old retirement home here in the uh, man cave. <laughs> now, now, let me now, let me take advantage of your expertise in that uh, area. Obviously, your competitors were UPS, United Postal Service. Oh, yeah. Why did they make their employees wear those brown shorts? Uh, it, it didn't matter what their job occupation was. They had to wear those brown shorts. Brown, brown shorts. I... Uh, I'm originally thinking that the the heat in the summer, of course, uh, the people who work there, employees, of course, had to uh, ask and de- demand probably with their union, and they got them to wear shorts, of course, uh, in the summer because it's a rough job. Uh, I, I did, of course, winters, and we'd have a... We'd have a fella who, uh, <laughs> Ralph, he, he worked FedEx, of course. We have blue, blue, of course, shorts, and he'd wear shorts all winter long. And his knees, by the end of his career, have, they're all shot. He can't even go up a flight of stairs. So, uh, you know, it's a good thing to uh, wear shorts. But brown is not the best color. I should think they made a bad choice there. And of no, course, I, you know, to, when they go into neighborhoods uh, where you have the undocumented aliens, the illegals, uh, some of the guys will yell on the corner, Limigre, Limigre, Andre, Andre. Get the, get, get the hell out of here. Because remember, immigration and naturalization service officers yeah. wear all brown too. Mm, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Just like the brownies who used to give out tickets to uh, yes, New York. Yes, New York yes, charged yes, illegal yes. double packages. Uh, now, 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 Joseph, uh, yeah. Joseph, I'd like to compliment you because uh, you came on and you gave a series of salutations and greetings mm. that coincided with this time of the year. You coupled them all nicely together without asking me how I was doing. Thank God, Joseph. Oh, no. Yeah, no you learned. You. you learned. We learn, and uh, yeah, you're a great teacher. Uh, go, I go a quick story. I've got so many. You know, I'm like in high school again. I'm taking notes every time you're on the air. I have to take notes on all your aphorisms and your quotations. Ooh, ooh, so. Wait a second, aphorisms? Oh, that's a five dollar word. Oh, that's multisyllabic aphorisms. I couldn't give you the definition though. Oh no, that is so good. That I'm telling you, you know what? It, that, I could couple that. With so many other things like pedantic or supercilious, right? And you say to yourself, wow, what the, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> How about the one from uh, the movie, uh, Expialidocious, Supercalifragilistic, yeah, 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 Expialidocious. Yeah, 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 yeah. My wife. My wife is a special needs uh, teacher, and we have a special needs child also. Mm-hmm. She says there are 10 uh, traits of uh, 
a person who has Asperger's syndrome, oh. and uh, I have five of them, and uh, that's why she calls me half Asperger. Giuseppe, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my nephew, uh, who I'll be joining later uh, today, Gian, uh, he has uh, some of that. Mm. Uh, there are so many, especially uh, young boys now, that's uh, who have this. I think, mm. now again, this is with no, uh, no uh, medical evidence. That because uh, parents are having their children much later in life, uh, artificial insemination, um, uh, you have uh, all different ways to have children now in your 40s and 50s, that I believe that part of the reason is because of the age. Mostly the mother, obviously the mother has to bear the child. All the father has to do is make a donation into the Petri dish. Does that yeah. make sense to you, Giuseppe? pH age is, uh, is, a, is a small factor, I believe, in, uh, let's say, Down syndrome, uh, natures, but also the uh, medications. Of course, when I was, I'm a 52 baby, but, you know, we had polio in our second, first grade, I believe. We had polio shots and, and, and things like that. Today, I don't even want to take that. I don't want to take the jab. I mean, I, I, I see it offensive on TV every time I see a needle. Well, well as, you, as you remember, you took the polio jab, yeah. and that was it. One time only, That's all. you had it. For almost everything else, smallpox, there are about 10 other things that we've had uh, vaccines yeah. for that I can't even remember. Mom, mom would rub vapor, Vicks vapor rub on my chest. The next day, I'm better, you know? Yeah, and I... Tell you, I never remember a vaccine in which, other than the flu vaccine, if you take it, I, I, I don't take it. I only took it when uh, I was helping to raise my two youngest sons, Carter and Hunter, and I would get sick from it. Right. But, yeah, you get a different uh, shot every year. But I don't ever remember two shots and then booster shots, and then all of a sudden it only works for four months. you got to get another booster. Booster. Something terrible, is terrible. not right about this. Yeah. I mean... Who's making money on this? Big Pharma. Uh, Billions and billions of uh, dollars. My wife is fed up with the whole gang of of thieves up there in Washington, you know, and, well, we can't go political. But here's a quickie. I was in, uh, I was, uh, I don't know who was, Lisa, your first wife? Yes, Lisa. No, no, she was my second wife. I lose track myself. There was Corinne Drayton. She was from Brownsville, Brooklyn. Then it was Lisa Evers. To appear with her in in Fairlawn Library in 1990 something or other, and I missed you because you had a current you had to bow out, and Lisa was there, and she was giving a talk about protection and 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 victims' rights. She had a karate guy do a demo. It was really great, and I was sad to miss you. But of course, I met your lovely ex model wife there, and she was well, uh, just well, so well, entertaining. Well, Joe, Joe, it's uh, lucky I couldn't show up because at that point. Uh, it was uh, War of the Roses. She might have used me as a martial arts dummy and with her 13-inch combat boots might have thrown some hook kicks, some spinning hook kicks, some axe kicks, and had me sucking concrete there. Anyway, let's go to D in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, D. Okay, so the answer to who was the psychiatrist to Tony Soprano's psychiatrist was Peter Bogdanovich. Yes, excellent. And sanguinity, sanguine is blood, comes from Latin. 
Wow. You're like. I had uh, Latin in high school. <laughs> oh, see, I had Latin uh, Caesar's Gallic Wars at Brooklyn Prep, and I used to get the crib notes. Yeah, <laughs> right. Now, the other, the other uh, uh, brain buster I asked our listeners about, and none of them came through with an answer. Do you remember the performer Lola Falana? Vaguely. Okay, Lola Falana, I think I remember uh, performing on the Dean Martin Variety Show and other shows. Oh, she was a drop-dead gorgeous ebony girl. She had legs that like went up to her uh, her belly button, uh, dancer, <laughs> performer, singer. Uh, she had it all, and then all of a sudden, I didn't hear anything more about Lola Falana. See, in those days... I wasn't watching television, only when I was a kid and much later. So I didn't really keep up with that stuff. You, you seemed uh, to be a bookworm, am I correct? Yeah. <laughs> like to hang out in the library, right? Yeah. And, D, your internet at that time, my internet that I discovered because of the Jewish kids that I went to school with at PS114, when they introduced me to the uh, old blue-haired matron at the library, was microfilm. Wow. Oh, yeah, we didn't have internet then. <laughs> right, and, and you go to the side and the blue-haired matron would say, hey, psst, psst, microfilm, you want to come into the back here? And there were so many periodicals, so many old newspapers, so many magazines, so much writing. It was confined to microfilm. Remember, it was a black yeah, background yeah. with white That's print. Right. That's right. <sighs> but but also, I want to like help you a little here with one word oh, that sure. you oh, use sure. a lot. I need a lot of help. Uh, not really. Nachis. <sighs> you know. Nachis. Really nachis. It's not nachis. It's nachis. Oh. It's got the in it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like uh, like Noah's deer. Exactly. Yeah, 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 I'm yeah, one yeah. of those Jewish kids. <laughs> yes, yes, I can see that. It's it's like the it's like in your throat. That's it. Yeah, yeah. No, no doubt about it. Yitzhak. Yitzhak. Well, Yitzhak. I see. I see. I see. I got I got to practice. I got to practice. You know what will help if it wasn't the shortage of the Philadelphia cream cheese? If I, if I could get more of the schmear on the bagels in the morning, that that would sort of stick in my craw. And I'd be a... You know, when I was 16, or actually, well, going on 16, I went to live with my cousins in California. And I was in high school. And that was that was what everybody called me, cream cheese, because I came from Philadelphia. <laughs> and oh, oh, there's another one, Simcha Felder. Simcha. Simcha Felder. Simcha. I'll pra- I promise you, D. I'm going to practice. Okay. It's, you get that cream cheese just stuck. There. It's like you're choking. Uh, let's go to the phones here. Al in New Jersey, your turn to be heard here on WABC, Al. Hey, hi, Curtis. Hey, earlier, the mayor you were looking for, the mayor of New York, was William O'Dwyer. Yes. 
And I can't recall who was thrown out of the window of the Half Moon Hotel, but William O'Dwyer was the mayor then, and he, in fact, was a big crook. And he was, uh, he had a girlfriend named Sloan Simpson, who uh, was high society lady, uh, and they both were big crooks anyway. But I want to throw that in. Lola Falano was the girlfriend of Sammy Davis for a while. Oh. I I, uh, I knew Sammy quite well. But uh, Lola Falana was his girlfriend for a while. That's all I know about Now, this is before he started snacking on that Swedish woman, right? Well, yeah, the Swedish thing, the Swedish bit, she's married to a doctor in uh, the San Fernando Valley right oh. now. But uh, they had two kids together. Turned out to be pretty... Uh, Straight and uh, dynamite kids and uh, yeah, but but, but you see, Al, now that you've whet my appetite, uh, Lola Falana. Remember, she was a great entertainer, great dynamite. entertainer, dynamite. Uh, was I correct? She would be on the Dean Martin Variety Show. She she was she was one of those uh, dancers who was on the Dean Martin. You're correct. I mean, uh, Ebony Princess, Ebony Princess. That's but right. how is it? All of a sudden. She's like appearing here, there, everywhere, Las Vegas, uh, Dean Martin variety show, other variety shows, Drop Dead Gorgeous, and then, boom, we don't hear anything at all. You know, that is a very amazing thing. There's a lot of people like that. I didn't know what the hell happened to Sidney Partier in the last few years. He sort of disappeared out of sight, and then all of a sudden we read about his obituary, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, and no, he no. was he how, was dynamite. How did not, you uh, befriend Sammy Davis Jr.? Sammy Davis Jr. Well, uh, I knew Sam. Unfortunately, uh, he from all the smoking he did and everything else, he just destroyed his lungs and his throat. And uh, I, I I felt sorry for him. I really did. Well, now Al, uh, he decided to do something that few, if any, Gentiles do because it's so difficult to convert to the Jewish faith. Uh, remember, the Jews—they don't try to convert you; only find their lost sheep. <laughs> what motivated him to want to become a Jew? One of the uh, <clears throat> one of the the agents who really made it happen for Sam, because as you know, originally. Sammy Davis Jr. was part of a group called the Will Maston Trio, starring Sammy Davis Jr. Will Maston was Sammy's uncle. And uh, they came out of Harlem like, a, a, if you will, uh, a humongous, humongous success and hit. And it was Sammy Davis Jr. and the Will Maston Trio. And then, all of a sudden, Sam started to emerge on his own. And he was dynamite. How did he end up uh, becoming uh, part of the Rat Pack with Sinatra, Dean Martin, and the others? Frank had a falling out with him, by the way. But I'll just tell you this, that uh, originally they were looking for another guy to be in Ocean's Eleven. And it was really the director of Ocean's Eleven who thought about teaming up Sammy with them because Sammy was such a big hit in Vegas at the time, and so was Frank, and so was Dean. And all of a sudden, and Peter Lawford, of course, was the brother-in-law of President John F. Kennedy. And uh, not that Peter Lawford was very talented. He just happened to be in the right family at the right time. Um, And um, Sam, 
for all intents and purposes, uh, could do anything, anything, dance, sing, whatever he could do. And that really, that was something that Frank really loved. He loved the third dimensional capabilities of Sammy Davis Jr. Now, at that time, you know, when it became 1969, let's use 1969 as the example. You got it. That was when they did Ocean's Eleven. Right. So uh, it's also the Miracle Mets, 69. The Jets beat the Colts Super Bowl. The Knicks win the World Championship. Woodstock. So many other things. Uh, First walk on the moon. Right. And then I noticed that first it was Sammy Davis Jr. with the love beads and the hippie garb. And then Frank Sinatra, how did that transition take place? Because those guys were, like, suited down, you know, Vegas style. You know, those those suits that they used to wear would, like, shine in the dark. <laughs> yeah, uh, Sammy was more like uh, a guy of the moment. Sa- Sammy was not like the Sinatras or the Dean Martins. He was a guy of the moment. So if it was love beads... Then Sammy was wearing love beads. If it was the Nehru collars, then Sammy was wearing the Nehru collars. And he was a guy who picked up on the fads of the moment, and he dug that. He, he really, he really enjoyed that. Yeah. Now uh, I could never understood uh, understand how Frank Sinatra also seemed to be uh, besmirched uh, with the hippie chicks. Marries Mia Farrow. Who then? Oh, that one, yeah. Right. Who then ends up marrying the Nebishi nerd of all nerds? <sighs> no, you know she she never. You see, she had the falling out with Woody Allen. Yeah, uh, that's true. Uh, <laughs> Woody, who, who by the way, if you ever heard him play clarinets, Curtis jazz clarinet, dynamite, just wow. absolute dynamite. Wow. Um, the funny thing about it is that, uh, Mia Farrow, uh, at the time, um, I remember one of the columnists in New York wrote the following. He says, Mia Farrow and Frank Sinatra are breaking up. But the big question is who gets custody of Sammy Davis Jr. (laughs) (laughs) But how do you go? From being with a Frank Sinatra to a Woody Allen. One of the things about Mia Farrow, she was the daughter of a famous director named John Farrow. Mm-hmm. John Farrow, just to give you one sentence about him, uh, he was a big director at Paramount. In fact, uh, he was he directed a movie with a, a guy I knew vaguely, Alan Ladd Sr., and uh, what happened was he was directing a movie at Paramount, and he wanted Alan Ladd to. They were being chased by Japanese fighter planes, and he wanted Alan Ladd to jump out of the cab of a truck and jump over a bridge into this brook below. And Alan Ladd and his agent said, "No way, we're not going to do that." He says, "What are you? What are you, a fag? Come on, do it." He said, "No way." So he says, I'll show you how easy it is. So John Farrow, Mayor Farrow's old man, gets in the cab of the truck, drives it into the middle of the bridge, jumps out into the brook, and breaks both legs. 
wise-ass punk, and that was Mia Farrow's old man, and that was the kind of atmosphere she grew up in. Wow. This is phenomenal. How do you... How did you get all of these experiences? What 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 was what were you doing uh, in a career mode that sort of put you in contact with these kind of people? I, I was um, in publicity at 20th Century Fox, Curtis, mm. and I did publicity for the uh, TV division of Fox. I did publicity for shows like MASH and uh, a whole bunch of other TV shows including Heart to Heart with Robert Wagner and Stephanie Powers and a bunch of stuff like that. All right, now the question is, what question, question here, you mentioned Robert Wagner. R.J. Right, who, who killed? R.J. Wagner. Right, who killed Natalie Wood? Was it her husband, Robert Wagner, or the kid from Astoria? Who was it? Who was it? No, the deal was the kid from Astoria, Walken, Chris Walken, and uh, and R.J. were down below deck having an argument about some minor thing that they were arguing about. And Natalie couldn't, uh, you know, get their attention. So she went up on deck and uh, she decided to take the launch back to the harbor where they were at the island of Catalina right off of, uh, as you know, south of L.A. And... Uh, Unfortunately for her, she had a down jacket on to protect her from the midnight uh, air. And the deck of the uh, boat that they were on was slippery. And according to a friend of mine who's a harbor master at, at Catalina in those days, he told me that the cops determined that she slipped off the edge of the uh, deck of the boat into the water, and the down jacket, Curtis, got so full of water that she couldn't get to the surface, and she drowned. Wow. And yeah. now, as a publicist, uh, I remember years ago speaking to Rubenstein. Sure, I know. I knew them, Howard Welch. Right, and Howard would say, hey, look, kid, he called me kid. <laughs> he said, you don't need me. I, I my forte is damage control. Damage control. That that that's when I gotta <laughs> I gotta really get into action. Just promoting uh, good positive things or, or propaganda. That's not my thing. I can do that, but I got a staff to do that. My forte is damage control. How much of what you did as a publicist for the stars, the starlets, uh, uh, the company, the production company, the other people who uh, uh, provided, uh, you know, the uh, the writing, uh, the entertainment, how much of it was damage control? Okay, I'll give you an example, Curtis. You, of course, remember the, the blonde, drop-dead, gorgeous Kim Novak. Oh. Right? Oh. And she, of course, was in Pal Joey with Frank Sinatra and a whole bunch of other movies. But anyway, Kim Novak, one <laughs> one afternoon, I came out of uh, Daryl Zanuck's office at 20th Century Fox. By then, Daryl was having a problem with the board of directors at 20th. They were about to vote him out because he didn't have uh, any hit movies at the time. Anyway, and I happened to walk behind, I had parked my car behind one of the sound stages because I couldn't find a parking space in the usual place. And lo and behold, I see Kim Novak in a sports car convertible uh, necking with a 
a girl who was her assistant. And they were locked in a sort of a soul kiss. <laughs> and damage control would be at the other end of the alleyway. I happened to see a reporter named Jim Bacon. And I went down to the end of the alleyway. And uh, right away, I said to Jim, I said, Jim, you don't want to write about this. You don't want to do this. I said, because it's beneath you, man. And I sort of shamed him into not doing it. But there were so many little, as you know, you're, you're a, a guy who knows what publicity is about. I mean, you get uh, tremendous publicity. You're like a PR man, a one-man PR machine, rather. And you're like a one-man PR show. Uh, no doubt about it. You know what to say. You know when to say it. You say it colorfully. Um, and these are the things that we hope um, our client will, um, in fact, be able to affect. But usually our client can affect that. Well, I, I will tell you, Al, uh, the biggest job that publishers do, and they never get credit for it, never do, is they have to deal with uh, omnipotent, pretentious, obstinate uh, individuals who then get themselves in jams, don't know how to work their way out of it. And yeah. that's when the publicist has to do the damage control, which I've had to do damage control for myself because I've gotten myself into a lot of hot messes. <laughs> it is the hardest thing in the world when they come at you in waves. Right. All the people who are friendly to you in the media are now out for blood. It's like uh, they're a piranha and they smell the blood. And boy, every second of the day, Day is an important second because it can change at a moment's notice. A publicist, a good publicist, knows how to manage the client at that point who's going to say something stupid, is going to get themselves even further involved and immersed in the, uh, the hot mess they're in, and they never get the credit that they do. They never do because the personality who survives it, they make it seem like, oh, it was me, me alone. Bull feathers. It was, it was their publicist who saved their tuchus. You know, you hit something uh, that sort of reminds me of John F. Kennedy. Pierre Salinger was his right-hand guy. And Pierre Salinger was his publicity guy. He was everything to JFK. And I was in Berlin at the Berlin Wall when John F. Kennedy made a famous speech called Ich bin ein Berliner. I am a Berliner. He made a speech. He was reading off cue cards, of course, held by Pierre Salinger, but uh, he put down the Russian something fierce. He, uh, he made a speech that amalgamated that West Berlin crowd like you wouldn't believe. The roar that went up was incredible. And Curtis, it was just mind-boggling. But anyway, I'll get to the point. Um, at the time... Pierre Salinger didn't write the book, uh, but he he did a book about it a few years later. And he maintains in his book that it was the Russians that killed John F. Kennedy because that day the Russian premier was put down so bad in the speech by a 45-year-old young president of the United States, he couldn't take it. He told the KGB, take care of him. Wow. Now, that's plausible. That is very plausible because, let's face it, unlike Reagan, who was saying to Gorbachev, uh, you know, tear down this wall. You got it. Uh, Gorbachev was uh, 
obviously much more Western in his thought process with uh, Glasnost uh, and Perestroika. But the uh, Politburo back then, I could just imagine reacting to uh, JFK was like smacking them right at the wall in their face. You're right. That makes a lot of sense, Alan. I want to thank you for sharing so much of your personal experiences and being so open to explain what it was like when you had to be a publicist out there in Hollywood. Thank you. Thank you very much for giving me some time tonight, and God bless you and your family. And, uh, again, uh, we have a a year 2022 ahead of us, and I know you're going to do dynamite this year, kiddo. Thank you. Thank you. I like it when (laughs) an old-timer says, hey, kid, hey, kiddo, (laughs) makes me feel good. Wow. Tell me you didn't learn a lot from Al. And he had that voice, that 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 rhythm, you know, knowing and knowing exactly when to stop, when to continue, when to accentuate. Well, tell, come on, that was a great call. Maybe one of the all-time great callers of all time in my thirty years plus of talk radio. But one of the things I've experienced, as Al, the publicist, had mentioned, is. Um, Drama, hot messes. Sometimes it wasn't personal, it was more the physical. So, as many people know, shot five times with hollow point bullets on the orders of John Gotti Sr., the John Gotti Jr., the Gambino crime family. It didn't just stop with the surgery and reverse surgery. There were many, many years of pain and strain. All the, the breaks, all the fractures, not quite as much as Evil Knievel, close to 446 breaks and fractures, but I've had my fair share. We'll discuss it tomorrow, tomorrow night when uh, I come back on from 9 to 1 before we turn over the 50,000-pound uh, for watts of sound to the Mama Luke Frank Morano. But for a long time, I was popping the painkillers because they were prescribed, but like most people, couldn't keep within the limitations of what the doctor said, and you start medicating, self-medicating. All the oxys, the Percocets, the Vicodin, the fentanyl, the morphine, oh yeah, oh yeah, in real, real bad pain. Doesn't work. Just mask the pain, and the pain comes back the moment the medication wears off. You want to get rid of pain... You got to do it the non-pharmaceutical way, not with pills, but with the EPAT machine. It's FDA approved, and the unit that has the EPAT machine throughout their facilities in New Jersey, you're going to want to get a pad and pen and write it down because people are flocking there from nearby Pennsylvania, the Mid-Hudson Valley, and like myself and my wife Nancy, across the GW Bridge from Manhattan. It's Trinity Rehab. And the EPAT machine will break up the scar tissue, the same kind of technology to what's used to break up kidney stones. And it's so good for all kinds of aches and pains. It gets rid of back or neck pain, tennis elbow, shoulder tendonitis, plantar fasciitis, and knee pain in just three five-minute sessions without popping any pills. Trinity Rehab is all over New, New Jersey. They're now open in Clifton, Paramus, Wayne, Short Hills, Emerson, East Windsor, Shrewsbury, Wall, Woodbridge, and two brand-new locations in Hackensack and Wyckoff. Call Trinity Rehab today for yourself. Those you love, those you know who are in pain, 800-518-0977. Set up an appointment. That's Trinity Rehab, 800-518-0977. 
or go to trinity-rehab.com. That's trinity-rehab.com. Uh, I hate this song. Get rid of it, Bruce. Uh, you know, I threw a few trivia questions out there today. Most of our listeners got them. Uh, finally, we got the answer about Lola Falana. Uh, asked about Victor Rizal, uh him dying in an impoverished way in the Upper West Side. Got tidbits of information. Uh, didn't get information about the first suicide bombers from Ceylon, a.k.a. Sri Lanka, but apparently Gary and Holliswood uh, seems to know uh, the answer when I said, who was the first man in Brooklyn ever to fly? Hello, Gary? Yeah, cuz. Yeah, Gary. Hey, cuz, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was uh, Superman Rose, Abe Rose. Abe Rose, correct. And- yeah, he was on the, he was, uh, I think he was part of, um, whatchamacallit, the, uh, the murder incorporated the Jewish guys that were doing the hits, and he was under protective custody, and uh, he, he took a dive out the window. Right, Lepke and Gura, murder incorporated. Right, right, bingo, bingo. That the Italians used to go to to do most of their jobs, uh, like Anastasia. Right. They had their burial ground right there on Junior Street in Brownsville. I showed uh, Sid Rosenberg one time. He was amazed. That's when the Jewish gangsters were the toughest of the tough. But you know what happened to O'Dwyer. So he goes on from being a crooked DA to becoming the mayor of the city of New York, a crook in office. Then Harry Truman, in order to save him because he was on the brink of being indicted and sent to jail for political corruption, says, you know, we need an ambassador to Mexico on our border. And I want to tap the mayor of the city of New York, who's always, before de Blasio, had the second toughest job in America. De Blasio made it a part-time job. And I want him to go and become ambassador in Mexico. And he did to avoid getting arrested and incarcerated for being a crook here in New York. Well, you get all this information from you. You're like a walking computer. I remember you from 25 years ago. You don't, you weren't that smart. Well, well, some might know, some might not know. I'm like an ink blotter. I absorb it. I store it up in my medulla and cerebellum. And as some people have suggested, sometimes Curtis doesn't want it let on. It's not how much information I got packed in my skull, which is true. It doesn't help you in the streets when you're in street combat. Uh, but it certainly helps when you do talk radio like this, theater of the mind and a stream of consciousness. But Gary nailed it. And there's going to be more trivia talk. Oh, yeah, no, no. Frank Morano, he goes, oh, well, I don't do trivia. What does trivia lead to? It doesn't lead to talk topics. Yes, it does. Showing how Frank Morano just does not have the experience yet. I mean, he's getting there. But when you can twist and turn and weave and create theater of the mind,